back to Exile on Bad Street. I'm your host, Chris Zellner. And yes, it's time to take another walk on the wild side. As we're going to close out 2001 on this episode. Picking up where we left off. And we're going to do three months. October, November, and December of 2001. We got two major shows and a whole lot more going on. And uh, strap in, folks. It's going to be quite the show. As I'm joined, as always, by the leader of the NWA Elite, the one and the only manager champions, Jeff G. Bailey. Jeff, welcome back. Great to be here. A full 20 years to the day, basically, of uh, where we're going to end this show. I know. It's crazy to think about. It's crazy. And joined by uh, the voice of Wildside, one of the voice of Wildside, and uh, a great great human being altogether we are joined by the reverend dan the dragon wilson dan welcome back bah, he says of the satanic preacher <laughs> i am a great human being damn it don't let anybody tell you otherwise thank you for having me once again chris so glad to be here to cover this important time frame and also pay a little tribute to our, our fallen brother yes absolutely as since we recorded our last episode, we lost one of the pillars of Wildside in the early years as uh, Jimmy Ray tragically passed away, and um, he has gone through a lot of issues in the past years. And um, it's it, you you know that somebody is in a bad way, but still it doesn't it doesn't compute fully, you know, until something like this happens when they pass away and it's like, wow, you know, I mean, so young, you know, and just, it's, it's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking when it came out. It's still heartbreaking today. And one thing that I'm glad this show will do is we will pay tribute to Jimmy Rave in a way, because this, these three months in Wildside was, you know, a key in his run and he was one of the, the main figures in the promotion, having tremendous matches, as we'll get into. Um, just fantastic all, all, all around. And we definitely want you guys to watch this stuff on IWTV. Because if you know Jimmy Rave, mainly from Ring of Honor, you know, and, and all the stuff going on there with Prince Nana, and with the Embassy, and, and his other runs at TNA, or even his, you know... Runs as a, you know, an indie guy in the last, you know, 10 years or so. Watch him in this era and see, you know, what he was like when he was young and it, as a baby face, a pure baby face. And we talked off air, Jeff, about how fantastic he was at, at being that. And you guys were great to, for him to play off of as well. So, uh, talk about Jimmy real quick as, before we get started. Yeah, I mean, um, just what we were talking about, about Jimmy, you know, people know Jimmy mainly from his Ring of Honor run, where he was such a great heel, really one of the great heels that Ring of Honor ever had. But uh, prior to that, as a baby face, he's one of the most phenomenal baby faces that I ever worked with. I mean, he uh, he could sell like he's dying, the people would get behind him. He had super fire in his comeback. He took huge bumps. I mean, Jimmy was 
a special talent from the beginning. I mean, uh, I'm all cried out. I mean, this has been uh, one of the the most devastating losses as far as people I've known that I've experienced. And I mean, I've lost some, some close people and me and Jimmy weren't best friends by any means, but this one really, you know, wow. We had spent so much time together and done so much stuff together. As you'll see over this time period, we cover that uh, it really was a trauma, but uh, I'm really happy we're going to get to talk about how great he was as a baby face right here in this early run of his career, because I mean, it's not like Jimmy suddenly got great later. He was great pretty much from the beginning. And uh, really he's been a standout since he's joined the promotion and we've been talking about him and uh, he's starting to rise up even more over this time period we cover certainly. And Dan, I mean, Jimmy started his, you know, the, the ascent into Wildside you know, around the same time you started. I mean, you guys were basically contemporaries here in different ways. You're, in, you know, doing the announcing, him in the ring, but, you know, around the same age and everything. Um, what were your memories of Jimmy? Oh, we were absolutely contemporaries. Um, it, that's, you know, when, when Jimmy and I were close was definitely in those days, though we had maintained a, a relationship. Throughout the years, sometimes it was closer than others, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, yeah, like I met Jimmy before he even got his spot in Wildside, or I even got my spot in Wildside. We were working, like, small outlaw shows in North Georgia together, both trying to just get, like, an opportunity at somewhere bigger. And so we crossed paths a lot in those days. He was 17 when I met him, and I believe I was 19. Um, and just a few months after we met, we both ended up getting opportunities at Wildside. So we were both there kind of, you know, friends and rooting for each other at that time. But we did a lot of road trips together and stuff. And that would just echo everything you guys said about him being this consummate baby face in those days. And he was just a guy that had it. He had this cool factor about him. And that's they always say you can't put a finger on quote unquote it. But you can tell when someone has it. And Jimmy was one of those. Just a naturally cool presence. I remember him being younger than me, but, you know, looking up to him in a way because, like, girls were always following him everywhere. And, you know, he was always having a good time. And he, like, people always just, you know, he had this charisma that people kind of chased after. And, uh, man, we had a lot of good times in those days. We went out, you know, clubbing and partying together in those days and, um, you know, hanging out outside of wrestling like there was a, a really tight-knit group of all of the young guys in Wildside that used to hang out over at Todd Sexton's apartment and Jimmy was part of that and so I would go over there a lot but it was usually Todd and Tony and the Lost Boys and Sal and Seth and uh and Jimmy and just you know all the guys of that age kind of hung out together we'd sit around and play video games and watch wrestling tapes and shit and <laughs> Yeah. I remember we used to, I'll tell a funny story real quick. I know we've got like a long episode, so I apologize. Go ahead. No, but, no, this is a tribute show to Jimmy. No, go. I, I remember when Jimmy got so fucking pissed off at me one time because we used to watch those Pantera home videos and just emulate the ribs that they would do to each other. We thought that was the coolest shit ever. And so we would copy them. And Izzy, Asriel, 
always had flash paper on him. So I would steal the flash paper and go around giving people what they call a hot foot, which is <laughs> just it's sort of stupid from the Pantera videos where they would catch someone with their shoes off, not paying attention, slide the flash paper on their sock and quickly light it and run off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And I did that to Jimmy once while he was playing SmackDown versus Raw on PlayStation. <laughs> and, and he got madder than fuck at me and chased me all the way around the damn house. Uh, <laughs> That's classic. And we had a good laugh about it afterwards. And, um, you know, Jimmy went on. Uh, you know, Jeff wrote a beautiful tribute piece, probably yes. the best tribute piece he that did. anybody wrote. So if you haven't read that, go check that out. Absolutely. But talking about how Jimmy was uh, maybe not necessarily more driven than others but you know always like a step ahead and seeking that next opportunity so jimmy went on and kind of did his own thing he would always come back and so we stayed in touch later i would book him as uh, a talent when i promoted shows and you know he would always come in and do great business then as a heel um it's it, and, uh, at the end of his life we were in contact a little bit not as much as i would have liked um i i did talk to him when we first came back me and tank uh, Jimmy was one of the guys out there putting over that initial promo we did for the match against one called Manders at the Tony Deppen show on WrestleMania weekend. And so, you know, I just couldn't thank him enough for that. And, uh, you know, I feel like him endorsing that meant a lot. And then, uh, you know, I just, I'd never reached out to him. I felt terrible after his amputation. I, I didn't know what to say and I kept putting it off. And of course, like forever went by and I didn't fucking, I retweeted his shit and liked his shit, but I didn't like send him a personal message and that ate me alive on his birthday. I messaged him just telling him, Hey man, um, just wanted to say thanks for everything. You know, you've been a part of this journey and I love you and I'm sorry that I hadn't reached out and blah, blah, blah. He saw that, but as we know, he passed away just a couple days later. So I, I try to take some comfort that he saw it and, you know, that I got to, you know, just let him know that I, I did care about him and appreciated him that one last time. Uh, but yeah, man, this shit's been hard. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this without breaking up a little bit because it's, it's been very rough. It's, this is like somebody that you, you came up with and no, absolutely. younger than you makes it even harder. And the thing about Jimmy is, is that Jimmy was so young even i mean even now just in early 40s but the guy's mind for the business was as sharp as anyone's you know i mean just, just what a a mind as far as like psychology and you know working and, and everything like that jimmy's one of those guys where you know and jimmy had a lot of issues and it's sad that he had a lot of issues but Jimmy's one of those guys who who he could have been one of the top creative minds in wrestling for some promotion if he wanted to because he was that smart about how things should be done in the business and uh, it's a shame it's a total shame that uh he didn't get to use his talents in that way like he could have I mean I know stories where he would even in, in you know right before his death he would get in touch with talent after he watched their matches and and say, "Hey, this I like what you did here. Try doing this or improve this or do this next time or something like that." Always giving tips to the younger wrestlers, and uh, you ain't gonna find a whole lot like that. 
you know, and, and he's a guy who had a lot of problems at the end of his life, you know, and uh, but the fact that he, you know, thought enough of this of the younger talent to still give them advice, that says a lot for him, a lot for him. So, yeah, it's sad. It's really sad, but we're gonna uplift him on this show. This is this is you know. These days, you know, you have funerals, and then you have those services called Celebration of Life. This is a celebration of life of Jimmy Rave on this show. So, let's get going. Now, we're going to start in October. October the 6th. And we go t- first to the Pro Wrestling Torch. NWA Vice President Bill Barons and Wildside announcer Dan Wilson presented New Jack with an achievement award at halftime of the October 6th Clark College football game in Atlanta, Georgia. Barron's told the Taurus that New Jack played strong safety for the Black College several years ago. After being introduced, Jack took the mic and told Barron's and Wilson, Thank you, little white men. <laughs> Barron's and Jack used the ceremony to hype the October 27th Wildside Shut the Glove Theater in Atlanta, where Jack is scheduled to work the main event against Tommy Rich. Dan, what was that like? <laughs> it was quite an experience. <laughs> um, you know, Jack was such a character. And, like, me and Bill, I think part of us, we were suspect if he even actually went to Clark <laughs> College. But whether or not he did, he convinced the people that were the alumni there <laughs> that he did and was important. And so, like, they trotted us out <laughs> on the field at halftime. Packed college football arena. <laughs> and me and Bill, the only two white dudes in a fucking 50-mile radius, probably, uh, it out there and, and, you know, give the speech putting over New Jack, and we give him a plaque. And then New Jack takes us to a block party right down the street oh afterwards. Um, and so, yeah, like, to be a... If, if only cell phones had existed <laughs> in those days to get a photo of me and Bill at that block party, that might be one of the funniest fucking things you've ever seen. <laughs> Dan, I, I could see... Because uh, uh, you, at that time, you had the... You know, you had that look, you know, of the, of the, of the time, you know, the spiked hair and everything. You could fit in. Bill Barron! On the other hand, I can only imagine him at a block party like that. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> and it's, it sounds like, you know, uh, Jack was doing his Dick Murdoch tribute, where Dick Murdoch had all the West Texas State folks convinced that he played there and got to play in the alumni football game when he never even went there. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> it's possible. I'm not. I'm not accusing Jack of anything because uh, you know I. I still am afraid of his spirit, even though he's not here. But uh, I'm just saying that both Bill and I kind of looked at each other. We're like, did he really go here? Like, I don't know, but they think he did. <laughs> that is fantastic. All right, former WF and WCW writer Ed Farrar continues to work matches for NWA Wildside. Wildside promoter Bill Barron's reports that Farrar works the events for fun and will not accept payoffs for his work. Farrar wrestles occasional matches, usually against women, and also sits in the bookie meetings. He totally checks his ego at the door, Barron said. Barron's went on to say that after reading Terry Taylor's Torch Talk, he believes that Taylor's statements that Farrar was well-liked and often served as a voice of reason for Russo. Well, Jeff, uh, what, what kind of truth do we have here in this uh, little blurb? 
Um, as far as I know, it's all true. I mean, everybody liked Ed, and I mean, Ed didn't want to do anything but be there and be part of wrestling and uh, be part of the team and and certainly had no ego about anything. So, uh, yeah, that's all true. And, and, and considering, you know, his relationship with Vince Russo, who's pretty much the complete opposite, then that is interesting that you had that... Uh, that yin and yang there between those two personalities. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it as the show goes along, but, uh, yeah, it, it, he, he definitely, you know, he, he did some things that somebody who didn't really get, get paid if he did it for free. I mean, God bless him. So, uh, there you go. All right. While side storylines have been given an insider twist. The group's top storyline is that heel manager Jeff G. Bailey bought the company from Bill Barons, and an obvious set. Well, it should be Steve Martin. And an obvious satire of the main event championship wrestling mess. Uh, go to patreon.com slash between the sheets for your main event championship wrestling uh, podcast. Bailey is making grandiose claims regarding major talent acquisitions and other eccentricities. <laughs> Let's talk about this, shall we? All right, so we did two parts uh, podcast with uh, King Kingsport Bo James about John Collins' main event championship wrestling, where we went down the whole story of the promotion, pretty much. Bo worked, worked with John, promoted, promoted for John, was one of the few guys that actually got paid for, by John. And we, we went through everything that went on there. John Collins was this guy who supposedly had these major Canadian backers. He was going to run Evansville, Indiana at first, which he did. Tried to go national. Ran his one and only real show at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia. And then a week later, was basically bankrupt. Spent hundreds of thousands of dollars you know, on, on whatever. And the thing here is that you guys are doing it this time. Is that as we mentioned on the last show, Big Business Brown is here as uh, your money guy, and you guys are talking about your Canadian backers, which is obviously <laughs> a rib on this John Collins thing. So we just did a, you know, like I said, two long shows on John Collins. So I want to hear your version of of uh, the John Collins' inspiration on this whole story. Well, I just thought the whole thing was hilarious because, I mean, I hadn't been around that long, but, you know, I'd seen enough guys pour money down a hole to know where that was headed. And uh, the whole Canadian investors, I, I thought, was fantastic because we knew we were going to have Big Biz coming in. And Big Biz had that previous history of a uh, home shopping network money yes. trying to purchase things. So it, it worked out perfectly for that. And, uh, my, my favorite of the John Collins stuff that, that I would promise the guys and stuff, you know, was, uh, you know, we're going to have limos to pick you guys up <laughs> and bring you to and from the shows. Cause I remember all those guys getting limoed over to the ECW arena and stuff and just thinking how ridiculous that all was. And then, um, I'm pretty sure it was the same time that, uh, that there was the John Collins thing that I heard about, uh, him trying to get you know guys social security numbers and their mother's maiden name and yes. stuff like that. Yes. So, 
so he could run scam. So we uh, we did a whole sketch of that where I get the young guys in a room and and try and get you know their information and stuff. I mean, I just. It's just something that, that I found particularly funny, I guess. And, uh, you know, being an owner or the boss and in charge, I like tying some of that stuff in to the story because uh, I was trying to be a consummate asshole in every way. I mean, anything awful about a person that I felt like I could add to the Jeff G. Bailey personality, I was always looking to do so to where it's like, wow. I mean, as we, as we get deeper into this, I mean, especially by the time I get Iceberg, it turns into some some really comic book James Bond super villain type <laughs> shit. So uh, we'll just keep going from there. But yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it, and I, I, yeah. I, the whole John Collins thing is, is hilarious because it, it, I mean, some people were dumb enough to think that was actually going to be something. And uh, it's embarrassing when people believe things like that because it's uh, always a farce. Yeah, the two guys that believed it the most were Sam Ann and Tracy Smothers. And uh, Tracy, like both said on the show, Tracy was never the same again after him. Um, it was it was their thinking that this is this was going to be their last big run, you know that this guy was promising the moon. He had him over at his house, you know the limos. They were, they did the limos to fucking Evansville, Jeff. Not I think just the East Arena to fucking <laughs> Evansville, Indiana. And uh, you know, I mean, just all that stuff. And yeah, if you for those of you that listen to Patreon, the Patreon shows and love those shows, watch this Wild Side Television because you're basically seeing that come to life on television in a totally different promotion. It's insane. I mean, it's the wildest story. And this is the era, Dan, where you got all these startups. You got main event championship wrestling. You got uh, Super Fed. You got Wrestle Express. You got the XWF. I mean, at this time, we're no WCW, and WF is the king of the hill. There's no TNA yet either. I mean, this is a time in wrestling where it's the wild, wild west. Oh, it was. And and there was always, you know, even after John Collins, like you mentioned, there was always somebody else who was going to be the next big thing. And I mean, even TNA, like you take TNA, like and start them now, <laughs> probably have a lot better chance of success <laughs> than they did in the cavern of WWE just taking everything over. Um, there, there was just not like the, the grass hadn't grown enough for another promotion to come at that point anyway. So you had all of these people just spending this insane money trying to be that guy, but never putting the right creative or business people in charge of any decisions. So of course, everything just crashes and burns. They either, you know, would, either hire their buddies because they were money marks or they would hire the exact same people that tanked WCW and put them in creative positions and wonder why it failed. Um, it, it was quite a fascinating time period to live in, but I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember if the CEO angle came about, if it was like a chicken egg situation, if this angle came about because of the Collins shit, or if we just incorporated that into something we were already planning on doing. Jeff, do you remember? 
I think it was just incorporated into because it had been talked about basically once Bill was going to move Steve out. So I, I think it was just something that that I was reading in the, in the Observer and just started, you know, putting into the story because and you know bill was reading the same stuff so he thought it was funny as well and was like sure that's great yeah there's a yeah yeah bill definitely uh had some thoughts on john collins because he said he would not work with any as a syndicator he says i wasn't going to work with any promotion that worked with john collins which was funny because john collins showed up on a uh burke show uh, not too, not too long after Man Wrestling folded. So, uh, yeah, but John Collins, good Lord have mercy. For more on that, patreon.com slash twin sheets. All right. So let's go to television, shall we? The October 6th episode. And we don't have any Larry Goodman on this show. Uh, Larry, no Larry Goodman reports as. There's nothing really available from this era that we I could find. It's, we're getting in that time period, folks. We got we got lucky for a long time with uh, with stuff, but yeah, now it's kind of it's kind of watch on watch it on your own and make your own notes, and that's where we're at here. All right, Jeffy Bailey and Big Business Brown opened the show talking about Steve Carino not being there at the show because he didn't need him there to defend his title, the NWA World Title against Scotty Wren, but he has someone to take his place. Bailey then introduced Iceberg Slim, making his wild side debut. And Bailey was awesome, talking about how amazing Iceberg was. Bailey then proceeded to smash a pan over his head numerous times while basically having an orgasm. And Jeff, you were. You were you orgasmic about Iceberg. And of all the guys that you had managed up until this point in time, it seemed it seemed like Iceberg was the guy for you. He was the perfect guy for you to manage. It's so funny because I don't remember how this all worked out with Iceberg taking Carino's place because we knew early that Carino wasn't going to be there. And uh, I'm not sure how that all shook out and what the plans were for Iceberg and because uh, I was talking of him being like a bodyguard type and stuff like that. And uh, I think Dan had a lot to do with the, uh, you know, uh, the no pain train thing and uh, stuff like that. And maybe, you know, we do the uh, he uh, is impervious to pain type thing. And um, I really didn't know what we were going to do with Iceberg. And as you see later, I don't even go to ringside with Iceberg. Big Biz does. And uh, Iceberg has always uh, reminded me of that. Like, oh, you didn't even believe in me yet. <laughs> you know, you didn't come to ringside. You sent Big Biz to ringside and shit. And, uh, but as you see, shortly thereafter, we decide, oh, we got something here with Iceberg. And I mean, my favorite thing about wrestling since I was a kid was the original Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher. So I desperately wanted a stabbing guy and stuff. And uh, Bill gave the okay for Iceberg to be that, which started the beginning of all our fighting about blood and how many people should be bleeding for Iceberg <laughs> and stuff. But uh yeah, this was the beginning of that, but I, I had no idea what we had with Iceberg when we did this angle 
for the Scotty thing. It's it's all organic from this moment because uh, really was unsure about any of it, and it uh, you'll just see it grow into what it does, where Iceberg just becomes you know the unstoppable force of violence and retribution. Well, Iceberg was a protege of Abby's. So who, if you can't get, if you know, you can't get Abby cause he's so old, get the young version of Abby, <laughs> like a, a brand new, fresh one. And yeah, Dan, this guy right here, I mean, you just, he had a presence from the beginning. I mean, this guy is just massive. There's nobody like him in wrestling at that time. Oh yeah. Iceberg has always been very special from the, the beginning. Um, now we didn't see it initially, or at least, uh, Bill didn't because Bill was the one who initially booked him in some job type spots in early wild side. You know, you might remember him in just sporadically doing a little something with white trash once. Yeah. Um, he was part of like a silky boom, boom thing for a minute, uh, that much of which didn't make TV, um, so, you know, he was just, he was were not really used to his full potential in his early appearances. He was just a guy trying to get a spot. And like, in hindsight, you would look and say, okay, well, if that guy's trying to get a spot, maybe don't just throw him out there. But, you know, it was what it was. He, it, we didn't know what we had with Iceberg. But the situation with Carino, I remember it very well. And I can, I, you know, shed a little more light on that whole situation and how he got to Jeff was um, Carino canceled a couple of days prior to the show, and we were scrambling. And we knew Iceberg was a guy that was wanting to come in. We knew he was a protege of Abdullah. We knew he was set to go to Japan, and that was what really helped me sell Jeff on it, yeah. <laughs> was that, like, okay, we can bring him in. Like, he's got to put over Scotty here, but if he succeeds... When he goes to Japan, he can be come back and be reborn, and you can finally get your monster character. And so it was like convincing Bill and convincing Jeff. And so they agreed to give it a shot for this one match and see if it would get over. And, of course, Jeff uh, doing the deal with the, the cookie sheet and bashing him over the head. The no-pain train was actually a tribute to my uncle. Uh, he and Tojo Yamamoto were a tag team called the no pain train in the memphis territory and as part of their shtick to sell gypsy joe's hard head tojo would take those wooden shoes off and hit him in the head with it and that's where they became known as the no pain train Amazing. Joe i wish we no had pain. that i wish we had that on video i know <laughs> i've never seen it i've only read the stories and heard him talk about it god almighty uh, oh but uh, so, you know, that was where I was like, so let's call him the no pain train, Jeff. And and so they ran with it and Jeff took it to a whole new level. So Berg loses here in the match with Scotty, but then he comes back after he goes to Japan. And in Japan, he puts or uh, Mr. Pogo puts him over, which Pogo didn't do jobs for hardly anybody. No. So they were really trying to do something with Berg. And uh, at that point, Jeff was like, fuck yeah, we got something. And then when he came back, they were off and running. Absolutely, yes. So we'll have uh, more on that as we go <laughs> along. All right, so J.C. North beat Slim J in the opener of this show. There you go, Matt Griffin, our friend there, and Slim J. All right, Jeremy Lopez against Lance Dreamer. Really good back and forth match. Dreamer showed again that he was much better suited as a babyface. Dreamer home with Lopez move for move as well before Jeremy put him away. 
And these guys are going to be together off and on in a four-way coming up in December with Todd Sexton and Tony Mamaluke, which we'll get into. But yeah, Lance, Lance Dreamer as a babyface definitely was uh, was really good here, uh, Jeff, I thought. I have always thought that we did not do enough with Lance Dreamer as a babyface. I mean, and watching this stuff, you know, is re-cementing that opinion that I had then because these matches are all good. And again, I mean, he's fucking Kip Winger. So luxurious hair. Why we didn't do more. I mean, we, and, and all this stuff he's doing is good. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying he should have been in the main event or anything, but, uh, I don't know why he ends up leaving, I guess. And, uh, that doesn't uh, maybe Dan knows because I, I don't know why he left and I don't know whatever happened to him after he left. But uh, I always thought he was a solid baby face. Any thought, thoughts, Dan, on that? He I mean, remember he came back years later when it was anarchy and had cut his hair off. And oh, shit. no. And uh, wrestled. And, you know, it was, was fine. Had a short little run there. But um I, I think it was like, I don't think it had anything to do with the show or his push. I, I think he was on his way to probably getting a push, but I, I think that, you know, maybe he had some personal stuff that come up you know, that pulled a lot of guys away in the middle of a potentially big opportunity. Um, a lot of guys, you know, especially once TNA came along, like if they didn't kind of get the call, a lot of guys also seemed to get disenfranchised and leave. So you might've been one of those, but I, I'm wanting to say that it was something non wrestling related that pulled him away. But yeah, what luxurious hair he had. My goodness. He was blessed. Yes. All right. Three way kid cool and kid ecstasy. G-rated, went against the Lost Boys in TNT, Todd Sexton and Tony Stradlin. G-rated watched the other two teams brawl on the floor, then decided to fly from the ring to the floor, only to hit all floor as the brawl moved away from them, which was hilarious. I mean, they splatted on the floor. That's what you would expect. All action when everyone hit wild and crazy shit on each other. G-rated won when the Lost Boys and TNT were counted out, and G-rated celebrated like they just won the Super Bowl, which was also hilarious. We talked about these guys on the last show, Dan, uh, Septile and Sawanaro here as Kid Cool and Kid Ecstasy. And uh, again, they showed it here. These guys were teenagers and they could work. They had charisma. They could cut promos. I mean, good Lord. I mean, these guys were just ahead of their time. Oh, very much so. This is a big breakout match for G-rated because, you know, they, they still like maintained their comedy act deal with the finish and the way it, it kind of all went off, but they really went out there and put their working shoes on in this match. And I remember all three of these teams being super proud of this match and all really felt like it was kind of a breakout performance for them and a match that might, you know, get them booked elsewhere. I, they pushed that tape around all over the place. I remember, I, I don't remember if it ended up getting them booked or not, but it was a fantastic fucking TV match for a three-way tag. Um, you know, like highly choreographed, but like fucking flawless in execution. And, and Jeff, I mean, we, we talked about on the last show, Lost Boys, TNT, Blackout. I mean, these are the main tag teams in the promotion, but here's G-Rated, who was that comedy act. But here they are showing everyone, hey, we can hang with these guys. 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the bigger surprises revisiting this stuff has been just how good G-rated were so fast because that wasn't my recollection at the time. But, I mean, they're just so damned funny and so damned excited about everything that they do that it's just this infectious joy and uh, I don't know, they got a lot of charm and they showed that they can go in the ring. I mean, uh, just another one of these tag teams that really can get in there with anybody and have a match, which is pretty much true of most of our tag teams at this point now. And one thing they had that, you know, again, for their age is, especially in their promos, timing. They had the timing. I mean, the, the, the way they, they, they did their promos, the, the, the way they talked. I mean, they had great timing on their comedy. I, I mean, good Lord. You don't, you don't find that with guys that age. And uh, they did. So everybody go watch, the, go watch G-rated uh, promos and stuff. It's hilarious. All right. Blackout was supposed to defend the Wild Side Tag Titles against Christian York and Joy Matthews. And Dan Wilson insinuated they may have been afraid to become the next members of the body count. Blackout then talks shit in the ring on York and Matthews as well, as Norco and the South Atlanta boys at ringside, who was their nemesis at this time. Blackout then destroyed Cooter Calhoun and Kevin Harden, beating them bloody until Project Mayhem, taking white trash, ran them off. All right, Dan, what's the story on Christian and Joey here? What, what, why do they know show if you know? I don't remember the reason, but I know we got word of their cancellation prior to the show as well, but not really in time to do anything about it. Um, I do remember. So here's the story about this, like, first or second TV in October. Traditionally, one of the lowest drawing shows of the year, for whatever reason, those are October TVs were always dreadful. Friday night would always do pretty good, but the October TV tapings, business-wise, were just garbage. So, Bill's big idea to try to bump it up this year is we're going to bring in the world champ and the world tag team champions, and surely we're going to have a huge house. Well, that didn't work out. Um, both of those guys ended up, both the tag team champions and the world champion, ended up canceling off of the show. But he didn't have time to market that they had canceled to the local audience, and nobody still showed up. So <laughs> it probably would have been worse in hindsight had they shown up and Bill had to pay them. So uh, and, and Iceberg gets to be made off of this show, so it all kind of works out in hindsight. But it is really funny that this was supposed to be this big show where we were like, Wilds had rarely brought in quote unquote names, but you know Bill was gonna bite the bullet here and splurge and bring some guys in, and it actually probably ended up working out better for us. Well, I know it ended up working out better for us in the long run that they didn't show up. Yeah, I'd say so. That's crazy. What a crazy story that is. All right. Um, so we have Jason Cross against Jimmy Rave. Cross was fantastic to start. Even hitting a standing shooting star press on the floor. Cross dominated the match until missing a big court screw splash off the top rope, allowing Rave to make a spirited comeback. Rave had Cross pinned, but JC Dash showed up and came after Rave before flying to the ring a little too far and took a header right to the floor crazy spot cross then hit the cross clash to get the win yeah jeff uh jc Dance <laughs> got a little too much air under him and uh splattered himself on the floor 
<laughs> I'm sure he was. Uh, he went feeling too good after that. Yeah, that was one of JC's classic bumps. Um, him and David Young both would do that, where they'd go running to slide in and then just overslide right through out to the floor. <laughs> this funniest shit. Um, my God, this match is one of my favorite TV matches of this podcast that we're going to cover. I thought uh, these two guys were bumping around like crazy. Absolutely. Jason, in particular, just insane with his bumping. And my God, this being the early day of the Styles Clash or Cross Clash at the time, and Jimmy tucking his head on that finish instead of taking it flat was, was pretty gruesome to see like, Oh God, you know, there's been a few accidents like that over the, the years of people who don't take it flat. And, uh, that was so early on. I don't think anybody had told Jimmy and he just naturally tucked his head on that thing. And it was, it was a pretty gruesome looking finish, but fortunately he was fine. Yeah, he was. And, uh, this is a big win for Jason, Dan, to uh, go over Jimmy here. As uh, you know, Jimmy's got a lot of stuff going on with JC Dan. So uh, yeah, yeah, like Jeff said, really strong match. Yeah, I think we were really on a hot streak of booking here. I think some of it was overbooked, like, but you know, it was kind of just the sign of the times. There's a lot of the the oh. heels running the promotion, going wild. We're gonna get into that. Time. Yeah, we're gonna get into that more later. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of run-ins, a lot of interference, um, but also like we were really hitting a stride with the storytelling. And so the way we were able to weave a lot of these stories together, in hindsight, is pretty impressive. <laughs> like the the Jimmy uh, is feuding with JC, but we're also needing to build Jason at this time. So, you know, what gets them both over is going to have this killer match with Jason getting the big win. He also gets to continue his feud with AJ by using AJ's finish. So it's like we were bobbing and weaving a lot of stuff together, but it all ended up working out, which is, is pretty wild. Usually it's a big clusterfuck in wrestling when people try to do that. That's what makes Wild Side so great in this era is the booking and how all this stuff can be intertwined all together. Absolutely. There's so much of that in this era that uh, it's, it's special, the, how it all worked out. All right. So next we get a shining moment for Jeff on this show. Jeff and Big Bez come out. It's time to reveal Onyx steroid test results with Jeff saying that there's no way Onyx can't be on steroids. <laughs> So they call up the nurse, who gives Jeff the results, which said that he was clean, which drove Jeff crazy. He demanded that Onyx take the test again, with the nurse watching him heavily. And you were very uh, forceful in that statement. So um, you gave Onyx his specimen cup, and Onyx threw the specimen in Jeff's face as everyone went wild. And yes, there were all kinds of great lines by uh, Stephen Prezak and Dan about this, and uh, yeah, this was uh, <laughs> this was quite the entertaining segment, Jeff. So, all right, so what was really in that cup? Apple juice. There we go. I figured that. So it's the old like Dean Martin, where he's not really drinking alcohol on his on the TV show. He's drinking apple juice. So there you go. So honest, it wasn't really piss. It was just apple juice. 
<laughs> giving away all our secrets like that. <laughs> but yeah, who who's uh, so this has to be your idea, right? It was. Ah, so Dan, I, Dan, I think I talked with Dan about it too. But yeah, this was definitely my idea. It's classic. Yeah, I mean, this is so onyx steroids thing. I mean, it's just a, a classic angle, and uh, the fans love that. I mean, that was uh, that, is, that was a high spot for them to uh, really get into. Is you were getting some comeuppance here from Onyx, so. Um, just- yeah, it was great. It played into the like what I could do as being the boss that helped advance storylines and uh, stuff that my guys were involved in. And Onyx at this point was just freaking massive. I mean, just just gigantic. I mean, watching that guy try and take his shirt off in the back was hysterical. <laughs> I mean, like like struggling, you know, trying to get this shirt off. So, so we went that route and, uh, I just thought everybody was fantastic in this, you know, Dan just kind of creeping off to the side. Once he sees Onyx starting to unscrew the cap (laughs) and you can see people in the crowd starting to kind of move and stuff (laughs) thinking that kiss is going to be flying (laughs) in their direction and stuff. And I'm just completely oblivious to all of it screaming because I want to, you know, turn and just have my mouth open as wide as I can when he throws it on me. And I mean, the explosion for it is so great. I, the, the only disappointment is I'm on the mat rolling around, and I mean, I'm screaming into the microphone, it burns, it burns, and you can't hear a word of that through all the explosion. And I, I've seen the clip of this that's on YouTube, which cuts off the second that Terry Knight hits the ring. So I had not seen the part where I'm writhing all around the ring and I'm trapped between the ring post and the ropes and my legs are kicking everywhere and I can't get out of the ring. And I mean, I was howling, laughing at this shit, not, you know, (laughs) even like at myself, but just as a wrestling fan watching some classic wrestling buffoonery you know of the guy just flailing away trying to get out of the ring so yeah i'm, I'm really super proud of that whole segment it's it's hilariously funny dan you're in the ring for that as jeff said uh did you ever think that you're gonna be in, in, standing in the ring where somebody would throw piss on somebody when I signed up to get into professional wrestling, I knew all bets were off, brother. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, at this point, I'd already been kissed by the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. So, um, you know, yeah. what could be worse? <laughs> Certainly not a little piss. Um, <laughs> but no, like, yeah, Jeff, the, Jeff was the primary driver behind this segment. I helped him flush it out a little bit. And, um, my God, it's, it's one of my favorite things we ever did on Wildside TV. And then Andrew on the edit, um, I, I remember being there when Andrew was editing it, editing it. So when we go to commercial, he runs it back in slow motion playing I Want to Piss on You by Gigi Allen over it. And it's really one of the best, like, 15 seconds of wrestling TV ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it was. All right. So, yeah, as Jeff said, this leads right into Honest Against Terry Knight, starting immediately after all that went on. Terry took it to 
Onyx early before both men got tired with the match slowing down. Big Biz held up the briefcase in a spot that took forever. And Onyx slingshot Terry into the case to get the win. Clunky match. Yeah, it was kind of clunky, but, uh, you know, it, it, it played off the angle, which that's what everybody really, you know, remembered the most from it. So there you go. <laughs> Alright, so next we get Caprice Coleman against Tony Mama Luke. Great seeing Tony here. He looked good against Caprice, who at this time was as good as it got in Wildside. Both men definitely impressed here, hitting big time moves till Caprice hit the thermal shock out of nowhere to get the big win. Yeah, a good, really good match between these two guys. Um, we'll have more of them as we go along. And, uh, yeah, Caprice, we talk about Jimmy as a babyface. You know, Caprice, Jeff, is now starting to peak as a babyface as well in this time period. Oh, absolutely. Caprice is a guy who was, who was on the rise and has some of my favorite matches over this time period. And uh, my gosh, enough can't be said about Tony Mama Luke coming in, who I thought was going to be in for a minute and basically joins the promotion here. And what a incredible addition he is and here he is in his first time putting caprice over i mean tony mama luke is one of the great gets that we got in wild side coming up here i mean he really helped a lot of guys get better in the rain yeah absolutely and uh dan i mean he's still very young here you know he's been in the business for a while but i mean he's a guy who had the wcw and ecw background so in a promotion where you got all these young guys, here you add a young guy, but a guy who's old in the business, so to speak, a veteran. And, yeah, you, I mean, you can't beat that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he was around great minds constantly. So, of course, you know, he trained her Dean Malenko. Oh. And then he goes into WCW. And uh, mainly as a manager, you know, like he did some some undercard matches, but, you know, mainly as a manager, but got to learn that side of the business and be around a lot of guys. And he goes to ECW getting tagged with Guido, who's a great veteran and learns a lot from him. And uh, then he's around guys kind of his same age here at Wildside, but he gets to impart all of that knowledge and all. And then not only that, but he lived at the Canyon compound up in Marietta. So um, he was always, you know, DDP was over there all the time. Of course, Canyon's there. Like, there's, there's a rotating crew of, like, all of these people with this wrestling knowledge always around him. And he was always happy to share it with the Wild Side guys and totally agree with Jeff that, like, I don't know that the promotion does what it does in the next couple of years without him because he was such an, an anchor and a teacher, but a guy guys would listen to because he was a peer. That's exactly. important. Exactly. Yes. All right. Well, I said, if we title match, Scotty and Ren defending against iceberg, iceberg attacked Scotty at the bell and just manhandled them for the first few minutes. So Scotty hit the psycho slam out of nowhere to retain his title. And we talked about this earlier, you know, the whole, you know, rationale behind this. I mean, you just couldn't job Scotty in this situation. And again, I mean, you can do these types of matches as long as the story you're telling works and you can rehab quote unquote guys from taking losses early in their runs. If you know how to do it right, which you guys did. So yeah, this is what you, I would say no harm, no foul. And, 
it, it, it worked to uh, to get Scotty even more over as the champion here, you know, putting this big monster down with the Psycho Slam. Yeah, I think it was fortunate that Scotty was as over as he was. And basically, we kind of just erase it from history yeah. with Iceberg going forward. You know, Iceberg comes back from Japan with blood on his hands and what he wants is more blood. And, and that's the path we go. Like the Scotty Wren thing never happened. I mean, I would never acknowledge it happened the rest of Iceberg's time and the promotion. It's like, that was a totally different guy. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it was by name. We, we did that on purpose. Um, if you recall, we specifically made sure you still called him Iceberg Slim up until this when he comes back from Japan, he drops the slim. So when you say Iceberg had never been defeated up to that point, you were not lying. Exactly. <laughs> a, a, there you go. I mean, that's a creative way of doing it. it absolutely. So there you go. And then our main event for the Wildside Junior title, J.C. Daz defending against A.J. Styles. These two went to war at the bell. Really good shit. We get a clip in the action which I hated. But then we come back with Styles hitting a Styles Clash on Daz, but Jeff pulls Speedy Nelson out, so Jason Cross would run out, hit the Cross Clash on, cross clash on AJ. Jimmy Ray ran out, hit his spin in DDT, which Bailey and Cross never saw. They rolled Speedy back into the ring, who counted Styles and never Daz to finish the match. Andrew Thomas then ran out, said that the decision would be reversed, so the heels attacked AJ until Jimmy ran them off. Yeah, re- yeah. What we have here was a really good looking match. The clip hurt, but um, here's what you guys are talking about. You know, uh, Dan, the all the stuff going on here, where you have run-ins, you got uh, false finishes. I mean, you guys are doing it, and it, it's working. But as we go along, it's going to get to the point where it kind of is going to come off as maybe too much. So is that fine line that you, as a, as a booker, you got to walk when it comes to doing finishes like this? Oh, with, without a doubt. I think um, a lot of it is a byproduct of the Bailey running the company angle, because yeah. realistically he is such a rotten bastard. You know, we're kind of living in his hell yeah. or our hell in his heaven um, in that he is calling the shots so I think it predicates a lot of that extra gaga to keep telling that story, because if the elite are in control, why wouldn't they try to get away with as much heinous shit as possible if there's nobody there to stop them? And that's what leads up to the whole angle, like a year or two down the road that ends this. Uh, but, you know, after a while, it does wear thin and you got to get a little more creative. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. No, no disagreement in those sentiments yeah um jeff you were at ringside for this so uh, what were your thoughts on how, how this came off um i was really pleased with the thing with jimmy coming in to hit his thing that me and jason didn't see in a believable way and our incredulousness at the fact that that he had lost the match somehow so i, I thought that worked um I took a big, huge flying bump for Jimmy at yes, the end. So, I mean, you know, putting these baby faces over, letting these baby faces get a little something here as we build towards Fright Night because things are going to change dramatically 
after that. But uh, yeah, I thought uh, I would have liked to have seen this whole thing because I don't remember exactly what all was in it. But it, you know, JC Daz and AJ Styles always had a good match. Yeah, and that's the thing. When this aired on TV, I mean, of all the matches to clip, is this one, Dan? I mean, is it, is it because it's the main event and you don't want to show too much of the main event to, you know, dissuade fans from coming to the building? Or what, what's the reason why the main event of all matches is getting cut? I wish it was that clever. Um, a lot of it is just that they weren't timing the show out. And so... It's like, okay, well, we started, and now we're to the main event, and we've got time. And remember, this was in the day of manual editing, so it was not like you could just go in and pull a clip with a mouse and take it out from an earlier match. Like, you you had to, like, go and re-edit the whole fucking show. So it just wasn't going to happen when that was the case. A lot of that was the byproduct of the transition from Steve to Andrew. So once Andrew firmly gets in control of the edit and then later Jeff, you will see a lot less of this. It's, it's a lot more responsibly put together. But I think <laughs> a lot of this is still some of the byproduct of that transition in power. Well, one thing that the TV is definitely, it has definitely improved in quality. Uh, quality control by this point in time. I mean, this is a, a minor quibble about the, uh, you know, the little editing situation here. But, the, I mean, the TV and the formatting from, you know, as we're looking at this era compared to, you know, some of the previous eras we talked about, uh, it's pretty much a night and day, you know, as far as that. So you guys are definitely uh, starting to get everything together on the TV side of things. And it was the perfect timing as we'll get it, as we go through the show, because wild side's about to get some major exposure coming their way. So definitely the right time to, uh, to, to get your shit together. All right. Now after this, yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Dan, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say Bill's patience was starting to wear thin with a lot of that too, at this point. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's good that things improve. Yes. All right, so after the show, while doing a promo with Dan Wilson outside the arena, TNT was attacked by the Lost Boys in a wild brawl that had to be broken up by security. We've talked about these parking lot situations on uh, previous shows, and I always loved when, when we got the parking lot angles at the at the uh, arena in Cornelia because you get to see just how small a building that is and it's how everything looked outside. I mean, it just gave it this different look, Dan, and... Uh, you're part of this, so uh, talk about this brawl. Oh, yeah, escalating the heat in this TNT Lost Boys feud, which is technically a babyface, babyface feud, but, you know, we are in the early 2000s where everything's just a little extreme. So, of <laughs> course, nobody's like a pure babyface or a pure heel. Uh, and in this case, the Lost Boys kind of played the role of the heel in the feud because they were goth and you know a little more sadistic and fucked up they kind of put some balls on tnt in the process because you know they they were these pretty boy high flyers but now in this feud things are getting a little personal and so it's not just a bunch of pretty high spots they're they're starting to fight each other and starting to dislike each other it was a lot of fun i think everybody involved in the segment had a lot of fun the people watching had a lot of fun, and uh, it was a, a great little thing to to escalate their feud and end the TV episode. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on, and let's talk about Steve Carino as we go to uh, 
October the 9th here, and this is from The Torch. Former ECW champion and current NBA champion Steve Carino issued an internet statement announcing his retirement from wrestling. Carino says he will retire sometime in November, saying he's achieved all of his goals as a wrestler. Carino missed weekend shows he has scheduled with Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling and NWA Wildside. During a second statement on his website, Carino said he would not rule out a return at some point, and hinted he may also take occasional Japanese tours. He also noted that he does not plan to drop the NWA title before he retires. However, most sources believe the NWA officials asked him to make that statement in an attempt to make his eventual loss of the title as much of a surprise as possible. At the time Carino released the initial statement, he had yet to inform the NWA of his plans. He is still scheduled to appear at the NWA anniversary show on October 13th. Friends of Carino predicted that he will resume his wrestling career at some point. Some sources also believe Carino is retiring because of family issues. Well, <laughs> uh, let's just say that um, a week later, Carino basically retracts the, all this. So obviously something something was going on with Steve somewhere that was uh, taking a toll on him mentally. And... Um, yeah, he, I mean, he doesn't retire, but you know, so he, he loses the, the NWA title in December to Shion Shimoto, and I mean, he, like he said, like I said, he doesn't retire, but he does. He does start scaling back his American wrestling and focuses more on Japan. So there is that. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's what why he no show. Dan is that he's going through some type of uh, existential crisis here. Yeah, seems to be. I, I feel like him and Bill might even had like some words about this booking afterwards that weren't too pleasant. But like, I I got nothing bad to say about Steve. He was always been cool to me, oh, and I've right always here. been a pretty big mark for his work, you know. And um, you know, everybody goes through shit. Like like I said, they ended up being better for Wildside in the end. Would have loved to have had him in, but you know, we did get to see him. Yeah, everybody, everybody in the business has their moments, Jeff, where they just like get sick of it, and you know, sometimes they feel like they have to take a break. So it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember that happening. And if I'd have seen him saying he was going to retire, I would have just thought it was an angle. Um, I will say this, and I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Steve Carino is like the only wrestler since I've been in the business that's ever been a complete outright dick to me. I mean, just a fucking complete dick. And uh, it left me standing there like, Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was bizarre. Like, cause I was a huge fan of Steve Carino. I mean, I still am, but uh, yeah, he was a uh, very unpleasant to me. Maybe you caught him on a bad day. <laughs> I, I, I I hope that's what it was. Sometimes that happens. Like, Jesus, dude, what the fuck? But uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people get caught on bad days, and I mean, believe me, I've I've been a dick to quite a few people in my life on bad days, so I know how it goes. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. All right, so let's go to October thirteenth, and we go to the Provost of Torch again. The NWA held their annual meeting in conjunction with the 53rd anniversary show. The meeting was held on October 12th and 13th at the Days Inn Hotel in St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> at the Days Inn, folks. Yeah, they remember, went all out. Remember, remember those NWA meetings in Las Vegas and Puerto Rico? Here we are at the Days Inn in St. Petersburg. 
At the meeting, NWA East promoter Jim Miller of Pittsburgh was voted president by the members. He replaces NWA Florida's Howard Brody, who withdrew his name from consideration prior to the meeting. One published report stated that M- Miller beat NWA Wildside promoter Bill Barons by one vote. Barons will maintain his position as NWA vice president. At the meeting, directors created new plans that will encourage NWA promoters to promote more often. One NWA board member described the meeting as the most positive NWA weekend that has taken place in decades. The actual anniversary event ran approximately four hours. During the event, the ring broke and needed to be repaired. There was also a brief power outage. Next year's anniversary weekend has been scheduled for, get this folks, Corpus Christi, Texas. Ooh. <laughs> um, <sighs> Jeff, they had to eat Bill up. They lost by one vote. <laughs> I had to eat Bill up. I would assume, but I mean, at the same time, Bill seemed pretty happy being the vice president. And I mean, if he was the president, it probably would have looked even worse on him because, I mean, I have been and I will continue to berate the entire NWA and talk <laughs> about how Wildside is the only thing in the NWA that matters, not just the crown jewel of the NWA, but it is the NWA. And uh, that would probably be difficult for him to deal with with some of the other promoters, as I called them names, if he was the president. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and tr- I guess the truth hurts a little bit, too. So uh, it is what it is, but we'll have more on that show in just a minute. Now, let's go to the television that aired on October 13th for New Jack an amazing promo from Atlanta. I guess it's from the uh, same day as the Clark Atlanta deal about his wild times with Tommy Rich and ECW, how he cherishes those memories, but he takes it personal that Rich wants to fight him. Jack said he would... Beat his ass beyond recognition at the Globe, as winning and losing means nothing to him, but splitting him open to the white meat. Yeah, Dan, I mean, New Jackson is white suit here, so this has to be from that experience that y'all had, and what a great promo this was. Jack was, was, was really, really great here. Oh, it's killer. It's such a shame the match didn't happen. Um, but, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, the promo... <laughs> Yeah, the promo was so fucking good. Like, whether you wake up in great air or you don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking great. Um, But I filmed that promo, and it was on the way back from the Clark Atlanta deal with uh, me and Bill in Bill's SUV and Jack and his friend in a separate car. And um, so we pulled off into this random parking lot in the city over near the Georgia Dome. And um, Jack said, "Okay, we got we got some some uh, some city skyscraper background. Okay, cool, we'll do it here." So <laughs> that's what he wanted. He wanted like a city backdrop. So we pulled off into this parking lot, get out, and we film it. And you know, I'm not a fucking cameraman. Like Andrew usually films all the promos, but I'm the one that's there, so they want me to film it. So I do. And of course, Bill didn't charge the fucking battery in the camera. <laughs> so as I'm filming it, I get the your battery is about to die thing and like drop the camera for a second to see like why the fuck it's beeping at me. And of course, New Jack cuts this goddamn 
two minute long promo about how if I ever drop the camera in the middle of his promo again, he's going to fucking stab me. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, needless to say, that was a fucking learning experience. <laughs> but Bill saved the day by finding a fucking auxiliary power cord in his car and running it through the cigarette lighter. <laughs> so we were able to finish shooting the oh. promo. Out of the back of Bill's SUV. <laughs> that is fantastic. This is, this is why Bill is so successful as a television syndicator. He's always prepared. He was always prepared for when these the situations happen. Yeah, he's a problem solver, man. Definitely a problem <laughs> solver. <laughs> oh, my God. Hilarious. Good Lord. All right. So um, let's go to Jeff thoughts on the NWA <laughs> third anniversary show from October 13th in Tampa, Florida. This is just first-hand notes on this. The show that night was about as hot as Jeff could remember being. August Cornelia couldn't even compete with Tampa in October that night. Probably had something to do with 100 guys in a locker room built for 20 in a building you couldn't have squeezed another person into. Jeff decided to change clothes outside and it was like putting them on right out of the shower. Just one big stick Wet, one big wet sticky mess. Show was super long, and Jeff was managing AJ Styles against Christopher Daniels in the middle, and they come back for a big invasion angle at the close of the show. When Jeff went out for the match, chairs were almost up against the ring. He was practically standing in people's laps, and it made maneuvering around the ring nearly impossible. AJ and Daniels had a great match, but Jeff was limited in what he could add. Fortunately, he was able to do the finish from the ramp. He could lay there and sell the punch, and then do the trip spot and do Styles Clash for the finish. It was a special night for AJ, as it was considered such an upset. You can hear the cameraman say, just in that commercial release. AJ and Chris started the friendship that night that led to them both naming children after each other. Jeff, sorry to say, another one of them named one after him. <laughs> Hours later, after the main event ended, the invasion began. Someone had not clued in the security about the angle. And they were trying to stop guys from going into the cage. Soon, real fights were happening as guys were having to fight to get into the cage. Matt Griffin told Jeff he not only had to fight his way in the cage, but took a shoot punch right in the face. It was total mayhem and pandemonium on the floor and in the cage when Dan intro Jeff. Jeff almost left where he could even speak as he saw Bill Barron's in the ring and everyone in sight with a tennis racket. Fear things tickled Jeff more than Bill whipping a bunch of ass. <laughs> Jeff exploded to the screaming diatribe about wild side greatness, etc. And went so hard he blew himself up like a bomb. Jeff remembers the point, just passing Dan the mic and gasping out finishing it as uh, he stood there wheezing for air. Dan took it home. We were all standing tall. All the ingredients were laid out for a sweet informational war of basically NWF Georgia versus NWF Florida through IPW and Wildside. Everyone had left, and when the Florida guys got up and started talking, instead of selling the beating and limping to the back, Bill got so pissed, he called the whole thing off. Jeff always thought he kind of overreached, but he wasn't hearing it. Still isn't. Folks, if you've never seen this, find it. Because this is amazing, just to watch the mass of humanity that is involved in this storyline at the end of the show, where you have all these motherfuckers just running out. It was like a whole bunch of clown cars showed up, and everybody just come running out, and it's just everywhere. And 
Jeff is just over the top in, in all his greatness here. Dan, this is Dan. This is your first time of being a heel, so I, 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 you were relishing in that moment, I'm sure. And Bill, Bill and his tennis racket, uh, uh <laughs> brigade. Oh my God, uh, it, it's just it, this is insane to watch. So Jeff, I'm going to you first. Talk about this night. Um, well, so much of it is in that story, but it's so funny because I mean it's. It's an angle. I mean, I assume everybody knows what's going on. But when the guys start hitting the ring, security is legitimately trying to stop them and fighting with them. And I mean, they're like, hey, motherfucker, we're trying to get in the ring like for this <laughs> angle and shit. And, and they're not hearing it. So, I mean, it's it's a full on real thing. I mean, me and Dan are standing up on the ramp, so we're just standing there watching everything as it happens, you know, and I'm I'm waiting to talk. I'm going to cut my promo as the beatdown starts, but we're sitting there waiting and I mean, it's like, my God, they're really fighting. I mean, look at this stuff. It's, it's out of hand. And then uh, by the time we get to the, uh, the part where they take over and I just start running down everybody in the promotion. And I mean, I'm just yelling at the top of my lungs. I do. I I get so blown up from talking so loud and so hard. I just kind of pass it to Dan and I'm like, just finish it, you know? And uh, then Dan goes into full heel mode himself and stuff. And uh, I really thought we had done something beautiful. Bill got so mad. The Florida guys got up and talked. Really. I didn't think it was the biggest deal in the world. I mean, they got up and talked, so what? We're still going to do the angle. But Bill just got so fucking mad about it that he didn't want to do it. And uh, it's a shame it never really reached the level it should have reached. I mean, they did some stuff, but, uh, I mean, we really could have had this really cool Georgia versus Florida war that kind of got left on the table, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, I, I kind of... I kind of get where Bill's coming from, Dan, when I watch this, because, I mean, you guys do all this shit. I mean, you, you're just waylaid them out. I mean, left them for dead. And then all of a sudden, they get up and they start talking shit. You know, it's like they, they, they're trying to get their heat back. I mean, I, I get where Bill's coming from here. But before we talk about that, talk about the joy I'm sure you had to finally be able to cut loose and play a heel. It was great. It was definitely a side of things to come. Um, <laughs> I, I had done some managing on like shit shows before I got to Wildside, just trying to do whatever a non-wrestling guy can do to get booked. Uh, but this was the first time I really got to do anything of value <laughs> as a heel on the microphone. And uh, it was something else. That would be a few years before I got to do it again. But um I, I really enjoyed this and hoped it would become this angle where we'd get to go down and be these heels on their TV and, and vice versa. But it just, you know, it didn't happen. There was too many chefs in the kitchen uh, wanting to dictate the recipe there. And, and unless it, that control was given to one person in particular, um, it wasn't going to work, and there was no way the parties involved were going to give control to one person. So it was what it was, but it, it was a missed opportunity. Hilariously, 
there was heat with us and Ron Nemi apparently for years and years, and now he's like a dear friend. Um, so it's just like that's the way the wrestling business is, man. You get mad over stupid shit, shit that you think is like important at the time, and you know maybe it is important, but like overall, like the the shared experiences <laughs> that you have with people can really lead you to bonding with them. And now Ron and I see each other all the time on these ICW No Holds Barred shows, and he's one of their commentators, and I work as a manager on a lot of the shows, and uh, and we're tight. Hell, he was over at my house hanging out with me and Jeff over at the, the last ICW show. So pretty wild that, you know, he probably wanted to fucking murder us at one point. <laughs> and that's the thing. IPW, at that point in time, I mean, they were a high-profile indie, you know, on, on the Internet. Shanna Rose was, you know, putting them out there everywhere. I mean, you always saw IPW information, IPW reports. They had TV. Um, they they were a high-profile indie, so a wild side IPW feud definitely would have been something because they had some good talent down there, and it, it definitely would have been interesting to see how that would have played out. Absolutely. But, again, I kind of understand where Bill's coming from on this. You know, you do this big thing, you sp- I mean, you're supposed to sell it. Don't get up and get your heat back. So, yeah, like I said, if you haven't seen this, go watch it. It is something else, believe me. Something else. So, uh, a wild night in Tampa, Florida. And and this was at the old Armory, right? Wasn't this at the Fort Homer Esterly Armory? No, this was... IPW building. IPW building. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Russellplex. Russellplex. Yes. yes. So, uh, there you go. All right. Um, and Torch has more on this. NBA Wildside is not planning to run shows in Florida, as the final match anniversary show may have suggested. Instead, IPW and NWA Florida promoters are planning to use Wildside wrestlers on their shows to promote the Wildside Invasion storyline. Which is basically what would happen, as uh, we'll talk about more later on, as AJ Styles becomes IPW champion. So uh, it's basically a kind of a one-sided thing, in a way, as the Wildside guys are more down there than the IPW guys in Cornelia. Wildside syndicated shows now available in New York on Channel 68 at 2 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Most New York cable systems feature the UHF station on Channel 56. Well, here you go, Jeff. Wildside has finally made it to New York. Yeah, we got to do a great little thing where uh, Steve and Dan talked about it, and then uh, me and Big Biz interrupt, and uh, I demand that they give Big Biz credit for us being on TV in New York. <laughs> so uh, oh, that was a lot of fun, and you know what? It gave Big Biz more credibility as a you know the money mark investor and all that kind of stuff so uh yeah that was great i don't think we were there that long but obviously it was great to be on television in new york absolutely yeah big deal and dan did you guys do like anything special for like these new york philadelphia type markets for tv or was it the same tv show going everywhere 
It was the same TV show going everywhere, but we would certainly, when we would get new, you know, you would see on the TV, we'd try to acknowledge them and kind of do something special. It would be, I mean, I think that served twofold purpose too, because yes, like everybody else that's not in New York or Philly or whatever is going to see that, but it creates that perception that, oh, okay, these guys are being seen everywhere. So maybe this is something I should pay attention to. So no, it was just one TV show, sometimes two. I think he did have a couple of like separate agreements where he had to provide technically a different show to these different carriers, but it was usually just the same show with a different intro. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was just, we would do special stuff for them, but it would be on the one show that went everywhere. There you go. All right, let's go to October 15th. And this is from um, the Wild Side uh, website. Various reports on the internet suggested the NWA Wild Side crew was upset at the respect shown them at the Friday IPW show. Clearly, the bulk of IPW NWA Florida talent is inferior to that in NWA Wildside, which is known to have the strongest wrestling crew in the NWA throughout the entire wrestling world, and we decided to make a point during the main event cage match at the 53rd anniversary show. Now, everybody seems to think that we are set to few with IPW NWA Florida, but nothing can be further from the truth. If Howard Boom Boom Brody or Ron Neeme want a piece of NWA Wildside, then show me the money! Wildside wrestlers will visit the WrestlePlants again, but whether IPW and NBA Florida wrestlers will visit the NCW Arena or other Wildside venues will depend on whether they meet the high standards to go with the Wildside crew and appear on only the first-run nasty syndicated television show in the United States, other than WS product. So if guys like Scoot Andrews, you think you have what it takes to make it in Wildside, send a tape, and I will get back to you, signed Bill Barron's. <laughs> so... Jeff, this is Bill, kind of in character, but you kind of get, you know, his real feelings on this. Yeah, Bill did that a lot. He'd <laughs> heal it up, you know, well, in character, but, you know, basically sharing his real thoughts. And uh, it's a shame that, that he felt that way because uh, I really... I mean, it probably would have never worked anyway because of the egos involved and stuff. But if we could have done a proper Florida versus Georgia kind of thing on the TV shows and stuff, I think we really could have had some fun. But I think uh, I think the egos were probably too big to to let that happen at the time, which is very pro wrestling in and of itself, I guess. Oh, of course, of course. And uh yeah, it's uh, interesting to read this. Uh, kind of burying the uh, the Florida talent the way there, Dan. <laughs> You're not good enough. Yeah, he was healing it up a little, but like you said, you know, kind of kind of shooting it. I get like it almost seems like his attempt to salvage the angle at some level, um, but to do it on his terms, which is, is kind of what ended up happening. So I guess Bill steered that ship in the direction that he wanted. Yeah, exactly. All right, and it talks about Wildside getting on New York TV, 2 a.m. on Saturdays. So there you go, great time slot. Um, October 17th, and we continue this. Ron Nemi of IPW in St. Petersburg, Florida, announced that Tony Mamaluka Jeremy Lopez, representing NWA Wildside, is scheduled to appear at the WrestlePlex on November 3rd. However, Lopez will actually be in Cornelia, Georgia on that day for a Wildside TV taping. NWA Vice President Bill Barons has not yet decided if Lopez will be replaced by another Wildside wrestler on the show. Said Barons, I understand that Lopez was scheduled to face Jet Jaguar in Florida, which would have been a waste of his time. 
I will decide soon whether another wild side star will replace Lopez on the show. IPW show. Only because I would hate to deprive the wrestling fans of the Florida WrestlePlex a chance to once again see some real wrestling talent. And naturally, I do not want Tony Mamalut to have a deal with IPW on his own. <laughs> oh, man. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, Bill. All right. So let's go to October 20th. Fright Night, 2001. Dan and Steve Prezak in the rain to start their opening the show, and Jeff and Big Biz showed up complaining about how they talk about him on TV. That's Steven and Dan, saying they better do a good job tonight by kissing up, kissing up to his ass or they may lose their job. Bailey then promised that Honest would pay for what he did two weeks earlier as his trick-or-treat, and now it's not the type of trick that lads would perform at Piedmont Park. Or the type of treat that Onyx gives men in the men's rooms, but this would end his life <laughs> as he has Adam Jacobs in a no rules match. Bailey then went after a fan who was dressed up as Ken the Box for Halloween in a great moment. All right, Ken the Box uh, was a a thing that wrestled Survival Tobita in Japan for the Saitama Pro Wrestling Company. Survival Tobita was this guy on. SPWC was the, like on the lowest of low indie uh, rung in Japan. They had no ring. They basically wrestled on mats. And Ken the Box, he survival to be to wrestle all these wacky ass uh, creatures, things, whatever. Ken the Box was this tree that was made out of boxes. Yes. Folks, you had to be there for 20 years ago. So there was a fan that showed up at Fright Night dressed up as Ken the Box. And Jeff, you, your selling of that here was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, like, what the fuck are you supposed to be? <laughs> did you even know of Ken the Box at that time? I, I did, but <laughs> in even so, uh, the fact that, that I knew it didn't mean that I thought anybody else knew what it was. Yeah, that's know? very inside. Um, <laughs> let alone fans in our Cornelia crowd. So, yeah, it was a bit a bit surprising. Impressive in that, a way, though. That was famed Wildside superfan Norco Kipte. There you go, Norco. Was Ken the Box. How about that? Like around a year ago, Norco passed away too, unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, yeah. shout out and tribute to him, one Absolutely. of the best fans we ever had. Absolutely, Absolutely. I, but, but I did not know it was Norco in the in Ken the Box. That's that's fantastic. That's awesome. And folks, Piedmont Park. <laughs> that is a uh, is a big park in downtown Atlanta that has a reputation. For being a place where uh, gay men like to have a good time. So we'll just leave it at that. That's that's where the reference came from with Laz. <laughs> the hilarious thing about that is I just knew it was a park in Atlanta. And since most parks are known for nighttime homosexual encounters, I just assumed, well, this park's in Atlanta. I'm sure those must take place there. So... <laughs> I just put my Park as a park I knew in Atlanta. I had no idea it was an actual place where homosexual encounters took place. I just assumed because it was a park in Atlanta. That is amazing that you did not know that ahead of time. I would have never thought that you would have, you just would have made that connection by happenstance. <laughs> wow. 
That's amazing. Oh, man. All right, so we start off the show with Bad Attitude versus G-Rated. David Young and Terry Knight. So we had the veterans against the youngsters. G-Rated talked a lot of shit on Bad Attitude before the match. Talk about how old they were. And they paid for it as Bad Attitude just tossed around the youngsters. And David Young killed Kid Cool with a spine buster out of a power bomb position. Yeah, David and Terry, uh, <laughs> they kind of had no mercy on these guys, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, this wasn't exactly supposed to be a super competitive match, but G-Rated had gone out and, you know, showed a, a little something in the last few weeks on TV, and uh, David and Terry just didn't, they they weren't going for any of it. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like they were legit a little pissed that they had to work those guys at the big show, but, you know, it was it was just about telling that story, as you see it, it, it later when we get to Christmas chaos, you know, this is all about the whole thing with David going babyface. So, um, it, it was the necessary element of the storytelling at time, but I, the promo they cut at the beginning of the match still cracks me up to this day. Uh, them calling them old spice. was. Yes. <laughs> 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 They're like they they shouldn't be called bad attitude. They should change their name to Old Spice. <laughs> I was like, God damn it! it, it you know, I mean, if, if if David and I'm not saying this actually, you know, was the you know the thing that they that David and Terry actually got legit pissed off. But I mean, when you have something like this, I mean, come on, this is a promo. These guys are are trying to get over. I mean, they're. They're doing their comedy thing. I mean, come on, don't get mad at them. <laughs> you know, you know, we talked about Tracy Smothers earlier in the episode, yeah. and I did watch him almost beat the ever loving fuck out of a dude named Big Head Hanson on an indie show one time for calling him old on the mic. Uh, so, you know, there's the thing about veterans that did have a bit of an issue with that. And their logic is sound. Tracy said, you know, if if I'm just an old man and you beat me, then who the fuck did you beat? You're right. And if I'm just an old man and I beat you, well, you just got beat by a fucking old man. So don't say that shit. <laughs> you're right. You're right. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Big Head Hanson, I don't think, was doing I I, I watched that. I mean, he was doing that just to be a dick, I think. I don't think it was a comedy thing like these guys were, you know, were trying to do. But anyway, I mean, again, I don't know if David or Terry legitimately got pissed off, but yeah, they, they whooped up on these poor boys. <laughs> but it was fun. I'll say this. My, my recollection was that they weren't pissed off about what they said, but they were a little unhappy about being in the opening match. There you again. go. Rated. They they were not really thrilled about their placement on the card. I do recall that, and that would not be the last time that a tag team in the opening match would be unhappy about their placement on the card and beat the shit out of the team they were facing because of it. Yeah, Dan knows exactly what I'm <laughs> referencing. <laughs> yeah, I, you know that can happen sometimes, I guess. Alright, so <laughs> there's that. Next we get Laz against Jeremy Lopez. Laz giving security guard Lulu a lap dance for the match was amazing. And Prazek said that Lulu was now pregnant with Laz's child. <laughs> the fans chanted kiss the ref. 
as last grinding on Speedy Nelson, and then he laid him down on the mat and gave him a big wet one. Really good back and forth match with both men getting in some big offense. Lance got his stick in with Prey Second Wilson having a blast getting off their one liners. Lance would eventually go for the Britney Spear, but Lopez would hit his inverted DDT and grab the ties to get the win. Oh, this is a hoot. <laughs> Laz, I mean, and we'll be talking a lot more about Laz as the show goes along. But yeah, this was this was fun shit, Jeff. Laz is great. What a big win for Jeremy Lopez, too. I mean, that, that was a really big win over Laz. And uh, I mean, Laz is just, he's so fucking over. And, you know, as we watch this stuff, as it goes on, and there's moments where it, it devolves down into some gutter stuff. But I mean, as a whole, it's it's pretty well played as it's a psychological gimmick for Laz, and uh, it's one that's really effective. Yeah, he's doing that. He's doing the quasi Adrian Street gimmick, Dan. You know, I mean, it's basically what it is. It's, it's mind games. Yeah, just wrapped up in a modern package. Britney Spears is at the top of her popularity at this point. Uh, he kind of tied himself to her and. Uh, you know, use like anytime Britney would have a new hit, that would be what he changed his entrance music to, almost like clockwork. Um, it it worked for the time, and then when we started trying to like deconstruct it and figure it out, like then it it falls apart, unfortunately, and dies a goddamn massive horrible death. But um, uh, Laz just being Laz and unfucked with was amazing. Yes, when you when you when you start overthinking, and this goes into a lot in wrestling, when you start overthinking stuff, that's where you make a mistake. Just let it go organically, and just let it play out. That's killed a yeah, lot. Yeah, we'll get to it eventually in a couple of years. But you know, we do this angle, maybe into the next year, actually, where Jeff like strips him of his identity. And I think like we had initially like good intentions with this and like that, you know, we had a good payoff in mind, but other people like got involved and started throwing their two cents in. And it just, uh, it's like the worst thing we ever did in wild side. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that as we go along. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Lulu, that, that's classic last giving Lulu the lap dance. Hilarious. All right, uh, Ed Ferrara and Persephone come out next. And since she's done everything he asked her, and he meant everything, yes, everything, he will let her wrestle tonight, and she will wrestle Destiny, who is actually her friend. She doesn't want to wrestle her, but Ferrara tells her she will wrestle her, and she will do the job as well. Persephone gave Destiny a perfect plex in seconds and got the win, which pissed off Ferrara. So he punched her in the face multiple times, saying no one could save her. Goff then ran out, and Ferrara punched him in a mistake. So Goff beat Ferrara's ass with a steel chair, and Ferrara even juiced. Persephone then got the contract and ripped it up on top of Ferrara. What a segment this was, Dan. <laughs> um, it, kind of, it just seemed out of place. I know they were just tied up the loose ends, but it just kind of seemed out of place in what's going on here at this time. 
Well, you know, Ed, we wanted to throw him a bone. And if I recall, and Jeff may correct me, but I believe this was he and Bill's kind of big angle. And with mainly Ed driving the, the ship on this, because this is very Rousseauian, you know, and, in terms of execution and the weird hangups with women and all of that. Um, so I didn't love it. You know, I appreciate Ed coming out here and working hard and getting his ass beat by goth and getting juice and all of that. Like, uh, he was definitely out here performing fucking Hamlet, but, um, you know, content, it it didn't work for me, brother, but, but I like Ed all the same and appreciate how hard he worked to try to get the shit over. But Goff hadn't been doing anything of note, Jeff, and here he is involved in this whole thing. I have no idea why he was chosen to be in that thing and Dan's absolutely correct that this was something that Bill and Ed put together um man that first punch in the face he gives her is so startling in 2021 yes. where yes. you just go fuck <laughs> I mean I was like oh my I mean and then he gets down and he just starts beating her ass and it's not done in a wrestling way it's done in a domestic violence kind of way and it's it's a little unsettling i have to say i mean and it takes a lot to unsettle me as pretty obvious by this point but uh yeah that first punch in the face i, I mean i was kind of like oh my god but uh I don't know why Goth was chosen for that spot. Maybe Dan can elaborate on that because I would certainly like to know why as we get into that story coming up. So from what I recall, he was very vocal. He was a regular guy on Fridays and he was there every show and he was over with the crowd. So he, you know, like so many others that got over on Fridays was really just adamant that they deserved a spot on TV. And he basically begged Bill, you know, until Bill relented and said, okay, we'll put you in this spot. And I think Bill saw something in him. I mean, to be fair, the guy had size. Uh, he had a little charisma, but he was just, I, I didn't think overall, he just didn't have what we were looking for personally. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, he had size, absolutely. But uh, as we'll get into, uh, not a lot of staying power. So there you go. But yeah, this is interesting to watch in 2021 for sure. Good Lord. All right, so next we get two out of three falls. The Lost Boys against TNT. Third fall would be false cut anywhere if such a fall was to take place. And you know it would. What the hell can you say about these two teams? They went balls to the wall here with fast-paced offense and innovating spots that was ahead of their time. TNT won the first fall. Lost Boys quickly took the second fall. So, yes, it's time to brawl over the building, which is what everyone wanted. Gabriel climbed to the top of the stage, jumped off on TNT as the fans chanted, holy shit. Azrael then climbed on the cage. Todd shoved them off the top where he landed hard on a table. Tony powerbombed Gabriel in the cage, which knocked uh, Sexton off the top to the floor in a crazy-ass spot. TNT then hit the powder keg on the floor. But in the process, Stradlin seriously injured himself on the landing, with no one knowing at the time how serious it would be as he was helped out of the area. Yeah, he he hurt himself pretty fucking good here. It was a nasty-looking landing 
on his on on, uh, on this here. But uh, what can you say about this match, Dan? I mean, these these four guys just I mean they took it to each other. This is exactly what you would have wanted here. Yeah, what's hilarious is that he didn't even injure himself on that spot. Oh. He was actually on a fucking Austin. <laughs> that was when it was like, okay, we got to get him out of here. But he was actually on an acai moonsault in the ring. Oh. And you can see it on the video. It's It was a hilarious wild side story for many years. The second the injury happens, Tony, who was a very neurotic individual anyway, uh, screams at the top of his lungs, I don't have insurance! <laughs> Of course, I don't have insurance with something that was uttered for years to come after that <laughs> happened in that building. Uh, but yeah, that's it. that was where the injury actually happened was on the acai moonsault spot. But e- injury aside, what a fucking match that was. Oh, God, yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, these teams, like I said, just, just doing all kinds of innovative shit. And Jeff, see, if... If those dudes would have just took your advice and gave uh, their their social security number and their mother's main names, they could have had that insurance that you were promising these guys. I tell you what, that uh, where Azrael comes off that cage, that's actually it's not a table; it's just stacks of steel chairs oh, yeah. covered oh. with like black tar. I oh. mean, so he just landed on oh. metal. I mean, there's no table there. It's just all metal. I mean, those guys, I mean, they they had done some great stuff on TV, but to get this match on Fright Night, they absolutely went out there to steal the show, and they had a fucking great match. I I love this match. It's one of my favorites of their long series of matches, but uh, this one is wild as hell. Absolutely. So everybody go seek that out. Uh, this is just great stuff. All right. So next we get the Wild Safeway title match. Scotty Wren defending against Rick Michaels. These two had quite the start as they worked back and forth, and Wren even broke out a spinning head scissors. Wren really took it to Michaels here, beating him inside and outside the ring. They clobbered him with a chair before bringing a guardrail into the ring that Wren would backdrop him onto. Wren hit the super cool leg drop, but Michaels barely kicked out. Ren then laid the railing between the ropes, climbed up top, but Michaels nailed him with a chair, then hit a Russian leg sweep off the railing in a cool spot. Michaels then used the chair and guardrail to his advantage, really working over Ren, and it looked like Scotty was done for. Ren made a comeback, though, and had Michaels reeling before hitting referee Andrew Thomas by mistake. Uh-oh. Ren had Michaels ready to go out, but no referee until Speedy Nelson ran out and it was too late. Terry Knight showed up. He pulled Speedy Nelson out as Speedy was counting a Ren pinfall, so Scotty chased after Terry Knight with Michael soon to follow. So then Michaels comes back out with Scotty. They go back into the ring and he immediately pins him to win the match. It was obvious that it wasn't Scotty, but Andrew Thomas didn't see who it was. Count the fall. So Rick was the new champion. Clever finish for sure. Yeah. I mean, very clever finish. And, uh, Jeff, who was the face Scotty Wren? Uh, I think it was David Young. It makes sense because Terry's at the end. There you go. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, I think that was Bill's finish. I I didn't have anything to do with that. And uh, 
It, it actually worked, and you know, we we uh, continue to play off it as time goes forward with uh, it getting stuck up Rick's ass. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it was a good finish for the for the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And here we go. Dan Rick is now the Wild Side Heavyweight Champion. So uh, this is definitely going to start an interesting couple of months here for for old Rick. Well, you know, in the South, we love the chase. Um, the Northeast had always been more of a babyface champion territory where you put the guy that the people love on top and send a variety of challengers his way to deflect them. But in the South, we like that motherfucking heat, y'all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're going to put the belt on a heel. Uh, babyface champions are usually very short-lived, and that was the case here. And I do believe at this point the discussions and arguments were already underway to try to get the belt on AJ. We all saw where AJ was going. AJ Styles was not long for this world in Wildside because the rest of the world had now discovered him, and they wanted him, as one would expect and one would come to find out. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that he got that wild side title reign before he got snatched up again. Something he still had never done. And so if I'm not mistaken, the whole point of putting the belt on Rick was to get to AJ winning the belt. Though that did not come without some argument. Yeah, exactly. So we'll have more on that as we go along. But yeah, Rick gets the belt. All right, um, before the next match, Adam Jacobs was in the back with Jeff talking about his new note from his girl saying she loves him. And he isn't worried about Onyx. He has other needs to fill. Jeff wasn't so sure. She's trying to convince Adam to focus on Onyx. Which leads to... Wildside TV title match, Adam Jacobs defending against Onyx. Onyx attacked Jacobs as they came out from the curtain. Onyx is wearing a hockey mask, which is a cool touch because it's Fright Night. He's in his Jason mask. As Honest and Jacobs brawl around the ring, there's a big gift box all wrapped up sitting near the entrance. So that's something. Onyx starts out on fire here, taking to Jacobs, but of course Jacobs will fight back with help from Jeff and Big Biz. This becomes a full back and forth match. Jacobs had Onyx dead to rights, but he wants to open that box up. At that time of match, after hitting the Bulldog Jam, Jacobs opened the box and went inside the box, came out with his pants around his ankles then ran to the ring only to get DDT by Onyx for the pin. Onyx is now your new TV champion. And then Laz ran out of the box, attacking Big Biz and Jeff before hitting the Britney Spear on Jacobs. Fans went nuts. Laz then grabbed Jeff and Big Big's, Big Biz's dicks and loved them around. Todd Dem, excuse me, before hitting another Britney Spear on Jacobs, kissed him on the mouth, grinding on him. This was fantastic. Yes, it was, Jeff. This was fantastic. This was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> the the whole build up to this with the secret admirer and Adam, you know, being really in love and so enthralled with all of this and me trying to keep him focused. I mean, I, I loved all that stuff we got to do. I hadn't seen any of that stuff. And so you know, in the 15 or 20 years since I'd last watched this stuff. And uh, I was really pleased with how funny some of that stuff was. And, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with the gift box. And uh, No. <laughs> no, you can. You just have Dula coming out of it. So at least it was last, for, for Adam's sake. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, th- this was very effective, Dan. And uh, Laz, like I said, just was on a mega roll at this time. And uh, this only helped grow that. Yeah, I, if me and Jeff were, were pretty big components of this angle and the whole secret admirer thing. I do remember that. And so I was really happy with how all this came off um, better than we ever anticipated with the, the payoff with Adam getting pulled into the box and coming out with his pants around the ankles leading to the finish. Like everybody kind of knew the secret admirer was going to be Laz. We tried to kind of take them on some twists and turns in the journey, getting there to make you think that it wouldn't be sometimes the most obvious answer is the best answer. And that was the case with this angle. Um, and of course it leads to Adam and the whole like deeper angle of him questioning his sexuality after he gets (laughs) filleted by Laz in the, box which is what was implied of course and you know he has to go to therapy and all this other stuff because maybe he liked it and like you know all of that shit shit we probably couldn't get away no with now but hell. you know for the time oh my god it, it it really got over well um you know apologies to anybody that it might offend now i guess uh but i, I think for that for the stuff that Laz did, that was probably some of the least offensive stuff. <laughs> well, again, it's like we were saying. It's mind games. It's the mind games. And and you guys are playing mind games on the fans with, with, with all this, too. Not just, not just you know, Laz playing on the wrestlers, but also the fans are getting mind games played on them in this situation. But it, it's great. It, just tremendous stuff. I, I died on last stuff. Yeah, I mean, we we reference the psychological trauma that Adam has suffered multiple times through this. Like, look what you've done to this man and stuff. So, I mean, the revenge is coming. Yes. The, The baby faces are getting all the fucking payback here and uh you know as a manager i I mean my god over just this time frame i have done every single great thing you have to do to be a great professional wrestling manager from show your ass to take big bumps to get big heat to do money promos i mean this has been the most consistent period of my work since we started this podcast, I mean, it really has just been so solid. I'm, I'm so proud of, of everything that we've, we've gone through here. So uh, I just wanted to pat myself on the back. Uh, hey, real recognizes real. All right, so next we have a ladder match for the Wild Side Junior Way title. Jimmy Rave versus AJ Styles versus Jason Cross versus JC Daz. What can you fucking say about this match? These guys were simply amazing in what they did, both inside and outside the ring as they put it all out there for the fans that night. We even get the heels asking for chairs from the fans and they throw them into the ring with Daz slamming Rave on the chairs for you had a tornado DT by Cross on all the chairs. Then Styles did a wild dive on Cross who was on the chairs. The somersault by Cross into a Styles clash on the floor was insanity among all the other insane spots in this match. The ladder work was wild and crazy as was everyone hitting spots off the ladders, falling off like madmen. Cross tried to climb the ladder, but AJ launched a chair from the floor to the ring and nailed Cross right in the head, knocking him off, allowing Rave to climb the ladder to retrieve his belt. And he won the match, retained his title, and then Daz grabbed Rave after the match and shook his hand before hugging him. Amazing match. 
that's you know, and that's that that's the thing. These guys, this is this this is this era where we're not, you know, after the match, the the heels and babyfaces aren't showing their respect or whatever like that. But you got to hear from JC Daz and then this moment with Jimmy Rave, and that's a real moment right there that, that you see, and it's a very quick on camera because they cut it right as it's happening. But uh, what a fucking match, Jeff! I mean this this is one of the classic wild side matches right here. It's definitely one of the classic wild side matches. That's for sure. I was furious about what JC did. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> and it's so funny because the story that I was telling going into this match is how Jason and JC were going to work together. And that was going to be the story and shit. And then, of course, they just fought each other the whole match. And I was like... Why didn't you guys tell me you were going to do that stuff? And they were like, well, you might not have wanted us to, and it's what we wanted to do. (laughs) We just didn't tell you. And I was like, well, it all works, so it's fine. (laughs) But, you know, it certainly made me look stupid, all the promo talk. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm supposed to fucking look stupid. So it all works out beautifully. But they were just like, yeah, it just made more sense for us all to fight. And I was like, you're right. The match was great. You know, what what are you going to say when somebody achieves greatness? Oh, you should have done it my way, even though your way was great. No, you go. Wow, that was great. You were right. Oh, absolutely. And Dan, I mean, calling this match, I mean, it had to be a complete joy to watch these guys just go out there and, you know, pursue excellence. Oh, it absolutely was. And we knew when it was happening that we were seeing something great. And this match is actually one of the first matches that really put Wildside on the map Mm -hmm. with that tape trading smart mark community, which, you know, we we had gotten a little bit of love from. But this was the match that started getting Wildside traded all across the world uh, in terms of like you have to check out these matches you have to it was on the early aj comps and the early jimmy rave comps that were going around um and it's a match that both i heard aj and jimmy later in their careers i won't say shit on but kind of downplay because as you get older in the business and you learn psychology and you learn the quote unquote right and wrong way to do things you lose some of that youthful risk-taking that you have. And these guys, maybe they didn't know what they didn't know, but they just put it all on the fucking line in this match. Every bit of their souls were out there for us to see. And that's why it was something special. And it will live on forever. And on top of all of that, it is one of Jimmy Rave's most perfect crowning moments in Wildside. So to see the joy that he got winning that match and then the finish and all of that, like really it, it warmed my heart given all of the circumstances to, to get to revisit that really special moment in all of our lives. Absolutely. So this is, a, and again, this is airing on TV as you guys are in the, on in New York and Philadelphia. So bam. I mean, you're in those major markets, and that's going to make it easier for people to 
record it and trade it around. So, what perfect timing in that way. Absolutely. Classic. So now we have the main event. Yeah, that wasn't even the main event of the show. Four Corners of Pain for the Wild Side Tag Titles. Blackout defending against Project Mayhem. Now, if you watch the version of this on IWTV, this match is not on there. The uh, file ends after the ladder match. But this match is on YouTube. So if you want to watch this match... You can find it on YouTube. It's on there. It's in two parts. But, um, yeah, for some reason, it's not on IWTV. I don't know. All right, so um, each side of the ring, there's a weapon hanging from a pole, which the stop sign that was which had the stop sign that was hanging from one pole dropped as Project Mayhem made their entrance, which was hilarious. Nothing fancy here. Just four men beating every other shit out of each other, and it was glorious. Trash was bleeding buckets, to which Dan Wilson said he looked like a Jeffrey Dahmer victim. Barbed wire bats, thumbtacks, stop signs, and Tank's special bag was hanging on poles, and these weapons came into play early and often. Referee Andrew Thomas couldn't believe what he was seeing and vomited in the rain to sell the violence. There was so much violence going on here that it did kind of look like a war zone, as Prazak said on commentary. Fans didn't know how to react to a lot of this. They were just stunned watching these men destroy each other. Tank hit his big emerald frozen on Rain Man to get the win in a wild-ass spectacle. And, yeah, Dan, I mean, this is if, if this is what you wanted from these guys. And these guys bled and bled and just killed each other here. The proverbial three-ring circus of wrestling, folks. You get the great five-star ladder match right before this with all the crazy high spots, and here you get just some good old-fashioned blood and fucking guts. <laughs> um, it was not on the IWTV release, and Bill said that was unintentional. It was just when the tape ended, and uh, he did not mean to cut it off of there. Uh, we kind of had words about it. He apologized. was like, no, I didn't mean to cut it off. And he said he was going to send a corrected version to them, whether he did or whether they posted it. I don't guess so, because I also had to, to locate this on YouTube and watch it, but it was great revisiting. I know all of these guys were super proud of this match. It's probably the career highlight for Trash. He still talks about it. He's retired and now, you know, in the world of sports radio, but he still talks about this match to this day. Um, all these guys really put it all out there. Of course, the sickle is revealed mm -hmm. as the mysterious object that Tank was hiding in the blue bag. Uh, another shout out to Mr. Pogo there, which he still uses the sickle to this day. We actually brought it back for this run. So um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. definitely still paying tribute to Wildside in 2021 and 2022. Absolutely. Jeff, you had no skin in the game in this match, so you're able to watch this as a fan more more than anything else. So what were your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, you know, this is certainly my kind of match, the thing that, that I really like. And I was really excited that we were doing a Four Corners of Pain. I mean, it was one of those things that um, Bill wasn't really keen on doing, but, uh, you know, allowed us to do this and have it. And it being Fright Night, you know, I could usually try and convince him that, hey, we need a horror match. It's Fright Night. And uh, we, we got to have that. And, and all four of those guys went out there 
and just delivered so hard. I mean, they beat the shit out of each other. They all bled like crazy. I mean, the the genuine joy of white trash and tank winning. I mean, there's a photograph of trash just clutching the belt with that, you know, fully painted crimson mask he's got. I mean, there was just some genuine joy about that match. I mean, for all four guys where they knew, you know, they went out there and followed that fucking ladder match and delivered what they were supposed to deliver in a blood and guts match. And, uh, you know, just really strong show overall. I think this was a, a great show that we were all really excited about. Oh yeah, tremendous show as an overall presentation. Absolutely, Friday two thousand one, a must see. If you want to see, uh, like like Dan said, the full circus of professional wrestling, definitely check it out. All right, uh, October twenty second. The only major injury for Friday night was Tony Stradlin's uh, torn ACL, and he's only be out for six weeks. It wasn't an ACL. It was a show. It was not. No, that was mis. That was misreported, and like we ran with it too, because like I, I didn't know anything about fucking sports injuries. Like I was like, I thought the ACL was in a knee, but sure, it was the AC joint in his shoulder, yeah, not the ACL. Yes, AC joint, and not AC jazz, but or JC Daz. JC Daz. Larry Zabisco had the AC jazz injury, but but yeah, the. Yeah, I mean, the fact that y'all escaped that show with all that wild and crazy shit and only had that, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a testament to those guys, that they were able to uh, do all the wild and crazy shit they did, and that was the only major injury from, from the show. So, there you go. All right, October 25th. This is off on the Wildside website. Iceberg Slim, who's taking a position at Wildside as the enforcer for Jeff G. Bailey, just returned from Japan a tour on Wing, where he pinned their hardcore legend, Mr. Pogo, which we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, Rip Michaels, AJ Styles, Jason Cross, Lost Boys, Homicide, and Jimmy Raven, G. Raider are scheduled to appear for Burt Prentice and Mike Porter's USA Main Event Wrestling at the Fairgrounds in Nashville on November 9th. NWA Vice President Bill Barron also made, plans to make an appearance at the show, as does Jeff G. Bailey. Jeff, what, what was those Nashville shows like back then? It was fantastic. I absolutely... Loved working in Nashville because Nashville was a regular stop for the Memphis Territory. They had built the fairgrounds for Memphis wrestling. So, I mean, the first time I got to wrestle there, I was as excited as anything I've ever done. And, um, you know, the fact that Bert had other managers that paid him to be on his shows and he paid me and put me up in a hotel room when I came down there and worked, I thought was just an incredible honor. Like he respected my work as a manager, or at least that's what I chose to believe. And, uh, I mean, I loved working in Nashville and it was, it was an even more old school crowd than Cornelia. I mean, you could do the littlest stuff and get an instant huge reaction. So, uh, it was also a learning experience for, um, how to work in front of a different crowd because it is different in Tennessee and, uh, man, it was great. I loved every minute that I ever worked in Nashville. 
And I believe you managed Adam against Jimmy Rave on that show, if I'm not mistaken. I was on that show as well. I believe that was the Tojo Yamamoto Memorial event. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that was the match. And Dan, yeah, Nashville, I mean, classic wrestling town. And as Jeff said, it's always great to get out there and get into this this new scene. And it helps make yourself even more of a well-rounded performer. Yeah, I learned a lot in Nashville as well. Like Jeff said, it's a different audience, different style. I mean, you know, Bert would have me like stay after and film promos for his TV and shit. Um, I was a bit much for the Nashville crowd as an announcer. Like they wanted to heal on me really bad uh, because, I, you know, I wasn't a traditional. I didn't come out with just a suit and tie. You were Michael St. Like, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like MTV VJ ring announcer, yeah. you know. So I had like these fashionable shirts and the crazy hair and shit. And I even would wear these like glasses with the flames on the side of them. And I remember yes. the Nashville crowd would heckle me and call me Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a fucking blast. I wouldn't trade those memories for anything. On those shows, we got to work with fucking Marvel superhero Dave Bautista, John Cena, Randy Orton, and a whole lot more. It was pretty fucking wild. Yeah, because they had the Bird had to deal with uh, Cornette and OVW at times. So, yeah. Fun times. Fun times, absolutely. All right. We were also both in Nashville when Jim Cornette spit on Ed Ferrara. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. What a moment that was. <laughs> uh, KSTC TV 45 Minneapolis moved Wildside to Saturdays at 2 p.m. as a lead out to a local wrestling show. Both shows will move to late night time periods within the next few months. So Wildside getting a better time slot in Minneapolis, although not for long. All right. So October 27th TV. We have the skit, which we kind of talked about on the show a couple times already where Jeff and Big Biz went over everything they were going to do with the young talent, saying they won their social security numbers and their mother's main names so they could become big stars. Well, G-Rated was excited to do it. Cooter Calhoun, though, is dubious. <laughs> Again, G-Rated is so great in this whole thing. And, yeah, just classic. They're great. My, my, my favorite part is Cooter? I don't know. Maybe that's the overalls. You know, I put G-rated over. Like, guys, you're doing fantastic. Cooter, I don't know. Maybe you need to ditch the overalls. And Biz is doing his director thing with his fingers, <laughs> looking at Cooter and stuff. It's cracking me up, man. That guy's funny as shit. <laughs> yeah, it's classic. Also on TV, we get Jeff and Big Biz complaining about the events from Friday Night in the Ring after the show was over. And Bailey said that Big Biz did nothing to help him from being embarrassed. Bailey said that Biz has get it together. Yeah, I love the stuff that y'all did uh, after the show where Dan, uh, Dan, you and Steve did your wraparounds. Jeff, you and Big Biz did the whole thing. Where all the shit is still in the ring from the uh, Four Corners of Death match. And it, it really sells everything on, on sells everyone on what happened on that show, all this carnage that happened because everything laying in the ring is you're disgusted at what's going what happened. Yeah, yeah I have to right. give credit to Andrew ahead, for all of that. He was the one that really set all of that up. He was always Johnny on the spot with like, Oh, we need to film this. Yeah. I right, go ahead, Jeff. 
Oh, I was just going to say that that stuff that me and Biz did, it was it was so much fun because I've really started like he keeps making mistakes and I just keep blaming him for everything. And I start berating him. I know there was one earlier where I just called him into the shot and just yelled at him and told him to just stand there while I finished the promo and stuff. And then I'm yelling at him. It's like your briefcase was involved. How did it get involved? (laughs) It was a lot of fun. I had so much fun with him. And I remember, you know, thinking, Oh no, somebody's coming in to join me. And uh, it just turned out to be so amazing. I loved all the stuff we got to do together. It's just, he just makes those faces and stuff throughout the stuff that I'm saying that just cracks me up. Oh yeah. He was hilarious. All right. Um, now let's talk about the globe theater show. And promotional torch has this. NWA Wildside's heavily promoted show at the Globe Theater in Atlanta, Georgia drew a dismal turnout despite heavily promoting the show. However, Wildside is planning to run at least one more show in the building. Tommy Rich no-showed the show without explanation. Wildside promoter Bill Barron told the torch that Tommy spoke with New Jack on the day of the show and gave no indication that he wouldn't be appearing. I won't book Tommy anymore, Barron's added. <coughs> but here are results. Mr. Delicious, J.C. North, and Cooter Calhoun went to a no contest. When Iceberg came out, destroyed Cooter and then Crew Jones. Mourn him later. As Mr. Delicious snuck away, as only he can. Slim J and Mike Pittman beat G-Rated. Jimmy Ray beat Jason Cross to retain the junior title. Blackout defeated Todd Sexton and Sweet Dreams. The Lost Boys beat Jeremy Lopez and Tony Mamaluke. Onyx beat Adam Jacobs and David Young in a three-way to keep the TV title. Rick Michaels and Terry Knight, Bad Attitude, defeated Project Mayhem by disqualification, and New Jack beat Iceberg, subbing for Tommy Rich. All right, Dan, so what are your memories of Tommy Rich in this situation here? Well, there weren't any because he didn't show up. But but, 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 I mean, I'm saying, I mean, but but I'm saying, is there, was a reason ever given afterwards or did you hear anything about what happened or what's, what's, what's the deal here? And maybe Tommy said that some other promoter told him not to show up, that he wasn't going to get paid or some shit. It seems to be the rumor I heard. That was never confirmed. It was just a no call, no show. And we vamped on the fly and uh, Iceberg and New Jack could do a easy brawl and bleed. So that that's what we went with. Whew, those shows were a fucking disaster, man. Yeah, it seemed like they were cursed in a way. Um, Tommy was, and this is Tommy, I mean, he's still going through his issues at this time as well, so that could have played a part in it, but yeah, I mean, I could see New Jack being pissed off at him, Jeff, or uh, talking to him on the phone and not telling him he wasn't going to show up. Yeah, um, it's so weird because all these globe shows kind of blend together. Cause I don't know if we did three, maybe four of these things. And I mean, none of them ever did well. And, uh, we had new Jack on at least two. And I think on both of those, maybe not on this one. I know another one, he was just in a fucking bad mood, 
this one I think he was okay. I really don't even remember the match with him and Iceberg. I think they fought around the building, so I probably just stayed <laughs> out everything that they did. I will assume I managed Jason in his match and Adam in his, but I have zero recollection of this particular Globe show other than, you know, me and Dan had put up a ton of posters and and all kind of stuff, hoping that we would do better than we did. Well, that, It was a disappointment. That brings up an interesting question, Dan. All right, so when you guys go in somewhere like this into downtown Atlanta and you're going to poster the, poster the area, do you stay in that direct vicinity or how far out do you guys go to, to poster this? We did it all. I mean, as as far as like, uh, of course, the immediate focus was the direct vicinity. And then we would go out. I took Norco would help me go out and we went to little five points. And, you know, we just tried to hit like all of the high traffic areas in the city. Uh, but I guess there just wasn't much of a market for what we were selling at the time. Or they just didn't want to come to the Globe Theater. Regardless, nobody showed up. Jeff, do you remember cutting that promo on Tommy where you said? <laughs> oh, my God, no. What the hell did I say? <laughs> well, oh, Jack yeah. told you. New Jack told you to go out there and bury him under fucking ground. And if you Ooh. didn't, he was going to beat your ass. <laughs> You buried Tommy under fucking ground. You said that he was out at, I think you used Piedmont Park again, saying that he was like sucking dick for crack rock or some shit. Like, it was rough. It was brutal. God, I don't remember a word of that. But if New Jack said he was going to beat my ass, and you better believe I went out there and said the worst shit I could think of about Tommy Rich. Absolutely, shit. No, nothing. Holy nothing shit. is off limits in that. Holy shit! Thank you, Dan. I had completely forgotten that it ever happened. That's amazing. Wow. What is? Yeah, and, and by the way, I love Tommy Rich, so I just you know let me say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean it, it was it was a bad situation, and you know when New Jack tells you to do something like that, you're gonna do it. <laughs> you don't want to face his wrath, believe me. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So, that, wow, that is so wow, great and, stuff. Find the damn tape of that now. Yeah, Atlanta's tough. It's every group that's tried to run Atlanta on a regular basis has had it tough because, especially in the recent years, because Atlanta has just so much going on that there's so much that people can do option wise that you really have to be um, at your best as a promoter to run Atlanta successfully to try to have some type of consistent good house and to have a fan base. It's much easier to run the suburbs than, than, than midtown downtown Atlanta. It's just too, it's too much going on. You know, it really is. It's tough. And so, and a lot of tried, but it just hasn't worked out for various reasons. All right. October 30th, 2001. AJ Styles was eliminated from the King of Indies Tournament in California when he lost the rematch against Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels in the quarterfinals. 
Both men received a standing ovation after the match. Daniels was the winner of the 2000 King of the Andes. Both men are booked for Florida-based XWF tapings in Universal Studios on November 13th and 14th, where it's likely they'll be matched up again. Each now holds a pinfall victory. Styles eliminated Jardy France in a first-round match using the Styles Clash to set up the pinfall. King of the Indies. I mean, talk about changing the the game in indie wrestling. That that tournament changed it in so many ways because Ring of Honor basically was spawned off of this. You had these guys that coming from around the country meeting up and wrestling each other a lot for the first time. I mean, this is this gets so much exposure for so many different people, and AJ's definitely one of them that benefited heavily from this. So, uh, yeah, King and Indy is a hell of a hell of a moment in any wrestling history, that's for sure. And any reason why Daniels wasn't brought in the Wild Side in this era for a shot? Anybody know anything about why that didn't happen? He comes Money in and logistics. Go ahead. <laughs> he comes in for a hardcore hell. Yes, uh, later on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he was a California guy. He ain't flying somebody for fucking. <laughs> California. You insane? <laughs> yeah, at this point in time, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> not, not, yeah, but it would have been interesting to see him in the building, you know, and having a match with AJ and AJ's home promotion because they wrestled at other places. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, again, quite the, quite the moment here in any wrestling history. Uh, Wildside has moved to Sundays at 8 on Dallas Station KLDT TV, Channel 55 in Dallas. So there you go. 8 o'clock time slot on Sunday. Not bad. All right, Halloween. Scotty Wren has gone from Wildside. Reasons unknown. Which leads us to November the 1st. Interview Wildside, Rick Michaels posted a challenge to former champion Scotty Wren on the Wildside.com message board. Michaels defeated Ren for the title on August 20th in Fright Night and was scheduled for a match against Ren in the Globe Theater on the 27th. Ren was not the show. In response to a post asking where Scotty Ren was, Rip Michaels wrote, You know, I have been asking that too. After I beat him in Fright Night, he ran to the back and no one has seen him since. But I'm sure he'll be there Saturday at TV taping. I'm willing to give him a rematch. Tick, 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 LOL. Rip Michaels, four-time NWA World Tag Champion, two-time NWA George Heavyweight Champion. Scotty Rim was unavailable for comment. And this is it for Scotty Rim at this point in time. So, any memories of what happened here? Why he left at this point? Man, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it might have been a disagreement over booking. It, it might have just, again, been something non-wrestling related. I'm I'm not really sure, Jeff. Do you have any? Because I, I do notice that Scotty disappears here for a while. But I, I don't recall why that was. I don't have any idea. That's why I was waiting on you to answer the question, because I thought you might. But I don't know. It's weird because, I mean, you do this angle where the title changes hands, where he doesn't get pinned. And then he's not around for any type of rematch or, you know, come up as for Rick off of this. So it happens and then that's it. Yeah, maybe Bill will send us a message about this one because yeah. I'm perplexed about this. I really don't have any recollection at all. Yeah, just just weird how all that played out. But anyway. All right, November 3rd at the, in, in CW Arena. 
for the TV taping. This sh- the TV started with Jeff G. Bailey pissed off at Golf in the ring, talking about how he was pissed off that Golf destroyed his visionary Ed Ferrar at Fright Night. Bailey said Ferrar was suffering from post concussion syndrome. Fans cheer for that. Bailey then said that Golf was messing with the wrong people, which prompted Golf to choke Jeff. So Iceberg attacked him and cut him up, although it was censored on television. The censoring was definitely overboard here, but it was effective, I guess. And Bailey was again orgasmic watching the carnage. They got Golf on a stretcher and tried to carry him out. Iceberg ran back out, jumped on the stretcher in a great spot, with Bailey even more orgasmic with each act of violence. Alright, Dan, I'm going to you first. The censoring here. Was that intentionally done to go overboard, or what's up with this? Because this was way too much. Oh, yeah, I thought so, too. I, I believe that was Steve's big deal. Like, oh, we need to censor it, or maybe, or maybe even Bill suggested it. But it was like for TV that it was too graphic, which I disagreed. And I, if I recall, Jeff and I both were not really happy with the way that turned out because it was, I mean, it it was so brutal on the tape. And, and the censoring, like a little bit of it, maybe, but... I guess it's a different time, but fuck. I mean, we've seen worse than that on NWA TV, and it ain't the 80s no more. So I don't know why they fucking did it. I, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you're, what, what's up with this? What, what are your thoughts on this? Um, First of all, obviously, I didn't fucking like it at all. I mean, we'll just start with everything. First of all, I was fucking pissed off that fucking Goth's color was fucking shit. Yes. Like that fucking pissed me the fuck off um i think some of that censoring was steve didn't like some of the stuff i was saying probably some anti-religious shit or something <laughs> yeah I, I, there's probably something in there i uh i think i said making cry like the mother of a molested child <laughs> yeah there was stuff you said that i that was like wow <laughs> which 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 he cut, you know, I mean, um, I mean, I went off like he's a nothing and nobody, a loser. You don't want to see his lungs come out of his mouth. <laughs> um, the, the great thing about all of that is nobody except for me, Iceberg and Andrew knew that we were splashing him on that stretcher. Oh, wow. That did he. So God didn't even know. No, he didn't. <laughs> you can watch Andrew watching for it coming and knowing exactly when to let go of the thing because he knows it's coming. And I mean, if you go back and watch that stuff, Iceberg's knees never touch the ground. And I mean, I'm so excited by that shit out there. I mean, when when we get up on the ramp and he's still moving, <laughs> another one, and Iceberg runs down the ramp and just jumps on top of him. I mean, he don't put his knees down. He just lays flat on top of him. I mean, I wanted him to kill him because his fucking color was shit. I was so enraged about that shit and uh but that segment is one of those things that like my memory of it was it's so great and then we watch it on the tv 
and it's so cut up that it, you lose a lot of the impact. But you get all that stuff on the floor at the end, which is really just so over the top brutal. I mean, it really is above and beyond. I mean, just putting a motherfucker down. Oh, yeah, it was violent. It was violent for sure, but uh, yeah, and that's yeah, that's that was the thing about the censoring is that golf hardly had any color, and the fact that you're censoring is because of the blood, but there's not a lot of blood there, so I mean, it's it was silly. It came off as silly in that regard, but still, you were great. Not to kiss your ass or anything, but you were great in that segment. So there you go. All right. Uh, it- Kissing my ass to tell me I'm gray. <laughs> the Redneck Express. Cooter Cahoon and Big Henry Haas up against Kevin Harden and Johnny Psycho. Interesting these guys get TV time, but the match is fine and a way to spotlight some different guys, especially the Redneck Express, who gets the win after big top rope elbow by Big Henry Haas. Yeah, Jeff, uh, Cooter and Big Henry are getting some some, some run here in uh, the end of the year, 2001. Well, I mean, if you're going to have an underneath tag team that everybody beats, you got to give them a win over somebody at some point to keep them viable. And uh, that's what the Redneck Express were. I mean, and they were competent, but uh, they weren't the Lost Boys. (laughs) No, no. And and that's the thing that's, you know, been kind of missing in wrestling over the years, recent years, Dan, is... Is that, you know, you know, you have these guys say, yeah, they, you know, are undercard guys, but they can also win matches too, you know, against other undercard acts to keep them credible, you know? Oh, yeah. Wrestling gets so bad about sticking its head up its own fucking ass and getting in the same formula over and over and over and over again, forgetting that, you know, it's up and down the card. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll have more on the Redneck Express as we go along. All right, Jeff and Big Biz came out again with Jeff holding the Wallace Heavyweight title, saying there has been some controversy regarding the title change of Friday Night when Rick Michaels beating Scotty Wren. Michaels showed up wearing quite the 2001 silver suit, and Jeff congratulated Rick for winning clearly, clearly and cleanly at Fright Night with Andrew Thomas co-signing it. Rick wants another match with Wren to prove to everyone that he is a true champion, so Jeff made the match for next week on television. Rick in this era has has uh, quite the look here. It's like he's combined uh, the franchise Shane Douglas and Triple H into one look here. <laughs> I guess this is his his uh, his champion look, his singles champion look, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> and well, yeah, in this silver suit, yes, it's very very two thousand and one. Absolutely. All right. Kid actually beat Slim J in a non-TV match. Mr. Delicious J.C. North beat Mike Pittman in a non-televised match. Hold on, Chris. We got to take a second to talk about Andrew in that segment. I oh, mean, okay. Andrew was was fabulous. I mean, this is some true classic buffoonery of it's obvious to everyone that Rick has pinned somebody different, and me and Andrew go out there as sincerely as possible and go, oh no, we looked at the tape. Um, we uh, saw that was absolutely Scotty Rand and. Andrew's like, yep, that was Scotty Wren, no doubt about it. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I yeah. just, 
I love anytime we have Andrew out there performing because he's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, as a heel referee, oh, he was tremendous in that role. And, and, and doing the little things, too, you know, during the match. I mean, yeah, very, very solid in that role. Absolutely. So, yeah, can't slip on Andrew performance here. All right, so last gets Adam Jacobs. Big grudge match now. Last got some love in from Andrew Thomas for the match, much to Thomas's dismay. And then Adam Jacobs came out wearing a shirt that said Big Rod on it, <laughs> which should only excite Laz more. So not the best of strategy. Match doesn't last long before JC Daz and Iceberg came out, destroyed Laz. As Bailey said that Laz can't do his gay shenanigans with top stars, that he will die tonight. Unlike his namesake Lazarus, he won't rise from the dead. Bailey said the days of selling his ass at Piedmont Park are now over, and it's time for him to die. Bailey continued to be orgasmic as Laz got splashed numerous times by Iceberg. There you go. Laz did all that shit to embarrass Adam Jacobs, and here's the payback. Just that simple. Hey, getting all that heat back that we lost at Fright Night. We established Iceberg as a force and a threat to everyone. You know, Adam and JC are out there trying to get theirs, and I'm trying to turn Berg loose like, <laughs> fuck y'all's drop kicks and shit. <laughs> I'm trying to turn Iceberg loose on this motherfucker. <laughs> got, got to bust out the real power and real violence soundbite, the, the foot on the throat. Don't you come back to my building? I mean, it was some super heated, you know, hate-fueled shit. Oh, it's, it's great. It's great. Absolutely. It's the it's the, the heel revenge. Yes, indeed. All right, next we get Wildside Tag Titles. Project Mayhem defending against the Lost Boys. This interesting matchup. Scott Hudson was here the, that night and joined Dan on commentary, and they were shocked at Tank and White Trash working holds and using proper double teams like an actual tag team. Azrael's bump off the White Trash drop kit was something as he landed hard in the back of his head. Lost Boys got control, worked over trash for a tank, made a four-way brawl until Rick, Michaels, and Terry Knight ran out for the DQ. Rick and Terry destroyed the champs and laid the belts on top of them. Then Project Mayhem cut a promo outside the building, promised their revenge on Bad Attitude, and Terry Knight would burn again. Because, yes, remember, White Trash burned Terry Knight. Trash also talks about how he hasn't forgotten about Rip Michaels hurting him earlier in the year, so they want them all. Dan, this, I mean, yeah, th th that's the thing about this match. I, you know, trying to make him lost, boys, you're thinking, okay, you know, we're going to, you know, see some brawling and stuff. Oh, no. Tank and White Trash showing off their wrestling skill early in the match. And uh, I thought this was well done. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, and that was Tank and Trash's big idea. It was like, hey, what if we go out here with these guys and just like trade holds and show we can wrestle just to throw everybody off because it's Project Mayhem against the Lost Boys and they expect blood and carnage. And we just did blood and carnage. Let's not fucking do that this week. Um, and, and then like Babyface, Babyface, I think it was the perfect decision. It, it actually ended up being a lot of fun and leads to, uh, to set up this big four-way tag match that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And I love the promo at the end, tying in the whole history between White Trash and Rick and Terry. That's what you're supposed to do. You know? 
Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a great thing about Wildside and really any territorial wrestling, but we try to keep that vibe going, is that they have these long, ongoing stories that you can reference and go back to, and uh, it really just makes the whole thing a much more rich tapestry. Absolutely. All right, Wildside Junior Heavyweight title, Jimmy Ray defending against Jeremy Lopez. This match is split over two weeks of television. It's a very strong back-and-forth match as expected between these two at this time. Lopez inverted Tarantula on Raven the Rose looked wild, even if it didn't last long. Lopez then healed it up, grabbing the sign from a fan and shoving it in Ray's mouth. Rave dumped the Lopez clothesline for Andrew Thomas to eat it before seeing Jeff and Big Biz show up. Jerlo pulled the chain out of his bag, and then Rave got it and KO'd Lopez with the chain, where Andrew Thomas kept the two, but stopped and fell backwards. I'm telling you, great heel stuff. Jimmy hit the gravity killer and talked shit to Big Biz, which allowed Lopez to sneak behind him, DDT'd him on the belt to win the match. JC Daz attacked Rave after the match, laid him out with Northern Lights Bomb on the briefcase. We got a promo from Jerlo after the match talking about all the tours Japan and grinding has paid off and that no one will take the belt away from him. And uh, Jeff, this is Jeremy Lopez's big moment here on Wildside, winning the Wildside Junior Boy title. And uh, yeah, I mean, everything worked out great here. Match was good, the angle was good. So, uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, much like uh, G-rated, looking back on this stuff, Jeremy Lopez is one of those guys that I may have not thought as much about at the time, but uh, re-watching this stuff, I've enjoyed everything he's done, and uh, with him becoming the junior heavyweight champion and the stuff that they're going to be doing going forward, it's all really good as well. So, uh, yeah, this this was a guy that uh, I wasn't that familiar with when he came in and stuff, and uh he definitely uh, has added to the wrestling end of these shows. I mean, he's a guy, uh, much like Tony Mamalu, that uh, guys get better by being in the ring wrestling. And he, he had that sleazy mustache, too. <laughs> that made him more. He did. <laughs> oh, what a sleazy look he had that time. Good God Almighty. But yeah, Dan, uh, what were your thoughts on, on this? Jerlo win the title. This was a a pivotal moment in the junior heavyweight division. Jimmy had won the title from Caprice back at Freedom Fight and the culmination of their big match. Um, Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was the first time he'd won the junior heavyweight title. We flopped it around. Then he won the ladder match at Fright Night that we just talked about to really cement it. So Jimmy had been the face of the junior heavyweight division since we built it up over for the last year, probably. And so Jeremy beating him here was a big moment both for him as a performer and as a heel character. Um, And he really got to run with it. His whole gimmick was, you know, I'm big in Japan. And that got him so much fucking heat from the crowd. He would wear his Ribera jacket out. Oh, yeah. And it was, you know, very much played toward that smart mark crowd who would know what that is. And that was a big deal toward. It worked out like a fucking million bucks. And like Jeff said, Lopez was a great asset to the company. Um, he, he was another Malenko trainee. He was also another guy who resided at the Canyon compound and, so, you know, brought a wealth of knowledge and was just, uh, this is the start of a really great heel run for him. Absolutely. All right. Rip Michaels came out next for the match against Scotty Wren. Scotty's music playing and everything, but of course he doesn't show up. This would have been more effective at the wild side website. Didn't post that Wren was gone from wild side days earlier. Big, yeah, that's that was a mistake. 
I mean, so Halloween, you post that he's he's done with the company, basically. And then four days later, you do this angle. So there's there's some something not right here. Something not meshing between the website and the, the show. Oops. Uh, Thomas counted that rim, but Styles showed up wanting a fight. Michael said Styles was a cruiserweight, not a heavyweight. He can't even win that belt. Then he talked about AJ going to California for King of the Indies. He couldn't win that, so he's a loser. He needs to prove himself. AJ decked Michaels and said that he would take him to school, but Bailey came out and told Michaels to calm down and leave, then told AJ he has to beat Jason Cross later to get a shot at the title. Well, Jeff, here's the big angle shot here to uh, get AJ and Rick ready for uh, Christmas chaos. And better yet, get AJ and Jason in the ring again. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Obviously, <laughs> I look forward to that. Can't go wrong with that. All right, so next we get it. Lance Dreamer against Todd Sexton in a babyface match. Really good match. Lots of back and forth action. Dreamer got the surprise pinfall and inside cradle. Both men shook hands after the match as the fans applauded. Absolutely good, good babyface match. And yeah, these these two guys would uh, bond over this match, so to speak. So we'll talk about that more as we go along. All right, Caprice Coleman and Rain Man was next. Fun seeing Rain Man get a singles match here against Caprice. And it's a brawl at the bell. Caprice's springboard moonsault from the apron to the floor on both members of Blackout was insane. What height he got. Both men looked good, Gosh. especially with the strikes, and of course Caprice with his high flying. Homicide jumped in the ring arguing with Andrew Thomas, and Homicide threw him down. Caprice struck kicked Homicide. Caprice hit a big jumping run off the top, but Homicide pulled him to the floor. Caprice would get back in the ring and threw Rayman to the ropes. Well, Homicide tripped him up by mistake, and Caprice put Rayman away to get the win. Yeah, it was good seeing Rainman get the singles match, and you know we get the old heel tag team partner costing the other partner the match. So uh, good stuff here between these two guys. I thought Dan. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, Rainman is one of my favorite people in the world, and you know, it's, as far as a performer in Wildside, was always happy to see him both in a singles or a tag. I mean, Murder One's a great worker, Homicide. Now, that's, it's clear that we make that distinction once yes, again for fans yes. who may not be familiar. Homicide from the Northeast, the more well-known Homicide is not who we're referring to here. No. We're referring to Murder One, who has a hell of a career on his own in the South, um, and, and did some other stuff. You know, he was on the Urban Wrestling Federation, and he was in Smoky Mountain as part of New Jack's Posse, etc. Uh, but... The, not the same homicide that you're probably thinking of. So just want to clarify that rain man would go on to be ring of honor, tag team champion, Corey Chavis. But uh, at the time was known as rain man. Great to see him here in a singles and just a little taste of what he would later accomplish as a singles, but blackout still in the throes of their prime here. Absolutely. And, uh, the unstableness of homicide is just not getting started as well. So we'll have more on that in a second. Alright, uh, Wildside TV title match. Onyx defending against Kevin Northcutt. Northcutt's the current NWA Texas Heavyweight Champion getting a big shot here. Northcutt towered over Onyx and made fun of him being so short. But Onyx wasn't phased. It took the battle of Northcutt. Didn't last long, though. Northcutt started dominating Onyx and to his credit, still put up a fight. Onyx eventually hit the back blackout DDT on Northcutt, but the Elite came out and they all attacked Onyx with Northcutt joining for good measure. Bailey then pulled out a cup of piss and put it on Onyx's face. Mmm. Iceberg was about to splash Onyx and waited for Jimmy Ray the Lance Dreamer to hit their cue for the run-in, so it came off as too long. That's only, that was the only thing about this. Yeah, that, uh, 
Berg was just standing there, standing there, standing there, and it goes finally Jimmy and Lance showed up. So there you go. But Kevin Northcutt here, uh Jeff, uh big dude, and uh I thought I thought this was an effective segment to get everything going on. Yeah, I like Kevin Northcutt. He was a good dude. He was big, he was good. Um you may be surprised by this, but uh I didn't I didn't want to do that fucking thing where I poured the piss in Onyx's face, like because he wasn't gonna get back over on me with I mean like it should have stood with him just throwing the piss in my face, I always thought. But they wanted to do that. And so I did it. But that that definitely wasn't my idea. I thought Onyx should have stayed over on me with the piss instead of me getting piss back on him. But uh that's what we did. That's interesting. And and I get where you're coming from on that too. I mean why why do that as a revenge, let that settle, you know, let that set in as him doing it to you. You don't have to come back and do the exact same thing to him. Right. So I get, yeah, I didn't think that made any sense, but that's what they wanted. Well, that's pro wrestling logic. You know, do, do do that same thing to the heat, to the baby face that the heel did to him. So it happens too much. All right. Jason Cross and AJ Styles. This was billed as their grand finale, the blow off of the feud and heavy comparisons made on commentary to the Eddie Guerrero de Malenko feud from 1995 ECW. Then you throw in the fact that Styles won, he got the shot at the Wild Safeway title. Makes it even more important. What can you say about these guys and their matches that has already been said? They tore the house down with so many high-impact flying moves, plus scores was like watching mirror images of, against each other, because these guys were basically wrestling twins. It's like that Spider-Man meme you see on, all the time on social media. Styles gets some really close near falls, but he just can't put Cross away. Cross is one of the best frog splashes you'll ever see in your life, flying completely across the ring and nuking Styles on the landing. Styles came back with an amazing shooting Styles press from the top rope to the floor. Just insane. Styles blocked the top rope, brought him by Cross, who a super Styles clash, but again, he couldn't put Cross away as he got hit full on the ropes. Andrew Thomas got bumped after taking a double super kick. Styles went for another super Styles clash, but Rick Michaels ran out, hit AJ with a belt, and Cross got the win in a controversial fashion. What a fucking match, Dan. And these two guys, like I said, it's like that Spider-Man meme coming to life when you watch them in the ring against each other. Of that series, it seemed like every match just topped the one before it. It was really something super special and i really hate it in 2021 now that we sit here with wrestling booming like a motherfucker for the first time in 20 years that uh jason cross is not reaping the benefits of that honestly because he fucking deserved to um what a fucking match what a feud and like i said i i think this might have been the best of the bunch at this point Oh, yeah. And, uh, Jeff, you were out there for all this. I mean, these, these two guys were magicians in this area against each other. Jeff? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry about oh, that. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. It happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, I can't think of two guys that had a feud like that that were as flexible as these two guys that could bend each other into these awkward positions and both just be able to go up for their stuff. I mean, 
who else have you seen besides AJ or Jason do that drop kick off the middle of a guy's chest and stuff? I mean, they, they, they really were special guys and they brought out the best of each other at that time. And, uh, I think they were always looking to outdo what they had done previously, which was, was pretty difficult. So, uh, this is another great match with those guys. Oh God, yes, and um, yeah, like Dan said, it is a shame that Jason Cross isn't a major star in wrestling. It really is, but it is what it is. All right, November the fifth, Wildside website. David Young made his presence felt the IPW show the Russell Place in St. Petersburg, where he hit, hit the match hit on the match between Jet Jaguar and Tony Mamaluk and delivered spinebusters to both men. IPW's chaos hit the ring, but rather than attacking Young, he joined Young in the attack on Mama Luke and Jaguar. Later in the card, chaos faced Von Tankard, and again, Young got involved. David and AJ plan to be at the IPW WrestlePlex on the 24th. Young and chaos will face Jaguar and Von Tankard. So there you go. So there's your wild side representation in IPW. All right, uh, November 9th in Cornelia, we have a, a Friday night show result here, folks. Jeremy V over Paul Alexander. Mike Wills went to a no contest with Seth Cruz when Johnny Psycho interfered. Scott Cage over Jason Dark. The Redneck Express beat John Doe and an unnamed partner. That's funny. We have John Doe and an unnamed partner. The Lost Boys beat Todd Sexton in four touchdowns in one game to Crew Jones. And then Mike Pittman and Slim J beat G Raiden. So, Dan, I wonder if for a Friday night show here just to give the fans a gist of some of the names that's going on here on the, on these Friday shows. Yeah. You can see a few of the guys that are trying to get worked in on TV. You see Scott cage there who will become a part of the TV roster soon. Um, crew Jones, who is this, I don't think it was this show. It was on a Friday show where the one bad mofo gimmick around this time is created. And it was done. I love telling the story. It, it was done completely on the fly. Me and Andrew were standing there behind the curtain. I think Jeff might've been with us. And we were like, just talking about what a fucking jock asshole crew Jones looked like. And uh, he was just being a heel, you know, not, doing any particular gimmick but he just looked like the biggest jock dickhead you've ever met in your fucking life and so either jeff or andrew one challenged me after the match say go get a post-match interview with him on the fly and just see what he says about uh it's scoring four touchdowns in one game like the al bundy deal and i was like oh my fucking god yes so as soon as the match is over i run out there with the mic crew jones now, impressive victory here. I have heard you had a very successful career in high school football. I heard you scored four touchdowns one time in one game. And without missing a beat, this motherfucker goes, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the one bad mofo gimmick was created right there on the spot. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, yeah, Crew Jones is a favorite of mine. Uh, in this area. He, he was fantastic, and we're going to get into him more as the show goes along because he starts getting a, uh, a bigger role in Wildside for the years over. Oh, for sure. And you see Jeremy V, he would become a big deal later. There was a few guys that were, you know, working their way through the Friday system here. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, November 13th, AJ Styles in Orlando for XWTV tapings. Promotion released three matches for AJ. He will face Josh from Tough Enough, Josh Matthews, Kid Cash, 
In the rematch, Christopher Daniels. Oh, the XWF. <laughs> we all know what happens there. All right, November 17th, TV taping. Jeff and Big Biss come out to start the show, as usual, with Iceberg. Jeff comes out the My Way by Sid Vicious, which is a great theme for this crew. Not the wrestler Sid Vicious, but Sex Pistol Sid Vicious. Jeff was amazing here, pimping Iceberg as a dangerous monster, and Berg was the perfect addition to the Bailey act. Bailey said he had a $500 open challenge to anyone who could knock Iceberg off his feet. So, of course, Mr. Delicious, J.C. North, was the first one to attempt this feat, which was hilarious, or not, as he came out just so he could show everyone that he was still the NWA Virginia champion. That's classic. Uh, Cooter Calhoun ran out and attacked Berg, but he was planned into the mat with body slam. They shook the ring and everyone inside of it. Bailey then became orgasmic again as he bloodied and battered Cooter. Big Henry Haas then ran out to save his partner, and they had a Haas showdown. Haas didn't have Berg reeling, but missed a drop kick. Berg splashed him a couple of times. Caprice Coleman then came out, and he played around like uh, trying to piss Berg off before faking hitting Berg and Jack and Bailey's jaw, which popped the crowd hard. Great ending to this. Oh, yeah, the payoff for all this was fantastic with Caprice, Jeff. Getting, getting the heat on you. Just great stuff. This whole segment was magic. I mean, everything about it worked. I mean, even something as simple as Mr. D coming out, you know, with his NWA Virginia title and me being like, ah, nobody cares about NWA Virginia. (laughs) The Cooter thing. Try again, Cooter. (laughs) (laughs) The the whole thing was, I mean, I, uh, I, I I went into like full Jim Rose cosplay of you know iceberg beautiful beautiful don't don't try this at home go to your neighbor's house and, <laughs> oh, oh that's a, Caprice was hilarious he pokes iceberg in the belly like the Pillsbury Doughboy and <laughs> gets the Doughboy chant and then the you know when he floors me with that punch bird goes after him and goes over the top rope which looks remarkable a man of his size go over the top rope i don't think he meant to go over the top rope he just did and uh yeah that that whole thing worked i think uh that might have been dan's idea i can't remember dan was it your idea it was. This was one of my great contributions to booking, actually. Um, I have brought this motherfucking $500 body slam challenge gimmick back in every territory I have had <laughs> any creative involvement in because it works so well. But this was still the first, the best, and far and away one of, another one of my all-time favorite Wildside TV segments. That was great. Great stuff. Absolutely. So, uh... Yeah, Caprice getting heat, getting some heat, and uh, that's going to come back on him as we go along. All right, non-TV matches on this show featured Malachi over Ali Steele, Kid Ecstasy, and Kid Cool, G-Rated over Mike Pittman and Slim J. And then a match that had a lot of interest around the, the Death Valley Driver message board circles, Mr. Delicious J.C. North over Sage and Aki from IPW in Florida. Yes, both men were uh, avid posters on uh, the Defile Driver message board and chat room visitors. So uh, they they kind of shot their own little angle on the on the message board and 
Here they are. Had, they had a little match here. Too bad they're made television. So there you go. <laughs> All right, so next, Dan Wilson brought out Tony Stradlin, who gave an update on his injury, but Jeremy Lopez came out talking some shit, put Stradlin in the arm bar, trying to further injure his shoulder before Todd Sexton ran out, leading to Wildside Junior title. It says TV here, but it's Junior. As uh, Jeremy Lopez went against Todd Sexton, Sexton started off a house of fire, but Lopez started fighting back, worked him over. Sexton made a comeback, but Lopez put him away with a DDT. Fine little match. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a way of getting... Jeremy over Dan, uh, trying to injure Stradlin and getting a clean win over Todd. Yeah, and it did a little something for Todd there, I thought, as well. Uh, you know, he's been primarily a tag team guy, like his partner is out of commission now. What are we going to do? Well, the tag team was over, so we can just run with him for a while. We can kind of turn this into a little angle. So uh, you see Todd kind of gets in the junior heavyweight mix here with this match, even though it's a loss. It, it leads to other stuff with him and Lopez and Dreamer and Mama Luke down the line. Absolutely, yeah. All right, David Young gets Tank. What a match this is. Joe in progress, sadly, as Tank used a Cobra Clutch leg sweep on David, but Terry Knight ran out to distract Speedy Nelson as Tank had him tapping out. Tank then hit Speedy Nelson by mistake. Terry helped David enough so he could get the Spine Buster to put Tank away. They doubled up on Tank until White Trash ran out. They started brawling with each other before Blackout ran out to attack Project Mayhem. And then Lost Boys ran out for a four-way brawl, which leads to a four-way for the tag titles being made for later in the show. So yeah, that's basically what this was, just to set up the four-way match. So there you go. All right, Caprice Coleman and Jason Cross. Now, this should be a fucking match. And it is, as Caprice's style is so conducive to work with Cross, just like Styles. Great back-and-forth action, which would see Jeff trying to use his Gucci shoe, but he ran to Cross, and Coleman hit a thermal shot to get the win. J.C. Daz and Iceberg then ran out to attack Caprice for his actions earlier, but the other babyfaces ran out to make the save. Caprice then cut a promo in the back after the match showing so much damn charisma. Talking about beating Jason Cross, he would beat him again as well as all of his family. Oh yeah, this was good shit right here, man. Um, this, is, this was Caprice and Jason's first TV match, if I'm mistaken. And man, they again, just showing that chemistry here that these two guys could just go out there and just put on a hell of a match. After not really working with each other before. That's fantastic stuff, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, between this and then building up to the Big Show match, all I could think was, damn, we should have had Jason and Caprice do more matches. Like, <laughs> this, this stuff is really good. That double springboard, double clothesline across the ring oh. that they did. I mean, it's just insane. I mean, anybody, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody else do that. So, no. I mean, uh, it's pretty crazy. I should definitely go to check that out. Yeah. This match is yeah. really good. Yeah, again, like I say about these matches, you see stuff in these in these wild side matches that you do not see today 20 years later. But these guys were so innovative in everything they did and just so goddamn athletic. And Caprice is still active, by the yes, way. I mean, I know like is. the world knows him mainly as a commentator for Ring of Honor. And as you can see from his promos, he's an excellent commentator. Of course he is. Anybody that can talk like that is going to be a great commentator. Give that man his flowers. I know there are thousands of you out there listening to this show. Uh, go back and watch this stuff. 
push Caprice's name out there. Get him booked. He is a legend, and he deserves to be treated as such. Like, he is so much more than a great commentator. This guy was a fucking, and is a fucking amazing wrestler. Absolutely. Like like we said before in the show, he he came until he's even aged. I mean, he looks so good 20 years later. I mean, just what a performer he is. Absolutely. Uh let me also add that um, he wrote a fantastic piece about Jimmy Rave as well that if people haven't read, they should seek out and read because it's it's really, really well. I mean, Caprice is one of those guys. Um, we exchanged some messages after Jimmy's passing and stuff and said some things to each other that, you know, we probably never really said. And it was really great. I mean, it's, it's great to... Uh, know and have someone as spiritual as he is, you know, in your life. It's a, it's a positive thing. I mean, it's not really my bag, but, um, I'm really happy that I know Caprice Coleman. Oh yeah. I'd say the same thing. We had a similar conversation, Jeff, after Jimmy died and, you know, Caprice and I are probably as opposite as two people can be on the religious belief spectrum, but I love that man and he is my brother and uh, nothing would ever change that. Like, absolutely. Uh, and, and I was so glad to, to catch up with him recently. Yes. Great dude. All right. Kevin Norcutt back again. Uh, when it gets Lance Dreamer. Northcutt toyed with Dreamer early on, which was funny because Dreamer is one of the taller guys in Wildside. But Northcutt was still pretty taller than he was. We get a clip early in the action, but uh, in the end, Lance put up a fight, although it wasn't enough as Big Biz distracted Jimmy Rivers. And after Lance attacked him, Northcutt put Dreamer away to win the match. Yeah, that's something else we didn't mention with Lance Dreamer before. He's He was one of the indie tall guys of his era. I mean... He's not, you know, tall, tall in real life, but in the, in indie wrestling at that time, especially in like Wild Side, he was a tall dude. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely had presence out there. I mean, with his long hair and his height, and you know, I mean, he he looked like a guy that you know you would expect to see do good things. Yeah. All right, Wildside TV title, Onyx, defending against the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews, showing up here. I love it. Big fan of Scoot. Awesome seeing the Black Nature Boy in the Wildside ring. He is working full heel here with Big Biz in his corner, along with doing the gator chop to taunt the Bulldog fans. Yes. <laughs> Thank God Onyx shaved his head again, because Onyx with hair just wasn't the same. Yes, he had grown his hair out. And he, for this taping, he has shaved it back bald again, and it looks so much better. But, of course, he would grow his hair back out from the years over with. Uh, this is also Cliff, and what we got was really good. As Scoot was one of the best workers on the Indies at the time. Onyx meshed very well with him. Big Biz threw the briefcase at Scoot, but Scoot missed, and Onyx dropped him on the briefcase to retain his title. Yeah, Jeff, seeing uh, Scoot Andrews and, and Wildside was a treat. I was always a big fan of his. Yeah, this was really good. I don't know why it's not on the TV. I remember being Biz did a promo post-match where, of course, you know, I'm like 
I put you in charge of the Onyx problem and and you bring in Scoot Andrews and he didn't get the job done, you know, and and then Scoot comes in the room and I start putting Scoot over. Oh, it was great. Thank you so much. You know, it was business fault. Then he leaves the room and I start yelling at Biz, get that guy out of my building. I don't even want him taking a shower here. He lost. But uh, somehow that's not on the TV. It's on YouTube. So I don't know why. It's not on this TV because that, that thing's really funny. I always enjoyed that, and um, it was great having Scoot in. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's a, and Dan, we talked about guys who didn't don't get their due, like with Jason Cross, Scoot Andrews, another guy who was uh, one of the top guys in the indie scene in this era, and just doesn't get the due in, in today's climate. That's <laughs> what we used to, to say uh, when Scoot was around, you know, did the, the whole Black Nature Boy thing. I, I think we were the only ones to do that, but it was a, a big thing to pop the guys in the locker room for somebody to go, Scoot! Um, but yeah, no, he was fucking amazing. Great worker. Uh, it was great to have him in. It was a lot of fun. We actually got to see him at Mania this past year. He was down there in Tampa for the ICW uh, then and now shows where yeah. they paid tribute to like him and Steve Madison and some of the other like local Florida legends. And I thought that was fucking awesome that they did that. It was great to see Scoot and uh, dude still looks like a million bucks. Still looks like it could kick your ass. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I love Scoot. So there you go. All right, uh, four-way for the Wild Side Tag Titles. Project Mayhem defending against Blackout, Bad Attitude, and the Lost Boys. This is all set up early in the show with a big brawl, and this should be very interesting. No friends here, so everyone works against everyone else. This is also Clip, but at least we get to see the big dive train that goes down, including Rain Man hitting a big Asai moonsault, and even Tank jumping on everyone. David Young then climbed on the top of the stage, which was unusual for him, and he had a big moonsault on everyone. Wild and crazy shit here. Knight threw Asriel in the ring, hit a big spine buster, but Blackout sent him out of the ring, and they hit the Violator 2.0 to win the match, and they got their titles back. And yeah, Dan, I mean, when you got Tank and fucking David Young jumping off the stage, I mean, good lord, what a fucking match this is. Yeah, I don't know what sent the wild hair up all these guys' ass to want to try to do all these crazy dives, but they were all about it, especially David diving off the fucking entranceway. That was something that made the wild side highlight reels for many years to come. Uh, also, a hilarious story that White Trash will tell. Uh, he's not here to tell it, so I'll try to do the best in his stand uh, from this match that uh, he learned a very important lesson to not spit on anybody in the match. Um, you know, he thought in the, the context of the work and the character that it would be an appropriate thing for white trash to do to go spit on David Young while he was on the apron. <laughs> and, uh, when he did it, David just calmly walks right over to him, completely out of character, and shoot punches him in the face <laughs> and walks back to his corner. <laughs> Davey Young's a dude I would not want to fuck with. I mean, Davey Young, you know, built like a fucking fire hydrant and uh, was a tough motherfucker. So, yeah, White Trash was playing with fire, <laughs> doing something like that. Good Lord. He learned his lesson that night. He he tells it as, as an important learning experience. <laughs> hey, sometimes you have to do that in wrestling. You you, you see where uh, how far you can go with people, and uh, you learn your lesson quick. But uh, yeah, I mean, 
we've we've seen you know various incarnations of this type of match with Blackout and Lost Boys, but to have Bad Attitude and Project Mayhem here added to this whole mix. I mean, Jeff, it showed you just how strong the tag scene was in Wildside this time, man. There's so many great tag teams. Yeah, this this match is so fun for the dives and stuff. I mean, the the white track. I wanted to tell that story. Dan beat me to it because I, <laughs> I mean, he spits on David Young, and David Young just walks down the apron, punches him in the face, and then turns around and walks back down the apron to his corner and stands there like like not a big deal. But you spit on me, I'm going to punch you in the face. It's really funny. I mean. We can call the tank dive a dive, but he <laughs> was taunted for years about that shaky leg where he gets up on that rope and you see that leg trembling <laughs> like it's on fire or something. And he comes down off that thing and then just jumps off the apron. You don't see it that long in the shot, but if you look for it, you get to see it. And that leg just shaking on that rope. I mean, we taunted him about that for years. I mean, the, the damn shaky leg dive was legend. That that match, it, it really is. It's just spectacular to see all those guys diving. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Hilarious. That is something else. And in the main event, Lumberjack match. J.C. Dash versus Jimmy Rave. Lumberjacks were all heels, which was Bailey's call. Heavily joined in progress, sadly. But at least we got to see the last few minutes of this. Rave would hit a couple fantastic 20 DDTs, but couldn't put Daz away. David Young didn't enter the ring, hit a big spine buster laying out Rave, but then finished him off. Then the heels pulled down the top ropes so Rave could fall to the floor, and they attacked him with Iceberg splashing him in the apron. Yes, again, again standing against the apron and splashed him. They rolled him back in the ring. He was easy pickings for Daz. Iceberg then splashed him a couple times for good measure afterwards as the show went off the air. Yeah, it was a uh, get the heat on uh, Iceberg and, and get the symphony for Jimmy here, Jeff. I mean, that's exactly what this was about. Yeah, the uh, the Iceberg splash against the apron. We call that the total eclipse. And uh, it always looked just devastating as shit. Like, he just killed people. I love that spot. And, uh, again, you know, fiery baby-faced Jimmy, you know, just refusing to die until, you know, finally it takes Iceberg to kill him and put him down. I mean, it's just great stuff. Absolutely. All right, November 18th from the Wild Side website, we had this news bit. Earth Mayor Paris, he's expressed an interest in the return to Wildside. Keep that in mind as we move along the rest of the show. All right, November 25th, we have the Globe Theater results from the day before. They had the junior tournament on that show. We have uh, tournament matches, Lance Dream over Crew Jones, Jimmy Rave over Tommy Mom Luke in a great match, Silky Boom Boom over Scott Cage, Todd Sexton over Rayman, Jason Cross over Jeremy V, Mike Pittman over Slim J., then a junior battle royal, Todd Sexton eliminated Suki J- Jason to win a title shot against Jeremy Lopez, in which Jeremy beat Todd due to interference by Blackout. Then Onyx cleared the rank. In other results, Terry Knight over Cooter Calhoun. Iceberg over Luna Tick. Jerry Lewis Jr. and John Doe. Then Onyx retained the Wildside TV title beating Homicide, murder one. 
Jeff managed Jason and Iceberg here. Dan was a ring announcer. Steve Prezat was in attendance. Wildside will return to the Globe Theater on January 26th. All right, Dan, any memories of this show in particular stick out? Uh, not, not a ton. I, I mean, these, uh, these Globe shows were just rough. After the first one in particular, they really didn't get any better. So, um, in terms of the draw, like, I do remember that Jimmy Raven Mama Luke match being really great. And that was probably like the one memorable thing from that show. Um, we did the iceberg against three jobber type guys. And, uh, you know, the old King Kong Bundy, like, just beat the shit out of three fucking guys' handicap match. I remember that. Um, and that, that that's about all. It was pretty uneventful. I don't I don't even know if we made that January show. I guess we'll find out on the next episode. Well, the thing about this show that sticks out to me is, I mean, what's the draw of the show? The tournament? I mean, there's... It's, I mean, the Onyx and Homicide is a TV title match is the main event, but there's no, like, main event on this show. No big match. Yeah, I think it was also, like, Bill lost his ass so hard on the last one that this was, like, a bare-bones budget show. Well, there you go. Well, good luck trying to draw with that. <laughs> Ain't nothing much you can do with that one. So, there you go. So... There it is. I do. I have one memory from the show. Yes, which was um, in the iceberg defeating Loon A. Tick, <laughs> Jerry Lewis Jr. and John Doe. At the end of the match, Iceberg stacked all three of them on top of each other, and then I got in the ring and got on Iceberg's back piggyback style while he ran and splashed those three guys. <laughs> and it was the most fun goddamn thing <laughs> that I had done. I went flying off Iceberg's back, flipping over the top of those guys, just landed on my ass, sitting there with the biggest smile on my face, laughing my ass off because we just like left a wet spot where those three guys <laughs> used to be. I mean, it was funny. Oh, that's fantastic. I wish we had footage of that but we don't alright WrestleFlex on the 24th uh, had AJ Styles defeat Scoot Andrews to become the new IPW heavyweight champion more on that as we go along with the show alright December 1st the go home show for Christmas Chaos well not not really no it's not so it's another TV tape and we have another one after that though. alright this starts with a backstage meeting with Jeff G. Bailey and the Elite as they discuss their plans for the night which would be breaking Jimmy Ray's ribs Big Biz wants to know if they can sue Last for sexual harassment on Jacobs, who is still in therapy, but Bailey says no, because them intentionally trying to murder Laz that night might not look good in the jury's eyes. Bailey then tells Iceberg he wants to cut his jugular. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I mean, if you want to sue somebody for sexual harassment and then try to uh, slip their throats and murder them, I mean, that's not going to uh, fare too well in a court of law. Yeah, I didn't think that would play too well in front of a jury's eyes. This is this is I'm starting to get a, a little enamored with Iceberg and getting into comic book supervillain shit here, talking about where the jugular vein is in the neck and how I want Iceberg to cut his throat so I can see the blood squirt like a fountain. <laughs> so I'm, I'm starting to get a little little carried away with my iceberg stabby monster here real quick. I'm ready to, to get him out here making guys bleed. 
Yeah, she won't bleeding out and everything. Yeah, you, you you get pretty graphic on your promos, which added to it though. So there you go. All right, so uh, first match here: the Redneck Express against Ali Steele and Malachi. Big Henry and Cooter are facing some big dudes here, but they overcome it and get a big win. Yeah, Dan, uh, Redneck Express again, another good TV win for him. Yeah, to reiterate what Jeff said, you know, you got to give these guys some wins if you're going to primarily put them there to put other people over. So it actually matters. And, you know, the people were behind them. They weren't the best workers, but they were adequate. Um, you had the uh, Cooter Calhoun, the former Corporal Cooter, finally got a last name. Andrew, one night on the fly, decided that it was because he was the great-grandson of Haystacks Calhoun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they did wear overalls, so there you go. <laughs> it's always popped me. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I remember Andrew gave Cooter his own angle on the Athens show where, like, they took his farm away or something. <laughs> <laughs> Some evil tax guy taking the Calhoun farm. See, that should have been something that you should have, you and Big Viz should have been part of. That would have been a great angle on the card angle on TV. God almighty. All right. <laughs> so next we get Lance Dreamer and Todd Sexton against Jeremy Lopez and Tony Mamaluke. Definitely interesting matchup here. Match is Jordan Progress to start. Turns to a fun Southern style tag match. Sexton pin Lopez, which put, was put over hard on commentary. So it looks like a title shot is incoming. And yes, now you guys are putting uh, Lance and Todd together as like a tag team here, Dan, and a good match here and setting forth in motion what's to come as we go along the rest of the month. Yeah, good spot here. They're trying to, you know, keep building the junior heavyweight title up as a big deal. The junior heavyweights are a big deal in Japan and with the audience, we're kind of trying to sell to here in terms of that, that kind of smart mark audience. So this is really a great little mix of guys that as you see leads to more than just this tag as we get to Christmas chaos. Absolutely. Next we get Mr. Delicious, Jesse North against Scott Cage makes TV. Mr. D praise that put, put over uh, JC's travel record, which was something JC spits in Cage's face, which was hilarious. I guess that's a rib on white trash. Uh, Cage made him pay for it. JC used the iconoclasm on Cage, but Cage kicked out before locking on the bionic chin lock, which is hilarious. Cage came fighting back at Delicious Reeling before missing a big frog splash and got DDT on his head, then pinned with JC's feet on the ropes. So Mr. D got a good TV win here, Jeff. Good for him. He didn't, he needed it. Yeah, I mean, Mr. D had picked up a couple wins and some dark matches and stuff along the way, and uh, he finally got him a big TV win. There you go. So props to you, Mr. D. All right, next we get Terry Knight against Laz. Knight is a designated hitman for the elite to take out Laz. Big Biz at ringside with him. Laz dances at ringside, and Knight attacked him, so the battle was on. That's a good back-and-forth action. And I liked, uh, this is me, like Knight using his own version of the Britney Spear on Laz. He speared him to hell. Knight would go for a top of a surplus, but Laz reversed it, then tried to pin Knight, but Big Biz got involved, so Laz attacked him. Big mistake, as Jason Cross and JC Daz then ran out and attacked him, then held him for Iceberg to splash him against the apron. Knight did cover him for the win. Laz got beat down heavily afterwards. Caprice and Ray tried to make it save, but the numbers game got to them. Iceberg then with the cut Laz's throat, 
But AJ ran out with a steel chair to run him off. <laughs> well, you you tried, Jeff. You guys tried to uh, to go for the jugular. He's going for the jugular. I think I called Laz a syphilitic slit during this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't even know what that is exactly, but I like the way it sounds. Syphilitic slit. Yes. Amazing. So... Yeah, there's Laz getting his uh, beat down here. All right, so next we got a wild side tag title match. Blackout defending against the Lost Boys. Blackout attack the Lost Boys for the bell. Wild Brawl goes all over the building. Then to the parking lot where the cameras follow the action as the other wrestlers try to stop them as the fans run out to watch. Yeah, I mean, Dan, this is what you would expect from these two teams. Go out there and brawl in the parking lot. So another uh, NCW Arena outdoor visual here on this one. Oh, yeah, the tag division rivalries continue to heat up. Um, you know, TNT's out of the picture now, so now we're mainly down to this rivalry that started over the summer with all these various teams. Now is kind of down to Blackout and the Lost Boys, which I like the two kind of most violent of the group in some ways. So uh, I enjoyed this segment and, and what it all led to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Next, we get a little comedy skit. Tank and White Trash need to take a piss. Especially White Trash, who couldn't get in the bathroom. The door opened up, and Big Biz came out, with Trash talking about how he stuck it up, among other things that we can't talk about. Blackout would cut a great promo about the brawl afterwards. Um, <laughs> so whose idea was it to do this one, Dan? Do you remember uh, the Big Biz uh, shitting up the bathroom skit? We have here. This is something Andrew and Trash dreamed up that I might have had some input on as well. Um, we were going with like a cold open to the show, you know, <laughs> like like before the opening credits, just some sort of hijinks to kind of show off the wacky world of Wildside and what's going on behind the scenes. Because we'd established this whole story of these evil owners and these crazy fucking rebels on the roster fighting them. And so it was just a funny moment. Uh, I'm, like I said, I, I believe Trash and Andrew were kind of prime primarily behind it but i loved this 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 was a spot that brought me joy for many years when i would stumble across it just because it's so silly and three stooges ish almost and it really gets over the buffoonery of big biz who i just loved as a character as a a second to jeff who's like serious as a heart attack all the time and you have this fucking fat buffoon next to him that's a great contrast and like of course him talking about oh wait until the counselor hears about this as he's leaving is the best part of the whole thing what well, here's the question i have is this something like we, we see stuff like this that's kind of based on a real life moment so did big biz really uh stick out the bathroom one time after taking a big shit or something like that that <laughs> they had to, to, to make it make this a television segment <laughs> think so oh, I think I mean Tank had many a time and still does <laughs> to this day you know as somebody who now has to travel all over the country with that <laughs> motherfucker let me tell you he's got one of the nastiest asses in the history of the sport um, so it might have been a rib on Tank that's very possible <laughs> Jeff what are your thoughts on wrestlers or, or managers whoever that go into the bathroom and just leave an ungodly smell for everyone to behold 
Well, I mean, it's it's a terrible thing. Me personally, I uh, I only like to use my bathroom at home if humanly possible. <laughs> I'm big on public restrooms for shitting. Um, the unfortunate thing about this episode, and I tried it on three different devices, is it just wouldn't play with sound for me. So I watched the episode, but I don't get to hear any of the words that they said in this segment. So I, I'm, I'm missing a lot of it, I'm sure. But, you know, just the, the classic buffoonery. I mean, they even did the Three Stooges shit where they both tried to go in the door at the same time and got stuck. I mean, it, it really was <laughs> just trying to do something funny. And I'm sure it was was Trash and Andrew and Big Biz just cooking up some comedy to open the show. And uh, it's actually pretty funny. It is. A lighthearted moment in Wild Sign. All right, so next Project Mayhem took on Kevin Harden and Lunatic. Oh, this should be Total Destruction. That's exactly what it was. Not the tag team, but Total Destruction as in Total Destruction. We then start hearing loud noises come from the backstage area. Then Iceberg came up with White Trash beating the shit out of him. Bailey talks about how he's tired of White Trash smelling up his dressing room with his shits in the bathroom. <laughs> and he wanted Bailey, and he wanted to carve him open like a Christmas turkey. So Trash could drown in his own blood. A bloody tank would eventually run out with his sickle and the heels ran off. This was pretty gruesome and Bailey was tremendous here. So there you go, folks. The whole shitting uh, uh, little vignette led to this. How about that? So you wanted... (laughs) So you wanted white trash to be carved up like a Christmas turkey because his ass smelled terrible. Again, I, I I didn't get to hear the sound on this, so I didn't get to hear myself say that. But that's hysterical that that I wanted him because his shits were stinking up the, the building, so he had to pay for that. That's fucking. That's a payoff to the comedy in a in a vicious way. That's pretty fucking funny. We had a, I worked with a guy who. He would take shits, and it was just horrendous. I mean, I I asked him one day. I said, "What do you? I mean, I, I wonder what your insides look like because it's the way you smell. It's not human. It's it's inhumane how bad you smell." So I can understand wanting to car somebody like Christmas turkey because their <laughs> their shit smells so fucking bad. Jesus. Huh. Anyway, fantastic. All right, Wallside TV title. Onyx defending against Crew Jones. Crew gets a big shot here against the champion. Puts in a good showing for himself before falling to Onyx's blackout DDT. Big Biz will catch up with Crew after the match. We talked about seeing great potential in him. So they're planning the wor- plans in the works for him. Here we go, Dan. Now it's time to get Crew uh, out there on TV on a regular basis. Yep, exactly what I was talking about earlier. Uh, we, you know, saw that he was capable of running with this great idea that we'd come up with. He was all about it. So the idea comes up to put Big Biz with him and debut this one bad mofo gimmick here pretty soon. Absolutely, yep. All right, Iceberg, Jason Cross, and JC Daz that went up against Caprice Coleman, Jimmy Raven, and AJ Styles. The best part about the other part of this match was the face-hitting dives, doing whatever they could, and trying to knock Iceberg down. They won that $500. Just didn't happen until Jason Cross hit a big somersault moonsault, and Iceberg fell on top of everyone. 
Basically an all-action brawl with Iceberg taking Punisher from the babyface, but they could put him away. We get some Andrew Thomas chicanery, which allows the heels to pound on the already injured Jimmy Rave, who takes some big punishment here. A funny part during the match is Dan Wilson loudly calling Bailey a piece of shit, and Bailey turned to look at him and laughed. <laughs> Ray finally got a good got in a spot that made the hot tag, but Daz and Cross pulled AJ Caprice off the apron. Iceberg splashed Rave yet again to win the match. Yes, that popped me, Dan, is when you called Jeff a piece of shit loud, and Jeff looked at you and smiled. <laughs> That's a very on-brand move for Mr. Bailey. Because where where you were announcing it is right there to uh, the side, so, you know, you guys were announcing, you know, kind of not a loud, but you could be very easily audibly heard by whoever's standing around, and... Jeff heard it, you know, and was able to react. Now, that brings a question. Did you, On commentary, did you ever say something that a wrestler heard that got pissed off at you for saying it? Man, I I can't remember what it was, but I do feel like Scotty Wren got pissed off at me one time for some <laughs> shit I said on commentary. Most of the time, guys were very appreciative, because if you couldn't tell, announcers on the indies fucking suck for the most part. A lot of me. So... I treated it very seriously and like they mattered and like their moves were important and tried to come up with cool names and shit. And, uh, you know, sometimes I went overboard, especially in the early days before I really knew what the fuck I was doing. But I, you know, for the most part, my, my reaction from the talent was pretty positive. That's good because I mean, I could see that happening where you're so close there and so audible that, you know, may some, you know, little snide remark may come out and, uh, some of these wrestlers may be on, you know, going through a bad day or whatever and uh, got to get upset, get their little feelings hurt. So that's good that that. Yeah, I would say like Scotty Wren and Rick Michaels were probably the only people that got <laughs> mad at me, but I don't remember what I said that pissed them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? And you get caught up in the moment when you're announcing sometimes. So, I mean, that's your job. You're supposed to be selling it. If you're out there not selling what's going on, then shit, you know. It's not. It's not good. That's what Dan Elf is supposed to do. It's supposed to be emotional, not robots. So anyway, all right. Uh, Steve Prezak interviewed AJ in the back afterwards about being the IPW champion, but he wants to be the champion in his hometown and wants to rip Michaels because he's never had a shot at that title in the three years he's been in the promotion. So like we said he's always been in the junior title hunt or not in the heavyweight title hunt. So there you go. All right, uh, December the eighth. 2001. Let's go to the torch. And this is a very important note here. NWA Wildside promoter Bill Barron's told the torch that he is in the process of buying out his Wildside partner, Steve Martin, which would make Barron's the sole owner. It just made sense for us to change what we are doing, Barron said. The collective feeling is that to go any further, I need to have total control. Mr. Martin has done very well and will remain with the company. Alright, Dan, give us a lowdown. So what's what's going on here? We have uh, we've alluded to this many times. This is the official announcement of when the split between Bill and Steve officially happens. And uh, I don't recall that Steve did remain with the company. I, I 
actually, no, I think he did stay on his editor for a little bit longer because I remember specifically <laughs> there being a very heated thing from Hardcore Hell 2002 that was blamed on him. So I'm guessing he still stayed aboard as the editor for a while after this, or at least helped with production at some level. Um, it wasn't entirely gone, but this is where his ownership ends. Bill and Steve had finally come to a, a head, both of them very uh, different philosophies on how to run the company. And Steve, at this point, had, had some personal issues. Um, he, he'd had a, a wife that he had been with and split up and got back together with. And anytime she was involved, she was very hands-on and controlling with the wrestling and didn't know shit from apple butter about wrestling. <laughs> so as you can imagine, that was a problem. And caused a lot of friction with the boys and other things. So eventually him and Bill had to have it out. And Bill was just like, I'm, I'm going to buy you out. And and that was the end of Steve as the owner of the company. Though, like I said, I, I'm fairly sure he stayed on as an editor for a little while longer before he was ultimately completely gone. Jeff, you, I mean, you've been there from the jump basically here. And, uh... This is a big moment, you know, Steve had always, you know, some somehow some way been in charge, you know, although that's been, you know, as the months have gone on lately, that's changing, but what was it like for this to be going on here? I mean, <clears throat> I'd always liked Steve and considered him a friend, but he was starting to fuck up here and the stuff with his wife, soon to be ex-wife and and all that stuff was really kind of getting in the way of shit. And uh, it was just something that, that had to happen, honestly. I mean, I miss Steve because I enjoyed him, but uh, there was no way we could continue going forward with Bill and Steve having the animosity with each other that they did. So uh, it was good that we finally at least came to a conclusion well, it, it, you get this finally. Like, who's in charge? You know, you know. You, you finally. Oh yeah. You finally yeah. get that. We now we know who is the one that's the, making the final decisions here. So it's always good to have that final say. So absolutely. So there you yeah, go. And Steve was like more of an old school wrestling promoter. Like I want to promote the town, and I'm worried about the gate. And I am worried about running shows and making money. And I don't really care about the quality of the shows necessarily. You know, I, I am doing it for the financial impact. Uh, and like, that's not, Bill had a different philosophy. It was a different vision. Bill saw the big picture and that we weren't just playing for the audience of Cornelia that we were, you know, this was for an audience around the world. And, uh, that, that was at odds with Steve's wrestling philosophy. So it, it did make sense for Bill to take over. Well, Bill's TV. I mean, that's his thing. So, of course, he's going to have that mentality. Absolutely. All right. December 10th, Iceberg is in Japan on tour and will return the wild side soon. So keep that in mind. All right. Now we got December 15th, the Go Home Show Before Christmas Chaos. It starts with a contract signing for the Rip Michaels AJ Styles match at Christmas Chaos for the Wild Sideway title. And this is definitely not your WWE contract signing, as we have two regular folding chairs, a table, and a white tablecloth. I thought the white tablecloth added a fancy touch to that, by the way. 
Uh, Styles came out wearing his tracksuit with Bill Barron's at his side, while Rip Michaels came out wearing a regular suit with Jeff and Big Biz by his side. They signed the contracts, and Rick turned the table over with Bill telling Rick that uh, he doesn't know what he just signed. Well, Bailey said that Styles has to beat Jason Cross and David Young both that night to even get his match with Rick. Barons tells Rick that he has to wrestle tonight as well. He's got to wrestle against Tank. It's a great piece of business here. All right, the thing on this, Jeff, that that was getting me was, um, you know, we we just talked about earlier the Jason Cross AJ match from uh, November, the the November third show, which was played up as their final battle, and Jason won by screwy measures. But now we're gonna have him again here, so. Is the thought process well since that match ended with the, the screw job finish that, you know, let's put them together again here? Or is that even in, in the thought process? Um, it wasn't in my thought process. I don't really know exactly why. I guess they just wanted AJ to have to be two quality guys and Jason would obviously be someone that he could get his win back against. And uh, the way, of course, we ended up getting out of that was, was pretty unique and different, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't really think that we thought too much about, Oh, we said that was their last match or anything like that, because I mean, me personally, I was on board with any time we could get <laughs> yeah. Jay and Jason in the ring together. Yeah, absolutely, yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I like this segment because yeah, it's got you know Bill, you know, gets one up on you, and then you get one up on Bill, and that type of stuff. I, I always like, thought that stuff was creative. You know, to, to see who could outthink the other one. So there you go. All right, Big Henry Haas went against Terry Knight. Big Henry's biggest wild side match to date. So clip in here as uh, David Young would hit Terry Knight by mistake with a steel chair, and Big Hank cradled him to get an upset win. David attacked Cooter Cajun afterwards with a big spine buster, then Terry nailed Big Henry with a chair. Knight then brushed Young off and walked away as tensions are rising. Oh, we got foreshadowing here, Dan, with uh, Terry Knight and David Young. <laughs> Yeah, I think the new bad attitude thing was only supposed to be a short-lived deal anyway, and it, it has definitely served its purpose. They've been, since the summer, really teaming with David and Terry as the, the version of bad attitude, trying to do kind of a free birds thing. Uh, we did the brief thing where David and Rick got into it, but never officially split up. They just had a fight, <laughs> a la Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert from yeah. Memphis, which I loved. Um, so, you know, everything is, is allegedly hunky-dory again in the bad attitude camp, but of course it isn't, which is the joke, uh, because the second they're all back on the same page, now David is, is having issues with them. And this is really the opportunity. You see what we're doing here is laying the groundwork for David Young as a babyface single star in Wildside, which is what would lead to him getting his job at TNA um, and really showing the world what a great underrated wrestler he was um so i i loved it and was all for it of course this is just the infancy of all of that mm-hmm. absolutely all right the lost boys went because future shock jay freeze and brandon p making their wild side tv debut here praise that put over how they've been tearing it up on the friday night shows 
Future Shock came out swinging. They really took it to the Lost Boys, showing that they belonged at this level. Frazek and Wilson on commentary talked about how the Lost Boys weren't into the match mentally, and it was showing as they were getting worked over. They got together, and even though Future Shock hung move for move with them, they got taken out at the end. Hell of a match. Homicide came out to the match and attacked Future Shock. Rain Man banned from the building because he punched Bill Barons on a previous show. So that's why Homicide was by himself. Homicide got on the mic and demanded Bill Barons come to the ring, saying Barons was keeping Blackout down. Homicide then punched Barons himself and then beat the hell out of Wildside Security, saying that he would kill people daily if they didn't get their way. Homicide then carved up Lulu and tried to carve Barons up, but the Lost Boys made the save. Barons had said that he was going to remove the rain, remove Rain Man from suspension, and so Blackout would face the Lost Boys in a match that the titles would be on the line in a straight wrestling match where the titles could change by DQ, countouts, pinfalls, or submission. All right, first things first here, Jeff. Future Shock. Uh, Jay Freeze and Brandon P. getting on TV here, and uh, they held their own. Oh, man, did they ever. I, uh, yeah, Future Shock was a, a really good tag team, and uh, I did not realize, you know, that they were that good in their first foray on the television. You know, they'd been grinding on Friday nights for a while and, and got their TV opportunity and uh, delivered the goods. And obviously uh, they'll become players in this tag team stuff as, as time moves on. But yeah, nice debut for those guys. But here we go. So we got, uh, you know, icebergs carving people up. Uh, tanks been carving people up. Now homicides wanting to carve people up. Is there a little too much carving going on here at this time, Jeff? Um, I didn't really think about it at the time or even now. So I guess I would say no if it didn't cross my mind because I would be the first guy to go, hey, these motherfuckers are stepping on icebergs' toes. And I didn't feel like that at the time, so I, I guess I don't feel like that now. I mean, homicide or murder one pulling out the fork to do a little stabbing and tank having a sickle. I, I, I guess that's okay. I mean, Iceberg was 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 next level. Iceberg was Abdullah the Butcher, and those guys were guys, you know, pulling out weapons to use. It was, it was a different concept, in my mind anyway. All right, interesting. And what about Bill here, uh, Bill's performance in all this? Yeah, Bill out there taking a beating and stuff. It's uh, it's not in this one. It's it's one of the later ones where he gets thrown out of the ring and he takes that beautiful bump through the ropes to the floor. I don't think that was in this one. I think he just got his ass beat with a punch. But, uh, yeah, Bill out here getting involved a little bit. Absolutely. Dan, uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, segment here? Well, if you're asking about there being too much pokey stabby, you're asking the wrong motherfuckers, first of all. <laughs> yeah, I am. that's our shit. Yeah. And we enjoy it quite a bit. But we all felt it was okay because they each had a different weapon. Yeah. It's very important to distinguish that each of them had their own weapon that they used for this. But, you know, Wildside, we were... Uh, trying to, to make that reputation of both the work rate and the violent promotion, a la ECW. Uh, we kind of mixed all of that with a little southern heat, and uh, you you had the formula for wild side. You take that ECW violence and, uh, I guess, Japan at the time, like wrestling, 
And then you take that and throw it in a blender with some good old fashioned mid Atlantic and Memphis. And uh, then you've got wild side and that's what we were all about. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the, the charm of it. All right. So next we get Rick Michaels and tank tank took Michaels to the floor immediately. And this was tanks type of match to start. They just pounded on Rick. Rick got Big Biz's briefcase, though, and nailed Tank with it to even odds. With Big Biz even getting some shots in on Tank for good measure. Tank fought back, though, and had Rick ready for the F-bomb, but he went for the sickle instead. Tank pulled out what he thought was his sickle. It was a banana. A little banana in the tailpipe. Uh, Bailey came out holding the sickle, and Rick used it to hit the double shot to get the win. Rest of the elite didn't attack Tank as Bailey t- told him the iceberg was getting the Japanese blood on his hands getting ready for Christmas chaos, and what he does to him will be worse than a nuclear holocaust. Bailey then got the sickle and went the car of Tank, but Tank fought off the entire elite and sent them running. Good stuff here, Jeff. Good stuff. The reveal that you had the sickle. Yeah, that that, that was fun stuff, and uh, I loved, I'm going to butcher you like the hog you are. <laughs> and then Tank makes his own comeback and throws those guys off. And then you don't even see me in camera shot anymore. Like, as soon as he threw those guys off, I hit the damn ground running and stuff. I mean, I, wow. It, it was really, really fun stuff. I, I really enjoyed getting to do that with Tank. And a great setup for what was going to happen at Christmas Chaos. And Iceberg not being there is a, way, a good way to further that, that whole thing. Since he was in Japan. I also got to say, like, Rick did a hell of a job in this match. Like, you'll probably hear me <laughs> say some negative things about Rick throughout the this uh, show that we do, especially as we get towards the end of Wildside. But, um, like, as a performer, he's second to none. And right here in this matchup, he shows exactly why. He makes Tank look like a fucking million dollars. It was imperative that he go out there and and make Tank look like a threat. And the way he bumps around for him and the way he sells for him in this match is a, is a fucking master class in getting a guy over. Like, I, I mean, it was it's really great. And it's not it won't be on this episode. But a few weeks later, we run this back with Tank and Terry Knight. And it's the exact opposite. Terry is in here trying to out hard-ass Tank and is, you know... It, the exact opposite of everything Rick did to get the match over. And it's a big turd as a result. So like, can't say enough about the performance of Rick here. Unselfish. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Next we get AJ Styles and Jason Cross and AJ's first match of the night. Joined in progress as AJ was brawling with Jason around ringside. Ended quickly as Cross tried to springboard off the middle rope, but fell on his back. AJ pinned the winner quickly. And then Adam Jacobs attacked AJ, turned into a beatdown with Jeff even getting his shots in. Jason then put some brass knucks on his hand and sent Styles to the floor. Caprice and Jimmy Ray then ran out to even the odds. So, there's one match down. So, you know, I guess AJ and Jason had their classic and the, the, the previous match, and this match was just to further the angle. So, it's a totally different style of match. I don't think the match was really much joined in progress. It was just that short. Oh, really? Okay. 
entirety. You know, they started fighting, came in. Jason went to do the springboard, slipped on the springboard. AJ grabbed both legs, caught a quick flash pin, and that was that. I mean, I thought it was it was good storytelling and effective in what we were trying to accomplish there, which was just moving AJ forward, even though you wouldn't think Jason would be a guy you would use as a pawn, but it worked. And then the stuff at the end with Caprice throwing those punches was some of the best looking shit. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jason swinging those wild punches and Caprice ducking and dodging and then Caprice just dotting those punches on him. I thought looked spectacular. Oh yeah. Yeah. Caprice was, uh, he was, he had the hand speed as we'll definitely talk about as we get the Christmas chaos. So, uh, yeah, really good shit. All right, next we get Dan in the ring with Todd and Lance talking about their issues with Jeremy Lopez, who then immediately comes out with Tony Mamaluke by his side. Fans get on their ass. They try to talk shit. Then Lance talks about how he was trained by Jeff Jarrett, and Todd was trained by Shawn Michaels. And then we got we had Lance doing the Jarrett strut and Todd, and Todd doing the Shawn Michaels uh, pose. <laughs> <laughs> While Lopez and Mama Luke were trained by a cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko, they were trained by heavyweight champions. So, of course, it's ended up with a brawl with Bill Barron's coming out saying that there'll be a four-way for the junior title at Christmas Chaos. Effective segment, Dan, to uh, get this set up. And uh, I, thought, I thought everyone did good here. Yeah, it was fun. I thought this was some of the most charisma Todd showed in the early days, for sure. Um, it was a lot of charisma. Really, one of the first chance Lance Dreamer got to talk much on the mic. Um, Lopez and Mamaluke were great as heels in this segment. And, of course, it makes a fun match that you have, like, four all-star pupils of legendary wrestlers in one match. So, I thought it was cool. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Wildside TV title. Honest defending against Adam Jacobs. Good back and forth match, although none of their previous efforts. Onyx would lay out Jacobs with a blackout DT before Laz showed up and decked Bailey and Big Biz. Jacobs would see Laz on the apron. Onyx drop kicked Jacobs right into Laz's arms, who started kissing him passionately. Crew Jones then ran out and attacked Onyx, then grabbed some mustard and created a yellow streak down his back before Laz ran him off. Onyx then grabbed the mic and said he was going to beat his ass. Great ending to this. Uh, yeah, Jeff, I thought, I thought the whole Laz interplay with Adam here and how that set up the finish was, was fantastic. The kissing was so great. Yeah, that, I mean, just the way he landed in his arms, it just it worked out perfectly. And then uh, I love a yellow streak down the back angle. I mean, that was that was my idea. So I was I was really happy to see that that come out as well as it did too. I was kind of thinking <laughs> Onyx would be like, I ain't letting him put mustard on my back, but but he did. And uh, there's just something great about painting a yellow streak on somebody's back. That's that's just a Southern classic. Oh yeah, tar and feather. Uh, mustard down the back. I mean, Yellow Street down the back. Absolutely. Yeah, that That is some old-school Southern wrestling right there, folks. So, yeah. The fact that it was mustard like, <laughs> makes me laugh so yeah. hard. <laughs> and I, I do believe Onyx was not real thrilled about it being mustard. Like, I guess he <laughs> thought maybe it was going to be paint or something. Well, shit, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be mustard. I wouldn't want paint on my back. <laughs> Well, it stunk. I think that was the deal well, that made him mad, was that it smelled so bad. 
I guess I understand that. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh. All right, so next we get um, Jeff coming back out with uh, Jason and JC. And they said that Jimmy Rave got ran over in the parking lot. And he was on his way to the hospital, and he couldn't imagine how that happened. Bailey then announced that JC and Jimmy Rave would have a two out of three falls match at Christmas Chaos. Bailey then talked about how he was done with Caprice Coleman and his Muhammad Ali crap as the fans started chanting, What? Oh, yes, we have entered that era. He said Caprice would face Cross in a tape fist match, and Cross was a 19th degree black belt in karate and a former Golden Gloves champion, which Jason broke character on that. As you were talking about that, and he started laughing, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Coleman then ran out and dated Bailey again, but he was jumped by Cross and Daz for sweet dreams of his return and made it safe for his little brother. Coleman then said it doesn't matter what kind of match he has, and Dreams does his routine with him for old time's sake. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, so sweet dreams is back here with Caprice, and uh, we'll definitely have more on that at Christmas Chaos, but, uh... <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I just thought the, uh, the, the build up to this w- was fun. And, um, Jeff, the question though I have for you is being a heel manager and at this time period, while you're kind of trying to cut promos and now the fans are starting to chant what at you, does that, is that rattling you? What were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, did it appear to be rattling me? no. No, not really. But just the early part of this, there wasn't a whole lot of people chanting it, as we'll get into, I'm sure, in 2002, when that's probably becoming more prevalent. But uh, it's, uh, I'll say this, I mean, I think it's one of the absolute worst things that has ever happened in professional wrestling, and it's one of those things like, I just, I'm not a huge fan of Steve Austin overall because he foisted that what chant upon pro wrestling and it's, it's cancerous and poison, but I've never worried about anything a crowd did if I have the microphone in my hand because they can't fucking talk louder than me because I have the microphone and I can steamroll right through any chant and talk louder and be more hateful than any crowd could ever dream up. But yeah, if you're asking me, how do I feel about the what chant? I think it's one of the worst things that's ever happened to pro wrestling. And basically anybody in a crowd who does it, if you're sitting next to that person, you should just turn and punch them in the face. <laughs> tell them to shut the fuck up and do that stupid shit again. You know, I guess we could thank Stephanie McMahon though, for killing that. You know, she did it. She, she, Years ago, when when they did the authority thing, she really screwed them up, screwed the fans up on that one, and then they quit chanting it, you know, like they were. So, props to Stephanie, and in that regard, for doing that, you know. So, yeah, but yeah, that it was it was fine at first in a way, and then it just got too much, especially on the indie scene. God, I mean, WWE WWE shows I understand because it's fucking Austin. I mean, it's the thing. If he's involved, but to do it on a fucking indie show, Jesus Christ, so fucking stupid. 
Well, it's like a crowd that big. It's it's one thing, but then when you're on an indie show, like, and you're trying to be that much of an attention-starved jackass, then like you're clearly just trying to distract from what's going on, and uh, really just want to drag those motherfuckers out in the parking lot and kick their fucking teeth in. But (laughs) (laughs) that is what it is. What I don't want to gloss over something that we mentioned here because I don't think it made the TV that made IWTV, which is a goddamn shame, but it is on YouTube. It made the normal TV broadcast, so it may be one of those like secondary market episodes that was like a hair shorter got put up on IWTV instead. But the Jimmy Rave getting ran over in the parking lot angle, I don't recall seeing on any of the TV that I watched. You reference it right here. This was something we were watching a lot of Memphis at the time and seen the uh, the Eddie Gilbert Lawler parking lot deal, and Jimmy wanted to do something similar. So it's out there, and you, I mean, for, for Jimmy's sake, if this is a tribute episode to him, I mean, this is one of, like, the craziest things he ever did was let JC hit him with a fucking car in the parking lot. It's not an exaggeration. Like, we shoot it. It's on TV. He runs that motherfucker over. Jimmy takes a bump all the way up the roof and over the fucking windshield. It's insane. So I'm sad that it didn't make TV, but you should absolutely go hunt that down because it is on YouTube. I don't understand why it wasn't on the TV, and I was wondering why we didn't see it. And I just want to reiterate, because we were watching a lot of the Lawler and Gilbert. This is this is the best wrestling someone being hit by a car that is out there. It's the best. Nobody has ever taken a better bump than Jimmy took getting hit by that car. It's fucking spectacular. And I kept thinking it would show up on the TV or maybe the next episodes or something because it was in the fucking open of the show. So how did it not air on an episode is beyond me. Well, I'm watching it right now on YouTube. It's on YouTube on the NBA Wildside channel. Uh, Dan Wilson, Christmas Chaos, 2001 recap, Jimmy Rave hit by a car. So yeah, I'm watching it right now. And yeah, what a, what a bump he took. Good Lord of mercy. Yeah. It's a bump and, for the eight. And then they got a night vision as they, uh, everybody's attending the Jimmy on the, on the dirt bills down there in his knees. Uh, there's other people down there checking on Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, he took a hell of a bump. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, go. You will watch it on YouTube. Why not on WTV? I don't know. That's that's odd. Considering it's on the official Wildside channel. So weird. All right. Uh, so next we get the main event: David Young and AJ Styles. Match two of AJ's night. Rip Michaels came out with his bad attitude partner, David Young, to watch on. As his Christmas guest opponent could be determined here. These two work so well together, as they should, and this is a treat. Rick will, of course, get involved, distracting Andrew Thomas, and as he jumped up the apron, it affected David climbing the apron. So Young came down, Styles came off with a dragon run to get the win. Michaels and Young attacked Styles afterwards for good measure. So yes, Rick fuck, fucked up here, and uh, he's got to face AJ, and he cost David a match. So keep that in mind, folks, as we move forward. All right, December 18th, Maria Berry, who runs the Body Slam This site, created the following Wildside Christmas poem. Enjoy. It was the night before Christmas, and over in Wildside, no cheers or booze could be heard from inside. The arena was quiet, not even a sound, for all the wrestlers were home and nowhere around. 
but the stockings were hung on the ring ropes with care, just in case St. Nick made his way there. Adam Jacobs was nestled all snug in his bed, as nightmares of last flashed through his head, and last of his pigtails curled up for his nap while dreaming of sitting on Santa's dear lap. Jason Cross sat wondering if his abs could get much flatter, while G-Rated sat and made a loud clatter. By the window, Big Business Brown sat counting Jeff G. Bailey's cash, while Tank sat pondering what kind of present to get white trash. Bill Barron sat planning the next wild side show, while the Lost Boys sat lost, not knowing where to go. Back at the arena, a special guest was to appear. None other than Santa, with his trusty reindeer. A bunch of presents he had on his back. A gift for each wrestler lay in that sack. Quickly he worked, filling each stocking the same, quietly listing each wrestler's name. Here's J.C. Daz and Jimmy Rave. David Young, Santa smiled. He's always been my fave. There's A.J. and Onyx and Tony and Todd. But there was no stocking for referee Andrew Thomas. Santa thought that was odd. There was Mike Pittman, Slim J, and Terry Knight. Cooter Calhoun and Big Henry Haas. Two stockings for Rip Michael, Santa said. That can't be right. Stockings for Dan Wilson, Stephen Prezak, and Ice. Santa was getting tired and forgetting who had been naughty and who had been nice. I'm sure they've all been delightful and spread lots of cheer. Santa sighed, I'll keep better track of those boys next year. Santa worked almost until dawn, filling each stocking. That's everyone, he said with a yawn. He sprang to his sleigh, rounded his reindeer with a quick whistle, and started on his way as he drove out of sight. Santa said with a smile, Merry Christmas to Wildside, and to all, a good night. Wildside fans were, uh, I mean, they had an online presence, especially, and, and, and Wildside had a lot of prominent female fans, like Maria and J.L. Sigmund and some other ones. I mean, that's one thing that you didn't see a lot on the indie wrestling scene in that era, and Wildside had that. Uh, what would you attribute that to, Dan? They love the dudes, man. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of exciting, young, good-looking dudes, and they were doing awesome shit. So it wasn't like Nashville had a bunch of good-looking dudes, too, but they were fucking grabbing a headlock for 20 <laughs> minutes, you know? Like, these guys were going all over the place, and yeah. uh, and it just connected. I mean, this is, we had a huge female fan base. I mean, hell... I met my wife because she was a Wild Side fan, uh, and it was a big Lost Boys fan, actually, originally. And, you know, years later, like, <laughs> we ended up connecting, but it's just, it's wild, small fucking world, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, Jeff, I mean, like I said, it, you've been in wrestling for quite a while by this time. It's, it was interesting to see the, uh, the prominent female fans in, involved in Wild Side. Um, if you're drawing female fans, you are successful. I mean, that's that's pretty much a given in pro wrestling because where the women are, the men will soon follow is what we always hope. Um, I, I really couldn't say it any better than Dan did, that we had lots of young, good-looking guys doing really cool, flashy shit, but they also would get out there and stand and fight and show they had balls and get over with the guys. And uh, I just think we had a really good product as far as pro wrestling goes, particularly at that time when 
there was a lot of wishy-washy shit going on in pro wrestling, and we were pretty standard fare, good guy, bad guy, fuck you, let's get heat pro wrestling. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, December 19th, 2001, let's go to the torch. Wildside wrestler AJ Styles is scheduled to appear with Jason Cross on the latest WWE England tour. Styles had to back out because he had problems obtaining the visa. A source reported the government building, which was supposed to supply Styles with his visa, was closed today before a scheduled meeting due to an anthrax scare. Eee, yeah, that was that era. Um, would that have affected anything if AJ and Jason had went on that tour of England? Would that have affected anything timeline-wise? What's going on here? Because they would have had the because that tour was going on at the time of the TV taping, I think on the fifteenth. So I guess that's a good thing that happened for Wildside that AJ wasn't able to go. Yeah, no, it it would have probably fucked things up for us considerably to not have them in that build up. So yeah, it was a blessing in disguise for us. Yeah, I'm checking right now. Um all right, December two thousand and one. I'm trying to find the uh the dates on that, but yeah, I mean <laughs> that worked out tremendously for a while inside the because, you know, you never know what could have happened with those guys. You know, there could have been an injury there. Um okay. Uh, they okay, they would have made it back. <laughs> the tour was from no- November twenty seventh through December eleventh. So they would have been back for the 15th, but they would have missed the first. So, which I'm looking at the first. It would have been insurmountable, but it would have been a pain in the ass. Well, well, the first, they were in that six-man. So, I mean, you could have had the match without them in it. So, yeah, it worked out in that way, too. But, uh, but yeah, Andrew Mass is WWA, folks. There you go. All right, Christmas Chaos, the big show. December 22nd. Christmas Chaos started with Jeff G. Bailey entering the ring with Iceberg, and he said that he would eliminate every person that has stood in his way the past few months as the fans chanted, What? at him again. Bailey then said if, he, if Jacobs beat Laz, then there would be a restraining order put on him. And then we get music, which led to Al Getz making his return as the Wild Side Commissioner after being away for many months, talking about how great it was being back in Cornelia. And he said his contract would expire on the 31st, and he's going to do one last act before his contract ran out. Al said that Laz sat on his lap and told him what he wanted for Christmas, and Laz wanted to get Adam Jacobs. If he wants, he could do anything he wanted to him, and other sundry things. Gaston said that it would be a white Christmas for someone. (laughs) So, here we go. Jeff, we got Al back here for uh, this one night here in, in, in this position. Whose idea was that? I don't know. Maybe Al just showed up and, and we figured out a way to to plug him into the show because uh, always happy to have Al there and uh, do something. And um, he was always a foil to me and uh, – it was nice. He got to come out there and add a little something extra as I was out there, you know, basically pissing on the baby faces. He came out and put up a little shield. So some of it got splashed back on me. So fun stuff. Yeah. Dan, any, uh, any uh, thoughts on this about if that's what really happened? Alice was there and y'all decided to come up with something on the fly. 
Yeah, seems to be. You know, Al would, would come in and even when he wasn't a regular, would come in and visit around holidays and stuff when he could. And, uh, you know, if he wasn't <laughs> mad at Bill or something, <laughs> which would happen, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I believe that's what it was, that Al was just there. And it was a great little spot to like, oh, yeah, he's been the commissioner. He technically never was fired as commissioner. So I guess he technically still is. So it ended up being a great little spot. There you go. Yeah. All right, so first match, Bad Attitude against Big Henry Haas and Cooter Calhoun. Bad Attitude looked good here, really working over Cooter before Big Henry finally entered the ring, where it broke down to a four-way brawl. B.A. would hit their spinebuster netbreaker combo on Haas and would get the win. This was pretty much a squash. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys have been giving uh, the, the the Redneck Express some, some wins on TV, and then <laughs> David and Terry pretty much steamroll them here, Dan. Yeah, well, you know, we we had to make them look good for for it to mean something when somebody beat them. So I, I guess that was this. Um, it's, it's certainly a, a better win, I guess, for them than the G-rated match, but kind of the same idea, right? You know, where, where it's kind of the same principle. It's just a kind of a throwaway undercard tag match that uh, the real story with them is in the main event. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we'll get to that in just a second. All right, Wildside TV title, Onyx defending against Crew Jones. Crew was so great. Coming up to Super Thug by Noriega and doing the Al Bundy four touchdowns in one game gimmick. These guys went to battle quickly as they took it to the floor, and we had a quite little brawl here. They had some sloppy spots, but the effort was there. Above men got quite a few near falls in each other. Onyx would get a schoolboy and a fast count by Jimmy Rivers to retain his title, and Crew was not happy after the match. Yes, that finish was something else, Jeff. <laughs> That was the, one of the fastest counts I think I've ever seen in wrestling history. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if there was some kind of buildup between Jimmy and crew on Friday nights or something that led to that fast count or something. But uh, it wasn't sold. Was it wasn't sold that way on commentary. I tell you that. So I don't know. It was a big moment for crew, you know, coming off of Friday nights and, and being on this big show after just really being on TV for just a minute and stuff. And, uh, you know, he was still pretty green at this point, but you could definitely see uh, we definitely had something with him. Dan, what are your memories? Why the fast count here? Uh, I think it was just a fuck up, to be quite <laughs> honest. I don't, I don't think it was intentional. Um, and you know, I don't know what the idea with the booking was here, because like Crew ends up beating him for the TV title pretty shortly after this, and I almost think he would have had a more effective Big Show debut if he would have. I mean, I know he would have if he would have just beaten Onyx here. Like maybe the thought was, you know, I don't know if he's ready for that. Maybe we hadn't decided to put the belt on him at this point, but I mean, certainly that's where we go with it. So in hindsight, they should have just done it here. Yeah, maybe it was just a test to see how he would uh, handle it or something. I don't know, but yeah, I, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, that's interesting. All right, uh, next we get a, the tape fist match. Jason Cross against Caprice Coleman. Cross got very frustrated early as Caprice was too quick for him and was using his rapid hand speed to pepper him with blows. Bailey would do something across his tape, and when he used it on Coleman, he saw it like he was blinded in a way. This allowed Cross to come back firing away with shots, and the tide turned. 
Bailey would get his shots in as well. When Caprice was chunked to the floor, Coleman would then eventually hit the thermal shotgun nowhere to give him a chance for a comeback. It was an amazing spot. And folks, this this may be the craziest spot I've seen in doing this whole series. Cross was trying a dive in midair when Caprice hit a springboard dropkick from the other side in the ring, also in midair, and they caught each other. That was like some fucking Matrix shit. I mean, that was fucking insane how that happened. Crazy. Uh, Bell would then ring. Andrew Thomas said neither man answered the 10 count, but both men were on their feet, so they knocked each other down again so they could do the finish correctly. Oops. Both men were fighting their way up, and Sweet Dreams turned on Caprice by punching him out, then shaking hands and hugging Jason Cross as Bailey presented with a payoff. Dreams had cut a promo how his brother was overshadowing him, and it was his time now, and then Dreams beat him down afterwards. Jeff, what the fuck happened with that, that finish? I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'm going to choose to focus on the positive. Which... <laughs> yes. Caprice throwing those punches. He he had Jason's nose bleeding in the first minute of the match where he was just peppering him with those punches and stuff. And uh we did the uh the sunny list and Muhammad Ali, you know, where I put the Monsell solution yes. on Jason's tape to blind Caprice in the match and stuff. So I love that little touch. Um yeah, I uh, I really like the match other than, you know, the stuff that wasn't good. And the Sweet Dreams turn was one of those things that I think it was probably a decent idea in theory. And it, it worked in execution, but then nobody wanted to see Sweet Dreams and Caprice fight each other. Like, nobody wanted to see Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy fight each other. It just wasn't something that people wanted. I'm going to make, uh, hold my thoughts on this for something that happens later in the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's a huge part of it, for sure. But, but yeah, we'll but, talk about it then. But, but yeah, so, so Dan, we'll, we'll talk about the turn on the other thing, but what were your thoughts on how the finish played out on commentary? Because it kind of was interesting watching the camera cut, and there these guys are standing, and then they have to knock each other back down again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just, you know, went to the, you always got to make the implausible plausible <laughs> on commentary, so a lot of times that's just trying to cover for shit that happens and trying to come up on the fly with some sort of logical reason why that might have happened in the context of a real fight. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. It's kind of like that uh, that moment from uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third when everybody's doing the, all, the, the face slap at the same time. Uh, that, that is... Yeah, that was one of those moments like, what the fuck just happened here? All right, but yeah, we'll have more on the turn later. All right, next we get no rules. Iceberg against Tank. Tank attacked Iceberg immediately, and this fight was on and popping. As weapons came into play immediately, and blood would soon be shed. Iceberg bloody Tank up, and we went to use Tank's own sickle on him, but Tank blocked it and then got his sickle back so he could carve up Iceberg. Tank, tank did, did the unthinkable. He took Iceberg off his feet with a boot to the head. 
Before the battle went to the floor, where Iceberg handcuffed Tank to the ring post so he could brutalize him some more. White trashed him in his return, d destroying Iceberg with every weapon he could find before Iceberg splashed him against the apron again. Bailey then set up a table with a stretcher on top of it as Iceberg climbed up the apron and hit a big splash on Trash, which didn't break the table because it was not a wooden table. It was a metal table. Tank would then break free from his handcuffs and he would brawl with Iceberg all the way to the back. What a wild spectacle this was. Uh, yeah, Dan, this was a wild spectacle indeed. And this is exactly what, you know, what you would hope for between these two guys in their first uh, meeting here. Pretty historic, right? The first yes. meeting between Tank and Berg. What would ultimately lead to them having a feud that goes all the way to hardcore hell and then later becoming tag team partners. Um, so pretty historic stuff here. And one of the bloodiest affairs we've done in Wildside in a while. Also significant in that this is where White Trash is written out of the promotion. Um, he does come back into a great angle where he's in a wheelchair and Berg <laughs> attacks him, which I'm sure we'll cover later when that happens. Yeah. I don't want to go too crazy on the details on that. But, but yeah, Trash, the, uh, the team player, all the way till the end, he knew he was taking a break, and so he wanted to be written off in proper fashion. And so, of course, he has Iceberg kill him. What a professional. What a professional White Trash was. And Jeff, uh... Yeah, that that's a lot of weight coming off that apron onto uh, what White Trash was on. So I'm sure that was not uh, pleasant for him. Yeah, um, Bill did not sprain for a good table. <laughs> we were all a little upset about that. But it actually worked out because the storyline was because it was the metal table and that it didn't break, that White Trash had broken his hip. And that's why he's in the wheelchair when Iceberg, you know, finally finishes him once and for all, killing him dead in his wheelchair. But uh, it was really a uh, tank got some really good color. They had that great shot, you know, where he's just leaking on the mat when he first gets it. You can just see it just pouring onto the mat. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. And white trash. He, he I think they were the best at getting color in Wild Side. He was the best at getting color in Wild Side, wasn't he? Uh, uh, I don't recall getting bad color, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, he, he could bleed. He definitely, uh, he definitely could I get mean, it out. His four corners of pain color was definitely, you know, some, some full-on <laughs> crimson mask. <laughs> Absolutely. Good Lord. All right, um, so we follow that up with the Wild Side Tag Title match, Blackout against the Lost Boys. Remember, this is the straight wrestling match. These two teams had quite the feud, so this should be good, but it's not as heated start as I was expecting, which I had totally forgotten that this was a traditional wrestling match. Blackout really took it to the Lost Boys with their size and straight advantage where Lost Boys made a comeback, although Gabriel re-injured his knee. He was limping before the match. Homicide tried using a tab belt on Azrael, but Bill Barron's ran out and grabbed the belt. But in the process, he got hit, and the belt flew in Azrael's face, allowing him to get pinned. Now, the creative finish there. That looked good. The way all that came out, and Bill's timing and hitting uh, Azrael with the belt. Now, that looked good, I thought, Dan. I thought that came off well. 
Yeah, Bill had great timing, usually on all of those spots. I was always impressed with his timing. Uh, the feud with Bill and Blackout continues, and now he's fucked the Lost Boys on accident, uh, inadvertently becoming their unofficial manager here. So the the plot thickens. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, uh, yeah, um, we're going to continue this feud as we go along. All right, so next we get the four-way dance for the junior title as Jeremy Lopez defended against Lance Dreamer, Tony Mamaluke, and Todd Sexton. So this is under tag rules, so all four men are n- not fighting in the ring at the same time. Todd got eliminated as Tony Mamaluke came off top rope as Jerry Lowe had him in a DDT, while Dreamer had Lopez in a reverse DDT, and Mamaluke splashed all of them. Dreamer now had to go it alone, basically against the heels, but Lopez actually hit Mamaluke, who bounced into a schoolboy by Dreamer to get eliminated. Mama Luke then attacked Lopez and threw him into the ring for Dreamer, who had Lopez reeling before hitting the big splash off top rope to get the win and the title. But Andrew Thomas showed up and told Jimmy Rivers that the time had run out and the match was a draw. Another shit finish, Jeff. But, uh, yeah, this was fun while it lasted. And we get the Tony Mama Luke, Jer- Jeremy Lopez deal here, the breakup. So, uh, effective. Yeah, I mean, considering Todd didn't have something to do and we ended up putting together this thing with the four guys for the junior title we had the matches the singles matches then the tag and then the four-way i mean we really created a whole big thing out of something that kind of started as nothing and and turned it into something that mattered and i really felt like it was one of those things where all four guys came out of it stronger than they went into it so uh it was really just an effective kind of thing for the junior title that just kind of worked all the way around and andrew got to come out and get some more heat being a shit heel (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely all right next we get adam jacobson last bailey's white shirt covered in bloodstains earlier in the show was quite the look yes i like that you 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 Kept the same shirt on, Jeff, after uh, the Tank Iceberg uh, bloodbath with the bloodstains all over your shirt. I thought that was nice. Always proud to show off the blood. Absolutely. Air Paris! Yes! He made his return here as a special referee. So that was an interesting twist to this. Paris grabbed the mic and talked about what was at stake here, and he was hilarious. Talking about what Laz was going to do to Jacobs. Bailey then told Paris that if he wasn't fair, then he, they wouldn't adhere to the stipulations. The story here was Paris showing off his biases as the referee, as well as Laz doing his shtick. Laz had a tremendous somersault sent on the Jacobs on the floor before trying to pile drive him, but he had a backdrop to the floor. Jacobs then followed a running, diving senton to the floor, which looked great. Jacobs would miss a big moonsault top, but he would hit a big fisherman's buster for a near fall. Jacobs would go for a top row superplex, but Laz countered it with a face buster. Laz then went for the Britney Spear, but Air Paris was hitting the process. Jacobs then pulled a chain he had from Paris's pocket and decked Laz with Paris not seeing it. Andrew Thomas then ran out, and Paris decked him. Then Jacobs got a chair, Paris fought with him, and he decked Laz with a chair by mistake. Or so it seemed. Because on commentary, you guys thought he hit him possibly on purpose. Well, not so fast. Paris wouldn't make the count. 
last game back with a fucking crazy springboard cutter with Jacobs' knee basically buckling under him. How Adam Jacobs didn't fucking break his leg on that was amazing to me. That was insane. Um, Paris then told Lance to hit him with a Georgia jam, which he did. And then Paris made the count, but Jacobs kicked out. Laz hit the Britney Spear, and as Paris made the count, Bailey jumped on the apron. Laz then de- Bailey, and then Paris hit a super kick on Laz all of a sudden after all the shit that's going on. And uh, then he finally hugged Jacobs. Jacobs hit the Georgia Jam with Paris making the count. They got to where they needed to, but wow, what a ride that was to the finish. <laughs> Bailey then ripped on the fan, saying that no one would get over him in this building, and that suicidal tendencies was now reunited. Paris had said that AJ was no better than, not better than he, he was, and that it was AJ's fault that they didn't have contracts with the WF. And Paris was hilarious. You're ripping on the fans. Dan, I'm going to you first. Um, we just had the Sweet Dreams thing, and now we're doing the Air Paris thing on the same show. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sucked. Just, <laughs> just fucking say it. It sucked. Um, and and, and it, it's further sucked in addition to it being the same thing that happened. Like, there's no follow through on this. So it's like we're setting up this big angle with Paris and AJ with Paris back as a heel. Nothing comes of this. Paris is very inconsistent pretty much from this point out in the promotion. So you don't ever really get any sort of major payoff to this. It's just a thing that happens that exists here in this moment and then goes away. And so we just might as well not have fucking done it. Whose call was it to do all those false deals here to build up to the actual turn? Because it just is like, what the, what the fuck's going on here? You know, what is, uh, what's supposed to happen? It seems like that you guys kind of got lost on commentary too, trying to uh, work around it. Yeah, I mean, Paris is my guess because he was like, I mean, he was a master of false finishes and he loved to incorporate a million of them in his matches. So it would not surprise me that that was his call um, to, to do all of that. But like, I don't know what the booking idea was beyond the turn. I don't really think I had anything to do with that that I'm aware of. But um, if I did, then. I should be kicked in the balls because it sucked. <laughs> Jeff, you're uh, you're involved in this here. You're at ringside for all this. What were your thoughts as all this was going on? I mean, my opinion isn't much different from Dan's in that this happening on the same show with the Sweet Dreams thing is just flat out fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Any way you want to fucking spin it, it mm-hmm. just should not be on the same show with the other thing. And the fact that the other thing, the Sweet Dreams thing was, I mean, again, it was a decent idea in theory, but at the end of the day, people didn't want to see Sweet Dreams and Caprice fight each other. They liked them together, so it wasn't the best idea in the big picture, but like Dan said, this thing with Paris and then there being zero follow-up to it, me out there screaming about suicidal tendencies is back together, and I probably believe that as much as I believe that men didn't land on the moon. I mean, I, <laughs> Paris was flaky at this point. I didn't, but I mean, you know, you, you do what you do in the moment, which is sell the angle and try and make the best of it. And, um, I love Paris. I wish he would have continued to, to stick around and be part of what we were doing, but he just was pretty flaky at this moment. And I thought he was great here. 
and, and what he did, like the promo wise, even the the, the the part the when he came out, all the funny shit he was saying about Laz and Adam, and then you know he did a great job as it, the heel at the end. But it's just like it was all the stuff in between, and I can only imagine being a fan and like wait a minute from the chair shot to the actual turn. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? Is, is he turning? Is he not turning? What What is this? Where, where are we at right now? You know? I mean, it just seemed like it was... This won't be the last time that Paris is involved in a nonsensical turn. <laughs> this happens at least one or maybe two more times before Wildside ends. <laughs> it's just like, what? What is this? What is this? <laughs> but yeah, that, that one is like... It, too much. It's, it's, it was overkill. It, it, it was overkill in this show to have the two almost the two exact same turns happen that that close to each other. I mean, that that's Russo esque right there. Yeah, it's fucking wretched. And I mean, I'm in both fucking matches. So <laughs> yeah, how I felt like this is so fucking stupid. But here I am out here fucking selling the shit out of it like it's the greatest thing in the world. So kudos to me. You're a professional, Jeff. You're a trooper and a professional. So you're doing what you need to do to get it over. All right, well, let's go to the next match. Two out of three falls, JC Daz and Jimmy Rave. Rave was supposedly still in the hospital. So Bill Barron's came out as Rave's music played, talking about how Daz had run over Rave in the parking lot saying that they knew it was Daz because he was too dumb to roll up his window so he was seen on the camera. Baron said that Rave couldn't compete due to his injury, so they have to find another opponent for JC. So JC attacked Bill Barron's. Rave then showed up from under the ring and he jumped Daz, so the fight was on. Daz would then win the first fall and then just continue to beat the piss out of Jimmy until Jimmy got a reversal out of the Tilted World. Schoolboy Daz won the second fall. Ray then went for the gravity killer, but Daz launched him over the top right to the floor. Scary spot. Ray then fought back. Almost got a fall with schoolboy again, but Daz got out. Both men then went all out trying to put the other away, but both men would kick out, showing off their heart. Bailey tried to super kick Rave on the floor, but Rave decked him. Then flew back in, hit the gravity killer on Daz for the win. Hell of a damn match. What a, what a capper to Jimmy's great 2001, Jeff. I mean, this was, a, like I said, a hell of a damn match. Yeah, I mean, here's Jimmy out of the hospital, the baby face on his deathbed, fighting from underneath, down one fall, and stealing that fall. Then that fucking bump on the gravity killer being thrown over the top oh. rope to the floor. One of my favorite bumps of the whole show. I mean, just spectacular. And uh, then... Getting that big victory, I mean, yeah, it really was an amazing celebration for Jimmy Rave over this period of time. I mean, he really got to shine like a diamond as a babyface taking, you know, ferocious beatings and then just having all the heart in the world to come back from everything and get the win in the end. Uh, really great stuff. Dan, your thoughts? Yeah, very much in line with Jeff. I mean, this was just this ultimate story of, like, you're going to throw every obstacle you can 
at the baby face and, and, you know, certain doom and certain defeat. You're going to run him over with a car. You're going to beat the shit out of him. You're going to try to cripple him. Iceberg's going to take him out. All of these things that they try to do to take out Jimmy Rave and the consummate baby face, never giving up and finally beating the odds and beating his rival, his rival that uh, cost him the junior title and all this other shit like that he's feuded with for months and uh, getting a big win over the elite when they were seemingly unstoppable at this point was just such a great feel-good moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. God bless Jimmy Rave. Tremendous 2001. And, uh, yeah, went out, went out with a bang, that's for sure. And then their main event, Wild to Heavyweight title, Rip Michaels defending against AJ Styles. Styles was ruthless here from the start going after Rick as he was extremely determined to win the belt. Rick, though, wasn't going to go away quickly and showed that he was a teacher while AJ was still the student. This battle would soon go to the floor where AJ would hit an insane double springboard splash off the concession stand and the filing cabinet on Rick, but to Rick's credit, he fought back. Rick tried to break AJ's leg with a chair sandwich and he hit him, but the br- breaking the leg, not so much. AJ came fighting back on his own, and they went back to the floor again where both men were pulling whatever they could out of their arsenal to put the other one away. Rick would backdrop AJ on the merchandise table, and then Rick tried to dive on him, but AJ caught him midair. Battle continued back to the ring where David Young showed up to check on Rick as Andrew Thomas was counting him on the floor. AJ then climbed up top and hit an insane shooting styles press from the top row to the floor on David Young. Just crazy. Rick then fought Styles back to the back, and they came back out with Rick bringing out someone and pinning him. Uh-oh. We have a fake AJ. Andrew Thomas made the count. But Bill Barons came out showing it was Jason Cross that was playing the role of AJ here. So Andrew couldn't do the Scotty Wren trick again. Styles then hit a Styles Clash on Cross on the ramp, came back in the ring as the match was restarted. Thomas would get rep bump, of course. Before Rick would go for a top row superplex, but AJ caught him for a Styles Clash, Super Styles Clash, or so we thought, as David Young came in the ring. He grabbed Rick by the legs, but then he pushed him up. So AJ was on standing on the top rope with Rick, and he hit the Super Duper Styles Clash off the top rope. Crazy spot. With Andrew making the count, we get a new heavyweight champion. Everyone goes crazy. AJ shakes David Young's hand. New champion. Wild scene. Jeff, what were your thoughts on all this? Just a a classic match. I mean, a a student-teacher match um, where they just went all out. I mean, there was some stuff in this. I mean, they were bound and determined to try and break that table over by the merchant. <laughs> but, but that son of a bitch just wasn't going to give. No I way. mean, they, they they took a couple shots at it, but uh, they couldn't quite get it to go. I mean, uh, I, I really enjoyed this a lot. It was a uh, was a culmination of AJ and uh, obviously with David, basically with his big baby face turn at the end, and uh, just a lot of good happy feelings to close the year out you know with uh the guy that everybody wanted to see as champion become champion and turn and turning david um whose idea was that if you remember jeff um probably david's i mean david just wanted to be away from rick 
And uh, I thought he thought that they could do really good stuff, you know, against each other. They had been together as partners for so long. Um, I think they, they really wanted to feud. And I think uh, Bill just thought it was best for both of them. And uh, Dan may know a little more about this than me, but that's my recollection of it. Dan? Yes. That's pretty on on point. Um, you know, David was really eager to prove himself as a single, just all around at this point. Um, and he does. I mean, this is where he starts getting singles matches against AJ as a result of this. We actually, you know, there's the, the Rick David angles kind of set up, but it, we really get some great David versus AJ shit out of this because, you know, AJ grants him a title shot out of respect for helping him out. And, and all of that. Um, and, and so this great shit that comes out of it was just what a magnificent piece of business this was overall. Not only telling the compact story of teacher versus student between Rick and AJ that we basically set up start to finish from October to December. So it's a great little two month story that they told. But then you also blow off the AJ versus Jason Cross feud here with Cross getting busted and planted on the fucking ramp with a disgusting mm-hmm. Styles class. It was so awesome. There's like four stories that we're wrapping up here in a nice, neat little package, all culminating with AJ becoming the official face of the company with the belt to prove it. I, I can't think of a better way to end the year and just, well, like I said, what a great piece of business that was overall. Absolutely. And, you know, 2001 Wildside had been a lot of heel heavy stuff going on here as, you know, Jeff's in charge and you know, Elite running wild and everything. But here we are, the last show of the year, and AJ and Jimmy Rave are coming out on top. You know, the two the two top baby faces in the company, pretty much. And I mean, just just great stuff, great stuff there. All right, uh, but that wasn't the last show, as we had the Friday night show on the twenty eighth. At the arena, we had Cooter Calhoun over Paul Alexander, Mike Cooper and the Super D over Tony Givens and CJ Justice, C- Cynic over Roderick Strong. Yes, that Roderick Strong in an IPW match. Jerry Lewis and John Doe over Mike Wills and Seth Cruz. Sage and Aki over Cedric Strong, also IPW uh, match. Mike Pittman over Slim J. Jeremy V beat Crew Jones to retain the Beat the Champ title. That's a Friday belt. Future Shock and Rick Michaels over the Lost Boys and Derek Driver. And Jimmy Rave and Todd Sexton beat G-Rated when Rave pinned Kid Cool after the Gravity Killer. And your main event. So a fun-looking Friday show there. Iceberg was at the show but did not wrestle. He just returned from Japan. Prior to Christmas Chaos, he remains undefeated in Japan. So, yeah, we'll have more on that in 2002. And to close out the 2001 series here, Bob McGee of ProWrestlingBetweenTheSheets.com, PWPTS, recognized both AJ Styles, who he wished could get six months in front of a WF audience, and Dan Wilson, who he gave honorable mention as the best announcer on uh, the PWPTS Awards. The winner was Jim Ross. So how about that, Dan? You, uh, you're in your first full year as an announcer, and you get some good recognition here from one of the prominent wrestling websites at the time. 
Yeah, that shit really blew me away at the time. It still kind of does, because especially going back and listening, like I didn't, I don't think I was all that great. I mean, I I was getting a lot better and, and pretty good by this point. I think like 2002, I would I'd say I, my work is pretty good, like overall. Like, and I think I'm getting good here, but I'm still not quite there. So I really appreciated the accolades, and I actually, me and Prazak won that award the next year in 2002. We unseated Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler for announced team of the year uh for for pwbts.com um and i think we won that award two years in a row after that uh it even like i think we beat out jim ross and lawler one year and mike today and don west the next year so uh definitely something to, to be proud of for sure absolutely all right we, as we close out 2001 jeff uh what were your thoughts at the time going to 2002 on how Wildside was doing um, at the time, I was probably really happy with the way everything was going. Um, certainly going back and rewatching this, I'm really happy with the way everything is going. So I'm sure I felt the same at the time. I mean, I think the CEO thing, I, I'm doing the thing with Rick and I start getting some more things like that that I kind of think I really don't want to be doing this extra shit like you know if a tag team came in from the NWA I'd have to go out there and welcome them and introduce them and stuff like that and uh, it was a little extra but uh, man I loved everything I was doing I loved all the guys I had I've just gotten Iceberg which is you know on my list of what I wanted to do in pro wrestling, having that, you know, monster stabby character. So I'm super ecstatic about that. Um, yeah, I would say 2001 has ended on a super high note. And I probably wasn't thinking this at the time, but uh, watching this, I'm like, my God, this stuff from September till the end of the year. I mean, I pretty much did everything a wrestling manager does promo wise, bump wise, showing ass wise. I mean, I really ran through the whole gamut of everything and um, I was really pleased with all of it. So yeah, I would say 2001 monster year full of joy and happiness. Dan, this is like I said, your first full year in wild side. So what are your thoughts as we, uh, the year is coming to a close here at the time. Hello, Dan? I'm sorry, you cut out there. Would you mind repeating the question? Okay, sorry. All right, so, yes, we're uh, closing out the year 2001. This is your first full year uh, being in Wildside. So what are your thoughts at that time as you go into the new year 2002? I had just turned 21. I was, by all intents and purposes, living my dream that I'd had since I was like five years old, um, was to be in the wrestling business. Um, you couldn't tell me shit in <laughs> December of 2001. I was as high on the hog as one could be. There you go. Yeah, I love that saying, high on the hog. We all live in high on the hog, hopefully. But anyway, yeah, so, yeah, that's it for us on this show. Now, uh, plug time. Let's go to plugs. All right, Dan, uh, 
Tank's got a lot going on, so that means you got a lot going on. So plug away, my friend. Ah, but of course, yes, we will be hitting it again on the indie wrestling scene in 2022. Taking most of January off. Tank's been in a lot of death matches. He's no spring chicken, so he's given a little time for his body to heal. We're going to be hitting it hard in February. Uh, we will be for sure on the ICW No Holds Barred Chattanooga shows. Uh, possibly on some of the ones prior to that, but as of now, the Chattanooga shows for sure. Um, and we're just now kind of starting to get our bookings together for 2022, but lots of plans hoping to be involved in all the mania weekend festivities and, and all of that. Um, of course we're known now for the Deathmatch world, but we do still excel in the regular pro wrestling world too. Uh, if you want to follow my exploits on Twitter, you can do that at Rev Dan Wilson, Follow Tank at Tank underscore EST 1996 to keep updated on where we will be in all of our travels in 2022. You can also follow my horror movie podcast over at One Good Scare Productions. It's called Seeking Human Victims, and we're about to start a new season in 2022. Season 13, the Stephen King Terror Timeline as we look at a history of the great Stephen King adaptations to film. Um, so if you want to book me as a manager or book Tank as a wrestler or anything else, just hit me up on the old social media and we'll be glad to talk. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Jeff, what's going on with you, my friend? Um, well, people can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff G Bailey one. Um, they can read my writing on gwhnews.blogspot. I write a lot about deathmatch wrestling. I write fictional pro wrestling illustrated stories about deathmatch wrestling. <laughs> and I write reports about deathmatch wrestling. And I write a lot about Tank and Dan and uh, various other things when motivated. I'm working on a gigantic piece about the history of the American Deathmatch Championship year one. Uh, I'd hope to have that done by now, but being sick most of December has stalled it, but it will be an epic covering every title defense that took place in 2021. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, here's just going to be the fun thing for now on. Um, I hope our friends at IWTV are listening to this. There is no more wild side on IWTV for the, for 2002 or basically beyond other than one show. So we're going to go to the old YouTube to watch, uh, wild side TV for our next shows. So that should be interesting. So yeah, we're gonna uh to to do that and uh yeah, we'll hopefully uh be back in February to do January and February of two thousand and two. And who knows what's gonna happen there as we have the aftermath of Christmas chaos. But anyway, guys, thanks as always for being on the show with me. And uh can't wait to do it again. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. <laughs>